Wonderful world for Cubs fans. For the first time in 108 years, the Cubs just moments ago won their first World Series. In fact, there is not a single man alive in the United States who remembers the last time the Cubs won the World Series. I mean, actually remembers seeing it happen, not remembers the date. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being recorded and broadcast live on November 2nd, 2016. At 10.10 p.m. Very late show, and we're late because of the Cubs. I announced that we would not be starting at 7.30, our usual start time. We would be starting after Game 7 concluded, and I expected that to be around 8.30 or so. Turned out to be much later because the game went to extra innings and had a short rain delay. Very, very interesting baseball game. A lot of drama. And it was the day after another World Series that went on for a very long time. The World Series of Poker main event has concluded as well. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. And hopefully I'll pick up some co-hosts here. I think some have volunteered. I think Trader Ruski volunteered. Uh, Brandon, uh, he is having some internet trouble. But uh, we'll see if he can make it. Otherwise, uh, he won't be here tonight. Just told him radio started. And uh, we may even have another co-host, if this guy can make it. It's actually going to be the guy who went to the Dodgers game with me. He said he wanted to co-host sometime, so uh, we'll see if we can get him on. 
So let's see. Let's get the co-host together. Actually, before that, let me tell you about the free roll because it, it started already. It started three minutes ago. I almost canceled it. I'll be honest. We have a $79 cash free roll. If you're new to this show, we have a free roll every week that ranges usually from like $50 to $150, sometimes more, once in a while more. And it's real money we give away, real cash money that I will send you in a variety of ways, even real cold hard cash in the mail if that's the way you want it, or Bitcoin, or a bank transfer, or a check, or many other ways. The free roll took place three minutes ago at 10, 10 p.m., but don't worry, you can still get in. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. There are 25 minutes of late registration. You can sit down as late as 10.35, and you'll start with a full stack. If you want to have the information on whether or not you qualify for the free money, if you're new listening to this show, you don't qualify, but if you've been here for just a short time, you probably do, go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, exactly as it sounds, all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll to learn about the rules, and if you do not follow the rules as stated there, then you will not be eligible for the free money. And I'm very hardline about that because I don't want people playing that and winning our free money if they're not really interested in this show and if they're not really part of this community. So check that out there if you're new to the site. The free roll money did not come from me. It almost never does. It came from four sources this week. SMI Florida, $25. Sensei Crease, $9. Charham, $20. And Vegas Greg, $25. I appreciate the donations from all of you. And that adds up to $79. First place will be $40. Second place, $20. Third place, $12. Fourth place, $7. So it'll be $40, $20, and $7. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com. And you need a separate account there on that poker room from the forum. If you want to call into the show tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's an old 70s rotary telephone I have sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. You can Google it if you don't know what Mount Charleston is. I have an old phone sitting on top of the mountain that forwards to wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. It is a separate line into the show. It's not even just a forwarding number. It's actually a separate line into the show. If you want to text me during the show, you can do that too. In fact, you can text me any time on the number I'm about to give. I will answer you, and you can do it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's never too early or too late to text me. I may read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. That phone number is 775-372-8355, the same number as the main phone number for the show. 775-372-8355 is our text number. If you want to text Brandon, even though he's not here right now, if you want to text him and tell him to get his ass over here, you can do that. His text number is 203-299-2436, 203-299-2436. Again, you can text him at any time you feel like. We have a feature on this show we've had for a year now called the Call to Listen line. This is a very useful feature to where you can call a phone number and listen to the show either live or when we're not live, you can hear one of our archived shows that are played randomly 
it selects one of our more than 200 shows we've done and plays it as if it's live, and when it's done, jumps to another random show. And when we're live, it plays a live broadcast. It doesn't require a smartphone. It doesn't require the internet. It doesn't require a data plan. It doesn't require a computer. All you need is any phone that can dial. The Call to Listen Line's phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. It won't even use one byte of your data. So if you have a data plan that is not unlimited, you're probably better off listening on that because it will not use up any of your data. 712-775-8162. Another good feature of that line is that if you're driving in an area with a cell phone reception that's not very good, uh, it's much easier to stay connected to a phone number than to a stream. So that's a good thing to use if you're driving. If you forget any of these phone numbers, don't worry about it. You can find them on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com. Just go to PokerFraudAlert.com and click the radio tab near the top of the screen. You'll see all these phone numbers listed. Here is the agenda tonight. We have a guest. We don't have that many guests on this show. We probably could have more, but we don't have that many. Part of the reason is that we're kind of picky as far as the guests we want. We we don't just put on any old poker player. We, We put on somebody who has something relevant to say, something I think will be entertaining or informative for our audience. So that's not all that many people, to be honest. And, of course, there's some that will not come on our show, either because uh, they've never heard of us or because they don't like one of us. Usually me, but could be Brandon, too. (laughs) But uh, Some people don't like this show also because they know we're not going to ask softball questions. There's a certain other podcast you can go on for the softball questions <laughs> i think you know who that is and he gets a lot of great guests i'm not being sarcastic here. he really does get great guests i'm jealous of that but we don't ask the softball questions and pretty much everyone knows that so they know if they come on here they're going to get the tough questions so some people avoid the show for that reason so for that reason i, I kind of don't even try i kind of don't even try to get guests on here unless they like fall into my lap So, there's a guest that we've had on before. She's had some changes in her life, and I want to bring her back. And I was talking to her on Twitter again recently, so I figured, hey, why not? Why not bring her back for an update? That's Amanda Stinchcomb. And yes, that's a real name. Amanda Stinchcomb. She's known as McGrindin' Life on Twitter. And I think on 2 Plus 2, that's her name, too. So, she's going to give an update on her McGrindin' Life. She does not live in Las Vegas anymore. She lives quite far from there now, and there's been a number of changes, and we're going to talk about what her time in Vegas was like, and what has changed since then. And even if you don't really know who she is or care who she is, I think you'll be interested in this segment. We're going to do that first because she has to go to sleep, but after that, we will talk about the World Series of Poker main event. Two things I want to talk about with the main event, which was completed, Kui Wen the guy who described himself as a gambler. He was the winner. But what I, what I want to talk about here, number one, William Kasuf, who we had on this show last month, had more controversy in a hand with him and Griffin Benger. Uh, there was a big confrontation that I will play to you and give my opinion as to who was right, who was wrong. Maybe both. And then last night, I sat down for the arduous task of watching the heads-up match between these two. Not these two, between uh, 
Kui Wen and uh, the opponent. He's so unmemorable, I'm forgetting his name now. <laughs> uh, Vio. Uh, Gordon Vio. That was it. So Kui Wen and Gordon Vio played a heads-up match, and it, this took forever, and there was a lot of commentary about one of the two players playing surprisingly poorly. I will give you my take on that. I watched most of the heads-up match. I, it was torture, but I did. I watched it. I invited somebody to come on the show. He hasn't responded to me. I think just because he hasn't been checking Twitter, because he's been responding to other people, like yesterday. But uh, Andy Filichak, I haven't heard of him before, but he's from, I believe, Philadelphia, and he claims that he was scammed in the recent past by World Series of Poker main event champion Kui Wen. Yeah. So if we don't get Andy on here, which we probably won't, maybe I'll have him on next week. I really want to hear his story. I'll read what his claims are. And supposedly he has someone now backing him, or backing up his claim, that is. Maybe backing him, too. So wouldn't that be interesting if Kui Wen, who everyone seems to love at the moment, turned out to be a scammer, at least from the past? That would really ruin some of the narrative of his uh, somewhat feel-good story. What's definitely not a feel-good story, Travell Thomas convicted of a $31 million fraudulent debt collection scheme. And now he's just awaiting sentencing to where he can get as much as 40 years in prison. Fresh off the Jacqueline Moscow scandal, Todd Anderson, the guy behind Poker Night in America, has a new show that's going to be on CBS called The Final Table. We'll talk a bit about that. I want to tell you guys about a new poker investment scam that has shown up. In fact, it's been around for a few months. I don't think any of the listeners to this show would ever fall for it, because I, I think my listeners are smart enough not to fall for something like this. I, I think this scam is aimed really at gullible idiots. And unfortunately, there's plenty out there on the Internet. I actually believe this show has a higher IQ audience, on average, than many other shows. And I, I say this because of my interactions with people who have communicated with me, those that talk in the chat room, those that text me, those that will email me. Everybody, for the most part, that I've interacted with, I guess there's a, bit, a few exceptions, but most of the people I've interacted with seem to have at least somewhat of a brain. It's very rare that I speak to a listener of this show and I think, oh, wow, what an idiot, what a dumb idiot. Like, I, I admit we have some psychos who listen to this show. I admit we have some people who are not emotionally or mentally well-balanced. But as far as intelligence, it seems like uh, we don't have many dumb people listening here. And that's nice. I, I think that's great. I've seen other shows, like, like Lyman's show, for example. That, you go in the chat room of that show, and it's, it's like a collection of uh, some of the dumbest people you've ever seen. If you feel like you're talking to, like, 15-year-olds in there. Maybe you are. I, I don't know. But uh, boy, is that chat room dumb. So he seems to appeal to the lower common denominator of poker. We seem to be on an upper echelon over here, at least from what, I, what I've seen. So I, I don't think anyone here is going to fall for this new poker investment scam called Bet on Poker, but I'll tell you about it anyway just because it's funny. We have another untimely death of a well-known poker player. Dave Colclo, also known as El Blondie, he's from the UK, or he was from the UK, he died at age 52 last month, and I had a personal experience with him. Not a bad one, but I had a personal experience with him, 
And I want to tell you about that experience and a scandal that he was involved in. Not a scandal that was his, was his fault. I mean, he didn't really do anything wrong. But I'll tell you, it was a sex scandal. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, this was back in 07. But it's an interesting story. I will tell you about my interaction with uh, Dave Colclo and died at age 52. I hope I live longer than 52 because it's not that far away from me at this point. Something that may not live very long will be DraftKings or FanDuel. There are strong rumors that they're going to merge, that they're having uh, cash problems at the moment. And speaking of that, someone that many of us know was a big winner on one of these sites. I'm not even sure which one, but Eric Crane, also known as Jack's Poker, he won, I think, like $1.3 million dollars in Daily Fantasy Sports on Sunday. Can you imagine? You set your Daily Fantasy Sports lineup that day, and by the end of the day, you're more than a million richer. It's a lot different than a poker tournament, where it always kind of seems like you're within striking distance of winning, even just at the beginning. Because the, the number of entries is much less in a poker tournament. So that's pretty amazing. I'm sure Eric did not expect that. He's, he's I guess, a professional DFS player now, so... There's a reason he won, but still, I'm sure he was pretty shocked. And congrats to him. I'll tell you a bit about Eric Crane and my experience with him. In fact, my last experience with him was him uh, getting nasty with me on Twitter. (laughs) But prior to that, we've gotten along fairly well. So I'll I'll talk a bit about him. Pennsylvania has passed an online poker bill to legalize online poker in their house. It's not legal yet. It has to pass the Senate. We'll talk about whether it has much of a chance of becoming legal in Pennsylvania. And if it does... Will it be a success story or a failure? Speaking of failures, geolocation issues are causing an embar- or they did cause an embarrassing end to party pokers and they're you know affiliated with the Borgata over there. The Party Borgata online tournament series. They had a series going, they had to end it due to geolocation failures, which is pretty bad given how this has been running for a while now. It's not like they just started. Finally, I know you guys like Vegas stories. I know you guys like old Vegas stories. I know you guys like uh, pizza stories that I tell sometimes on here. So how about we combine all this and I tell you an old pizza story from Las Vegas involving me from 1996. Sound good? Well, whether it sounds good or not, I'm going to tell it to you as the last poker gambling Las Vegas topic. General topics we will get into. Donald Trump is back in the race, just as it seemed that his campaign was done for as the Hillary email investigation has been reopened and the FBI let that out. A lot of controversy about that. I will give you my take on that situation. If you're on Facebook, you probably saw on Halloween the statement that you should check in to the Standing Rock protest regarding the oil pipeline on an Indian reservation there. That you should check in there because police are using social media, specifically Facebook, to see who's checking in there to try to target people who are protesting. So there were notices all over Facebook that people were posting that everyone should check in there to confuse the police and prevent them from doing this. Well, you know, on Halloween, the phrase most associated with it is trick or treat. Well, indeed, they got tricked. Yeah, it was uh, was a hoax. A million people or so fell for a hoax 
to check in to the Standing Rock protest to prevent the police from targeting people. This was not, never a threat. This was never going on. The police were not using Facebook to target people checking in. It was all made up. All made up. But amazingly, amazingly, the ones spreading this message, mostly Internet social justice warriors, by the way, are standing behind it because they feel that it did some good. They feel that it uh, had a greater good to it, even if it was a hoax, which I hate. I hate I hate that statement of, uh, yeah, it was a lie. Yeah, we wasted your time, but it, it helped something, so it was good anyway. I'll, I'll tell you how I feel about that. I think you can already tell. We will talk a bit about the Cubs and this World Series, the Baseball World Series. We're going to talk about two World Series tonight. It's confusing, but the Baseball World Series that ended just before this show, the Cubs that have finally ended their drought. I'll review some history the Cubs have had, including the GOAT that you may have heard about from 1945, and how all of that is behind them now, much like the Curse of the Bambino on the Red Sox that they broke in 04. Much like 04, the Cubs came back from a major deficit in the, in the World Series to end up winning. Or not the World Series, they came back in the uh, ALCS, the, the Red Sox did. The Cubs came back in the World Series, but hey, two big comeback series wins. One for uh, the Red Sox back in 04, and this year now the Cubs in 2016 to end the longest professional sports drought of 108 years. So we'll talk about that. Let's see what we can get on here. Tonight, as a co-host, Scott from the East Coast was offering to do it, but he needs to get on Skype. Because I can't do co-hosting with people on the phone. It just sounds lousy. I'm very big on the show having good sound quality. And if it doesn't, then it bothers me. Now, Trader Ruski, he has Skype. But I don't see him. I'm going to try to put him on anyway, but I don't see him on Skype. It's showing he's not here. So I may have to go at it alone. Oh, there, I see he popped on now. There he is. There he is. Let's try it again. Got to get some co-host here. Then we will put on Amanda Stinchcomb. And then we will get going with our interview. The person whom you're oh, trying to please. reach is... All right, well, uh, Trader Ruski, you can call in with Skype when you're ready. Doesn't this always happen to us? Doesn't this always happen? It never goes smoothly. There's always some problem. All right, 775-372-8355 is our phone number and our text number. Here's some texts we got. Uh, Scott from the East Coast said, can I use Skype for my phone? Uh, yeah, the pro- We can try, but it's not that good. It'd be better if you use the computer. The the Skype on the phone is it kind of cuts in and out. We can try. We'll we'll give it a shot if you want. He just asked. Uh, from the two oh four, someone asking, I'm playing the tournament for the first time. Will you okay me? Yeah, I know who you are. You're you're okay. You can play. From the seven one six, Druff, what about the money I added from last week or two weeks ago when I told you to add it seventy five percent to the winner and twenty five percent bounty for Scott? I guess I forgot. I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. You're probably right. I probably just forgot it. So just PM me, Dan Space Druff, or email, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me about that, and we will uh, put that on next week. Someone just texted me right now, like at 10.13, they texted me, what time is the show tomorrow? 
<laughs> this person texts me like every day asking me if we are going to have the show. And then the one night we have the show, he asks what time it's on tomorrow. I'm not even kidding. This guy, like, every day is like, when's the show? When's the show? When's the show? And I'm like, it's not today. It's Wednesday. It's not today. It's Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, he asks what time it's on tomorrow. It's like, I think the guy's screwing with me. It's, I, I don't know. Uh, I see Larry Laffer's offering to do a live call-in from Rig- Wrigleyville, which is the area surrounding uh, Wrigley Field where the Cubs play. Yeah, sure. Why not? Trader Risky, Hello. What's going on, Truff? Well, I'm glad to have a co-host. Uh, I, you watched the baseball game like I did? I sure did. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, you know, this is one of the few that I really wasn't rooting for either team. Uh, some people thought I was bitter at the Cubs for beating the Dodgers, but I, I'm so used to this by now. I'm just I'm so used to the Dodgers just losing either in the first or second round, usually the second. The Dodgers have, have made the playoffs... And not just made the playoffs, they've won the NL West in six of the past nine seasons. So I'm used to them making the playoffs, and then uh, four of those six, they made the NLCS. So uh, of all those, they've never made the World Series in, the, in, the, in that group. They haven't made the World Series in 28 years. So I'm, I'm not bitter at the Cubs. I know they're a very good team, and I knew the Dodgers were the underdog. So the Dodgers lost. They at one point had a lead in the series, but that was that. They didn't choke as much as the Indians did, and... So I really was neutral on this. I I just watched it because it was interesting. Yeah, it was a great game. W- were you rooting for either team? Nah, I really didn't care either. But, uh, you know, it was probably good to see the Cubs win. And since they beat us, you know, probably wouldn't have been good if they, they choked. Yeah, well that, I know there's two schools of thought on that. When when your team loses, like some people say, oh, I, I want that team to lose now as, as like revenge for beating us. And then other people say, well, I want them to get all the way because then it looks more justified that we lost. Uh, it looks like you're saying the second thing. Absolutely. Okay, so let's see here. I, I think you're going to be the only co-host we have for a while, Brandon, I can't really reach. He may pop up. You know how he is. And uh, I don't even know where... Uh, Calwatt is tonight, so I think it's just you and I. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So let's do it. Okay. So first, uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to call up uh, Amanda Stinchcomb, McGrinding Life. Now she was on an episode. Uh, when the hell? Do you remember when she was on? I think was it this year. It was a while ago. Or was it last year? I, I think it was last year. I think it was last year. I'm losing track. I usually remember dates really well, but for some reason I, I can't remember if it was 14 or 15 when she was on. I, I got to figure this out now. It was, uh, yeah, you're right. It was May fi- May twelfth, two thousand fifteen. Okay. I thought for some reason it may have been this World Series, but I guess it wasn't. I think this World Series was kind of quiet for me, as far as I didn't meet that many people. I didn't really. It, it kind of just felt like I just went through it, played it, and not much else happened. So, I I, I kind of forgot almost that it existed. A lot of things I'm remembering, thinking they were this World Series, turned out they were last year, and this is one of those things. This is actually before the World Series, but right before it, May 12, 2015, we had her on. She was 22 years old at the time. Obviously, she's 23 or 24 at this point. This is uh, almost a year and a half ago now. And she had just burst on the scene and was in Las Vegas, was trying to grind out a living there. And, of course, you know what people think when they hear these stories. She, she showed up on 2 Plus 2 and, and just started a thread, saying, you know, basically, here I am, here's my story. And she invited anyone to ask her questions, and she was she was very open about things there. So, whenever you have a young girl 
coming out to Vegas to try to play poker, immediately you think, okay, I, I wonder if she's going to use guys for stakes. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, is she really going to succeed there based upon her her poker skill, or is it going to be based upon uh, her looks or ability to use guys? And you know, is it, or is she just going to fail here and end up having to leave? And you always think these things. I'm not, I'm not talking about her in particular. You just you think about this whenever a girl says, you know, I'm 22 years old, I'm female, I'm just taking a shot at that. Uh, at the poker lifestyle here, I'm coming out to play poker. I'm not talking about like an established pro who's you know, who's had a whole lot of success online. I mean someone who's like pretty unknown that seems fairly new to the scene, even if they've been playing poker from wherever they came from. So, a lot of people took an interest, and, and she, you know she was an attractive girl, so that uh, made people take even more of an interest. We had her on this show to talk about what was going on with her and what she was hoping to accomplish, and. Uh, the potential pitfalls she might have, but now we're a year and a half later, and she's no longer in Las Vegas. And I know a lot of you are shocked, but she's no longer in Las Vegas. She's in Florida now, and she says her life is a lot better, and she wants to tell us what has changed since then. And here's the funniest part. Uh, She was, I forgot how this came up, but she was like right downstairs from like sitting at the bar near where... uh, the tower was that I was staying at the Rio. And uh, so, yeah, she had just been on the show a few weeks ago. So I said, oh, I'll come down and say hello. So I, I came down, and then I see she's, like, talking to some dude there. So I, I didn't even bother to approach. I said, yeah, whatever. I didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know if this was some, some guy who uh, just started hitting on her at the bar, if this is some guy she's dating, but whatever. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to come up and interrupt that. I was just going to come by and say hi. It wasn't important. So, so I just turned around and went back up. So I never ended up meeting her in person. And so I asked her in this round of conversation I just had this past uh, two weeks. I, I mentioned that situation. I said, "Yeah, sorry, we didn't get to meet. I saw you with that guy there, and yeah, you told me later he was your boyfriend, which yeah you know, turned out to be true." Yeah, you know, she told me. I, she told me that next day that was her boyfriend she was talking to. So I said, "Like, are you still with this guy?" And I described what happened there, and she said, "Actually, I don't remember that at all. And in fact, I don't remember very much from Vegas at all because I was drunk most of the time." <laughs> So, so I'm like, yeah, I got to get her back on here now. Now, now I've got to hear what was going on there. If she was, she barely remembers last year in Vegas. I, I understand why she didn't remember almost meeting me, but she said she hardly remembers anything from Vegas. So, I want to get down to the bottom of what happened there, why she's in Florida, uh, why she left Vegas, and you might ask, why do I care? Well, we had her on the show before, and, and I want an update because so much has changed. And I want to see if the stereotype of what people would believe will happen to a young girl who comes out to play poker in Vegas uh, came true in this case. I will tell you, she seems a lot happier where she is right now. It seems like her life is doing better now. So, we'll see if we can put her on here. And of course, you know, on this show, nothing ever comes easy. You know, Trader Ruski, I, I have this saying when I win a pot, usually I get in limit hold'em where a scare card hits the river and I'm sure I'm screwed, like a flush card hits or a straight card hits and I'm sure I'm dead. And I check and then they check and I win. And what I say, sometimes out loud, sometimes I say it to myself is, wow, even when I win, I run bad. Because like I, I feel like even when I've won, it, I, I had like a, a very stressful moment where I thought I lost or where I lost that on value. I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's how I feel with this show sometimes. Uh, she was all ready to come on, and she's been looking forward to coming on here for like two weeks. So uh, I was all ready to have her on here. 
and she said, I might have a family emergency. We got this uh, 40 minutes ago. I might have a family emergency. Uh, my mom called, and she has supposed to call me back, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, no. Like I, I've been promoting she's going to be on the show, and now she had a family emergency like in the middle of the night. Because she's, she's in Florida. It's like it's, it's almost 2 in the morning here. What's the chance that her mom's going to have a family emergency? I mean, it, I, I feel bad for whatever's happening with her mom. I'm not saying that uh, I'd rather – I'm not saying she should give the show priority over being with her mom. But it's just our luck here. Like, like, what's the chance that someone who's all ready to come on at, like, 1 a.m. their time is then not going to be able to do it when, at, at 1.40 their time? Okay, let's just call her. Let's call her up here. Let's see. No, hold on. I'm actually back to using an old Skype, so I've got to get used to the... Uh, here we go. Getting reused to the old interface. See if we can reach her. Jeez. Really? We run so bad here. Your call is. That is frustrating. <laughs> she said to call. That's why I. That's why I like gave it this whole intro. I just tried to call. I bet she fell asleep or something. I mean, in her defense, yeah, she said she normally goes. Late. Yeah, she normally says she goes to sleep about midnight her time, and we're almost two hours past that. So, but she was like half an hour. She was already. I guess I shouldn't have rambled with this intro for so long. That's my. Th- this is like my comeuppance for making the intro too long. For those of you that hate the long intro and wish that I would suffer for it, you just saw me suffer. Okay, we're, we're going to skip this for now. Uh, we'll try her in a little bit, and then we'll give up and table this the next week. What a joke. All righty. The World Series of Poker main event is over. There will be no world series i mean there will be uh, circuit events and i guess the world series europe or whatever else they hold uh, in between but the regular world series is done what's normally the november nine i i think runs early because it's an election year i think every four years it starts early because they don't want it interfering with the election that's what i heard I, I i don't have official confirmation on that but anyway it was the october nine because it started on october 30th and this is where they pause the final table. Right when they get to the final nine, they pause it, wait a few months, and then start up again, which I always thought was stupid. And it creates like a break in the momentum. They should just do it straight through. Or if they really want a break, give a break of like a few days and then do it. But this is the way they've been doing it for several years now. And also leading up to that, there was TV coverage of the final few tables leading up to the final nine. So things that happened months ago, a lot of this we were only seeing for the first time now. Like we, we knew the results. We knew who the final nine were back in July, but we didn't watch all the drama that unfolded at the table to get there. I, mean, I guess people read some updates about it and knew some things, but you, you don't really get a, a true idea about this until you see it happen on TV. And we had the person on this show who was most notable on TV this year, and that was William Kasuf. 
He is a British guy who talks and talks and talks every hand you're in with him, both to try to tilt you and to try to get a read on you and to try to trick you into making the wrong decision. And he really rubs people the wrong way, also because he takes a long time in each hand. And so people were getting increasingly irritated with him. There was a hand showed with him and a woman named Stacy Madison that we talked about a few weeks ago. And that episode had just aired. But at that time, we hadn't seen the other episodes that were airing that also had plenty of controversy. So I'm not going to talk again about all the stuff that uh, went on before. But I want to talk about the now infamous William Kasuf and Griffin Benger hand. Or Benger. I don't know. How do you say his name? Benger or Benger? I think it's Benger. Okay, ben- Griffin Benger, who's from Toronto. William Kasuf being from the UK. Uh, Griffin Benger is definitely white, and you'll see why this matters shortly. William Kasuf, I, I think he's white. Someone told me they think he's like half Asian. What do you think? I don't see any Asian. Yeah, I, I didn't either. When someone's like, oh, yeah, I think he's half Asian. I'm like, really? I, I didn't really see that. But we're just going to assume he's white here. Now, there's a reason I'm talking about this. There's a reason that it matters, the race here. So we have two white, I assume, heterosexual males. And when you have that dynamic, when you have two white males who are uh, heterosexual, there's nothing about them that can be seen as like being part of a victim class. Uh, you wouldn't think that any of that kind of social justice warrior, uh, check your privilege type stuff would come up at the table. But it's just one white guy against another. Like you, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't see that. But it did. <laughs> Somehow it did. And I'm going to play this uh, cringeworthy exchange here, which I should have had ready, but of course I never do because we uh, produce the show during the show. Where is this here? Um, how did I lose this? Here we are. So I'm going to play this exchange they had. William Kasuf and Griffin Banger. Now keep in mind, this is the final hand for William Kasuf. It uh, this is where he busts seventeenth in the main event, but a lot of drama in this one. So let me get to this here. No. You, you usually it. have a good hand. I fast forward you this to the right point. Which I should with. have done before the show, but I didn't. Or that. <laughs> That bracelet continues to loom large. Here as we go. Does the $8 million for first place. The three players most in danger of missing the November 9 fund. Josh Weiss, Mike Davinsky, and Jared Blesnick. Back to action now. Griffin. It's funny. All three of them did miss the November 9. The, the three they just mentioned. Benger under the gun. Two black aces for the man from Queen City, Hogtown, T-Dot, the six. Anything else? The big smoke. Toronto, Canada. He's going to raise it up. So, so Banger wakes up with aces, I think, under the gun. 875. Griffin is 31 years old. He just feels 32 or 33 to me. Lucas <laughs> Oh, my. Two black kings. Big hand at the wrong time. So this is a disaster for Kasuf. He is, uh, there's 17 people left. He's got kings. Banger raises under the gun with black aces. Kasuf's got black kings. So spot you do not want to be in, especially with only 17 left in the main event. So obviously it's going to get in here, but listen to how it gets in. And we now will wait for Will Kasuf because 
This is his time. I feel like in waiting. his defense, he also does this with nine deuce. So that's the thing. He he did, he's doing a lot of tanking there, and he's doing this because he wants it all to look the same. He wants uh, he wants to tank with the kings, even though he knows what he's doing. Just just like he tanks with uh, weak hands, so he doesn't give anything away, which makes sense. But it does get annoying to play with a player who's always stalling. And everyone will wait with him. Benger with a bigger stack by six million. Will's putting that number into his equation on what to do next. He's probably thinking whether he wants to go all in or just re-raise him. metronome, though, with the shuffling of the chips. It is impressive. But he's probably already decided a while ago what to do. Kasuf in middle position. So now he raises. And he re-raises to 2.3 million. When you've got pocket aces and someone raises, it might be the best feeling in poker. Boy, re-raise sounds better than the Canadian National Anthem to Benger right now. Long fold, so back to Benger with the aces. Not to find him where I am. I think I'm ahead of the moment. I think he needs to get lucky. I don't know if you're as good lucky as Gordon. No shame in passing. Well, the best sound of the month. I'll you to call by now. So I must have you beat, right? So, so Benger is just... Uh, is it Benger? I can't forget. Is it Benger or Benger? <laughs> I kind of forgot this again. I think it's Benger. Oh, Benger. Okay, I'm going to remember it this time. So Benger is just sitting there stone-faced. He's just sitting here stone-faced as Kasuf's trying to get a read on him by talking to him. Oh, I think I have the best hand. I think I gotta get. I think you got to get lucky. Blah, 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 blah. And he really does think he has the best hand with Kings. He has no idea he's up against aces. But uh, Benger does not want to give away anything. He wants to induce every chip out of that stack, which makes sense. You know, if, they, if there's a guy who talks a lot and is good at reading people from their reactions to his talking, the best thing to do is just stay so stone-faced and don't give him any kind of clue. So I, I don't fault Benger for that. So he's just sitting there. But unknown to us, as he was sitting there, he's seething inside. A volcano is about to explode. It's building up. I, when I'm watching this at first, I'm thinking, oh, wow, this guy is pretty much under control. He's, he's not letting uh, Kasuf rattle him. He's not playing his game. He's not uh, responding to him. He's just sitting stone-faced, like, blah, blah, blah. You, you say what you want. I'm tuning all this out. And I'm like, wow, I was kind of impressed. But I didn't realize that the volcano was heating up under there and was about to burst. Look, it's all there. Heads up. Don't be shy. Still sitting stone-faced. Call the fox watching at home. At least crack a smile. He's telling at least crack a smile because he's just sitting there. No expression. Oh, incoming. Really? So now he's going to re-raise. Oh. Just a Hollywood, right? How many miles from here to Hollywood, do you know? It's like 230 miles something from here to Hollywood. Do we know? How many miles from here to Hollywood? Haven't we heard his Hollywood routine before? Two shows nightly. There it comes. And there's a four bet to 5.6 million. Back at you, Will. How much? 5.6. 5.6? Find out where you are. So I'll take it. If I ship it, you're not passing it. 5.6 total. 
Kasuf has built his whole image for this moment. Talk a big game, then show up with the goods, except he's crushed. It's a month past Griffin's birthday, but he has to feel like it's right now. Well, this could be the one, then. This could be the one. Have you got me covered, or have I got you covered? Do you know? Can you count? He's trying to get anything out of him, trying to get him to say anything. He's even asking, like, do you have me covered, or do I have you covered? Bender is still sitting there stone-faced. So, so far, so good. So far, he's doing the right thing. So far, he, want, he wants to give no information and let Kasuf just put them all in. Have you got me covered, or? Can you tell me? Okay, how, how much you plan in total? How much you have at the start of the hand? Benger takes the fifth. Can you all say? He's over 15. He's 17, 18, at least. That's Gordon Vio. Uh, that's Gordon Vio who ended up finishing second, uh, giving the update there. Spokesman Gordon Vio confirms Griffin's chip count. And there's the Kasuf trademarked repeat. It's one of these coolers again, really, back to back. You got it, you got it, right? Oh, big hand here, don't think I got past. Oh, you got me base, you got me base, poker, isn't it? I can't call, it's either all in or pass. What do you want me to do? <laughs> He's trying to ask Benjamin. All in or fold? What do you want me to do? All in or fold? He's trying to ask him. Still in, no response still. They might have to ship it, yeah. Go right ahead, Will. You ship it, it's a shipwreck. You want to gamble? I'm not here to loud, I'm here to win it. I'm not loudering. Play for the win, right? You doing the same? Or are you going to wait for the next page jump at 15? <laughs> it, just, it just never ends. Like, he's going on and on. So, he, Bender, as calm and cool and collected as he looks, it's about to be done. 90K is 90K, right? That's the main event for the next nine years. Griffin looks like he'd just as soon get on with it. Clock. I think I'm after. You're just an abusive person, man. It's not. It's not funny. Here we go. So, so what happened is the clock got called by somebody else at the table, and right then, that somehow brought out Benger to lecture. It's not. It's not a abusive? game. Why, why you're, you're being abusive to me. How am I being abusive? You're being abusive. It's called verbal abuse. What, what you're it? doing to me what? is verbal abuse. You're not even gaining any what? information. He's what not you're doing to you. is verbal abuse. Why you're is a bully. Abuse? It's rude. It's mean. It's called speech play. It's not about. I'm no, it's not up. called speech play. It's called being a bad person. You should How's really check person? yourself. Why? Why check your privilege. It's called speech play. Check your privilege. I'm trying to get information. Whoa! Check your privilege. What? What? So. First of all, I don't even agree. He's not being abusive there. He's being annoying. He's not being abusive. He's not saying, you know, like, hey, you suck. You know, there's, there's no way you're going to go over the top on me because you're terrible. You're awful at poker. You're ugly. Like, he's not saying that. He's just going on. He's just rattling on stupidity about, uh, you know, who has the other beat at the moment. It's not abusive. It wasn't. It, it was annoying. It was wasting time. It, it, it probably got on his nerves. It was not abusive. And, but... Check your privilege, for those of you that don't know. Check your privilege is a stupid statement that politically correct people who are known today as social justice warriors say in order to make white people, especially white heterosexual males, feel guilty. What that means is that you were born with some sort of privilege due to your race, your gender, your sexual preference being in the mainstream, and therefore... You should walk around always feeling guilty about that. 
So I should walk around checking my privilege. I should always say, I feel guilty for being born white, male, and straight. And I, I was born white, male, and straight. That's true. And I won't even deny it. In some cases, uh, I have had probably some advantages for that being the case. But you don't walk around feeling guilty about it. You don't, uh, it it's ridiculous to tell someone, check your privilege. Uh, that's Everybody is born into different situations. Some people are born into a rich family. Some people are born into a middle-class family. Some people are born into a poor family. Some people are born into a first-world country. Some people are born into a third-world country. Uh, some people are born healthy. Some people are born uh, sick or handicapped. Some people are born physically attractive. Some people are born ugly. Some people are born smart. Some people are born dub. Some people are born average. Th- there are so many different situations you can be born into, both in... Uh, what, what your makeup is and what your situation you're born to is. And you had no control over these things. But that's just where you are. There's, there's no way, no way on this earth that every person of the 7 billion people on earth could be born into the identical situation with a, the identical advantages and disadvantages where our success and failure is only dictated by what we do. There's no way. People will always be born with certain advantages now, you can try to seek to do away with certain advantages that are unfair. If there's uh, racism, you can try to do away with that. If there's uh, sexism or homophobia, you can try to do away with that. I, th- I think that's great. But, but uh, one should not feel guilty because they were born a certain color, a certain uh, sexual preference, a certain gender that is seen as being uh, more privileged than the other. You shouldn't. But there, but there are people out there who, who want you to walk around feeling guilty about this. And in fact, they want you to keep that in mind. If somebody who is not white, male, or heterosexual is doing something wrong, that you should just give them a pass. Because that's checking your privilege. That's saying, well, I'm privileged, so they can do this. They can do this because uh, they weren't born white like I was. And that's stupid. That That's... That's exactly what they should be fighting against. Everybody should be judged on their actions. Nobody's actions should be excused because of the color of their skin. That's exactly what we're trying to fight against. But the weird thing is here, if you want to put all that aside, is that these are two white guys going at it. It's not a black guy saying to the white guy, check your privilege, which still would be stupid here. That doesn't matter at the poker table. One place this does not matter is poker. In poker, none of this matters. In poker, all that matters is the cards you get, and how good you are. That's it. It doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what age you are. It uh, doesn't matter what sexual preference you are. All that matters is how good you are at poker and the cards you're dealt. So that, that's why would you ever tell someone check your privilege at the poker table? Especially, uh, we're not even talking about like a poor guy versus a rich guy. These are two guys here who are already guaranteed like a minimum of 400 something thousand dollars. And, and each competing to win over $8 million. So, <laughs> check your privilege is such a weird thing for one white guy who is guaranteed 400 something k to another. Especially because none of the Kasuf's speech has anything to do with, with anything having to do with race or sexual preference or uh, gender, none of that stuff. It's two white guys talking about poker together. 
So why check your privilege? And I think what this is, it's it's like almost like a weird muscle memory. You know, you know, like a muscle muscle memory is where your brain gets used to certain actions and even things that can be hard to do. Once you learn, uh, you can do it almost with your eyes closed, even really difficult things. Whereas if you do it the first time, it'll be very tough. That, that's what muscle memory is. So this isn't actual muscle memory because this is verbal, but I, I'm describing it like muscle memory that I'm guessing, I don't know much about Griffin Benger, but I did take a look at his Twitter feed prior to this, and I saw a lot of other like social justice warrior type stuff on his Twitter feed. So he's probably so used to saying check your privilege to people. That is this just blurted out? Like I think he probably gets in arguments with people about these political matters that are dear to his heart, and then when he's arguing with someone on the other side, is so used to saying to the white heterosexual male he's arguing with, "Check your privilege." You know, because they're arguing about some sort of political or social matter, you know, dealing with race or sexual preference or whatever. So here it just blurts out because he's probably so used to going to that when he's arguing with someone. But it comes off really ridiculous here. Really ridiculous. Why would you ever tell him check your privilege at this point? It, it makes no sense. Even if you don't mind the phrase check your privilege, it makes absolute no sense in this context. It's it verbal just, abuse. You're a bully. Abuse? It's rude. It's mean. It's called speech play. It's not about, no, it's not up. called speech play. It's called being a bad person. You should How's really check person? yourself. Why? Why check your privilege. It's called speech play. Check your privilege. I'm trying to get information. Check your privilege. You're a rude person. I'm not a rude person. You're a rude person. It's verbal abuse. This is what it feels like. See, now you look at, he's not your daddy. He's not going to help you. Stop. No one is going to help you. You don't need to go no one is going to help you. Just the bet is five point six million chips. Five point six. That is what the bet is. Five point chips. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. I'm trying yeah. to get information yeah. from no, you. No, you're verbally abusing me. It's not verbal abuse. Yes, it is. Ask anyone else here. Okay. Your word against okay. theirs. You want to gamble? Okay, I'm all in. I call. Now, okay. So, so he went all in anyway, Kasuf, just because he has aces against kings. So great. But this was also stupid on Benger's part because he was doing great keeping his mouth shut. All he's doing here is possibly giving off tells. When he's tilting off like that, you think he wouldn't do this, at least I would think this, if he had a weaker hand. Let's say he had jacks, or let's say he had queens. I'm not sure he would do this if he wasn't sitting so confident. I think he made this whole speech because he had the confidence, I've got aces, so now I can just go off on him. Where if if you've got less than that, you're terrified that... uh, yeah, you may give away a tell and the guy's going to come over on you. That you're going to give away your weak. I think people are more afraid to give away their weak than give away their strong. So what do you think about trader risk? Do you think that uh, it was smart to go off of this whole speech uh, before they're both all in? Well, he got him to call, so it obviously works. And I don't know if he's laying down kings against... Uh, I don't know if he's laying down kings anyway. He probably didn't with that stack. That's what I'm saying. I think it was, on, I think it was, it was destined to get in no matter what. That's what I think. Right. But I just, you know, but I, I didn't know, you know, how check your privilege was used in the whole speech you gave a few minutes ago. You know, I think what he was saying is this guy for fucking days has taken up everybody's time with his nonsense and his bullshit. Like he's the only person in that room taking minutes to fold seven deuce and all these other things. And I, I, that's kind of what I got out of it. Not knowing the background of check your privilege with the social justice warriors. Yeah, well, so I don't mind the fact that Benger was angry at him or, or, or even uh, 
went off on him for his behavior up till then. As you said, it wasn't just that hand. He was a time waster. He was stalling. He was annoying everybody. And I played cash games. There's not not with uh, William Kasu, but I, I played with this one guy at the Bellagio before. This Asian guy who, it, whenever people see him coming to the game, they groan because he's. He's kind of okay, you know. He's not a great player. He's not a bad player. He's kind of okay, but he's not someone you really want in the game or don't want. He's just kind of there. But he stalls, and everything, every hand's a speech, and everything moves so slow. And in limit hold'em, everything's fast. It's not like no limit where it's tank, 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 tank. Every, limit hold'em is a fast game, so it's very annoying at limit hold'em to have someone who's just stalling and talking every hand. So everyone gets so mad at this guy, and and I I agree. I get frustrated when he's there too. So, I can understand at the main event, where if you have someone who's just talking, 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 stalling, 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 that it's unnerving to have them there. And not just from a a game theory standpoint, but just it's unnerving. You just don't like having him there. It's unpleasant. He's making the whole thing unpleasant. So, I can understand people laying into him for that, and for that he deserves it. I just thought the whole speech was weird. I, I don't. I don't well, know. Right, this. but but also too. I mean, I think you know, you can't really cuss at him because you're going to get a penalty. So I don't know if he had a whole speech planned, and I'm sure a lot of it was just after hours and hours of just aggravation of dealing with this guy that he just you know. Yeah, it was also whatever came to mind. Like I didn't agree with any of the speech, though. Like I, I I agree with the concept behind it that he's annoyed with him and that he's been annoying everybody. Yeah, I mean, and, being abusive, I don't know where that. Yeah, comes. abusive. He's a bad person, being like an a, asshole. Yeah, I, I don't think probably more appropriate. Yeah, see, I don't think Kasuf is a bad person. I don't think he's abusive. I, I don't think he needs to check his privilege. I don't think any of that is true. I think a, a proper speech there would have been. Every hand you waste so much time, every hand you annoy everybody intentionally, it's getting frustrating to play with you, nobody likes having you at the table, you make it unpleasant here. Right, uh, but Druff, that's not something you're saying in the heat of the moment. You know, and that could be a good thing we think of after the fact, but, you know. And I agree, being abusive, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of other words he wanted to use that might have gotten him a penalty, so I'm sure... He was just venting his frustration and didn't use... I mean, as far as being abusive, I think he was abusing the whole game. Well, yeah, he, he was... For he, what went on and on for days. He, he, he was, was being just very difficult. TV he, he, no, he was he was being difficult for sure. And uh, what's what's also weird is that ben, Benjer looked legitimately angry, which I'll tell you, if even if this guy is just really, really, really frustrating me, if I've got it now where I've got aces and he's got something strong, Pre-flop, I, I I really am doing the happy dance in my mind. I I, I can't. I probably can't get angry right there. I, I probably for that moment am not going to get angry. Like nothing's going to get me angry at that point when I've got aces and I think someone's going to get a whole lot of chips against me. Uh, it, if it were the other way around, then I, I could get more angry. If I just lost a hand, I get more angry. If I took a bad beat, I get really angry. But I'm surprised he even could channel that anger at that point. Sh- shouldn't he? Be sitting there like thrilled that this they're in this spot. And I don't. I don't think he was Hollywooding this anger because it really looked like this was just building up, and and he just blurted out these things. No, I'm sure he was, but I, you know, but also too with the editing, we don't know what happened the last hand or three hands before that. So I agree. I mean, you know, you get it in aces versus kings. You that's what you go for in the main event with seventeen people left. I mean, right. and and, and, de- and de- decent stacks, not like tiny stacks here. So like I, 
I would be ecstatic, at least for the moment, at least until I get bad beat, but I would be ecstatic in this spot. Uh, I, I know, knowing my luck, I'm probably going to get two outed, but still, uh, for the moment, I would be ecstatic to be in this situation, and any anger I have towards that person would probably be put on hold just because I'm so happy. I, I, what I'd be seeing in my head at that point is, oh my God, I'm about to win a whole lot of chips. Wow, what if I win the whole main event? Why wouldn't that be awesome? Wow, I've been waiting for this the whole tournament. It's happening now. Wow, this is great. Like, this, would be, this would be in my head. I, it would hard for me, be hard for me to get angry at that point. So I'll No, see. I hear you. So the amount of frustration, I mean, that's why you think you know that things that went up onto that point must have just pushed him over the edge. Yeah, it's strange. So he, the Internet uh, did not react to Griffin Benger very well, especially the check your privilege. And the reason the check your privilege really got everyone angry is there's a big backlash these days against the social justice warriors uh, because a lot of them are just very, very obnoxious, and they they really try to find any way they can to claim that uh, racism is occurring, sexism is occurring, uh, homophobia is occurring, Islamophobia is occurring. They're looking for any little indication that these things are occurring, often when they're not. I mean, these, these are the ones who are putting out all these notices on Halloween. I, I don't think Griffin Bender did this, but they, they put out all these notices on Halloween of costumes you're not allowed to wear because it's uh, cultural appropriation. Just obnoxious crap like that, that... Uh, just really get people angry because it's it's, it's got like a high and mighty. Uh, I'm more enlightened than you are. I'm more sensitive than you are, and I know what's appropriate. and You don't. You're just uh, uh, you're just a rude idiot who offends everyone and doesn't realize it. I, I'm the smart person who's going to tell you how uh, you're actually victimizing everyone. And you don't realize it when you put on a Halloween costume. You're victimizing someone, and you need to know that. And you need to think like I do. Or I'm going to call you a racist or, or something else. And it, it really gets on people's nerves. And these people have taken this to outrageous levels. And you, you can go on, on YouTube and watch some videos of these social justice warriors or, or read different stories about them. And it's, it's really infuriating to read this stuff. And most of this is on college campuses. Right. The Yale, isn't that what the Yale professor and his wife? Oh yeah, yeah. That was that. That was that a really was obnoxious. Over Halloween costumes last right, year. Right, right. That was a year ago. Right. They, that was a really outrageous situation where Yale put out some uh, strong suggestions about what people shouldn't wear for Halloween. Just again saying, "Oh, don't re- you know, don't wear this. It could offend this culture. Don't wear that. It could offend that culture." And they had this big list of things you shouldn't wear. So a, a pro- uh, professor wrote an editorial, a very maturely worded non-inflammatory editorial. I mean, it really was very softly put. It was not uh, something written to get everyone mad. It was the person, they tried as hard as they could to put this in a delicate manner. And they were saying, we respectfully disagree, and here's why. You know, basically, they said, we're, we're all adults here in college. Everyone should have the right to make their own choice about what they wear. Everyone should consider, you know, is this really offensive or is it not? And if you don't personally think it's offensive, then uh, go ahead and wear what you want. And, uh, and you know, and, and if there's some consequence for it, if they make the wrong decision, let them learn from that. But don't don't tell adults, don't wear this, don't wear that. It's uh, um, you know, we shouldn't be telling students uh, what to do in this way. That that was basically the gist of what that professor wrote. So that was their opinion, whether you agree or not. But it was a very very respectfully put and soft spoken letter. And oh my God, you would not believe the outrage, the outrage. That occurred both to this professor and, and I think it was a female professor who wrote it. It's a husband and wife who were both professors there living on campus. And in fact, they were like advisors to a dorm there. And 
these students would surround them, shout at them, uh, demand they resign, demand the school fired them, just because they expressed an opinion and that was different. So, and it's so outrageous that they caved to them. They, that loudmouth bitch that was the, I don't know if you saw any of the films. Oh, I saw them, coverage. yeah. Yeah, I did. They should have grabbed all those students, kicked them the fuck out. I mean, it was a joke. Yeah, the students harassed them. caved into them, and now they're just screwed. Yeah, and, and the, uh, these professors, they, they, they tried as hard as they could to keep their cool. They tried as hard as they, and they did. They kept their cool. They, they treated everyone respectfully. Even when they're being yelled at and screamed at, they tried to answer respectfully. They did everything right and and the students didn't give a crap they got abused by the students and, and then the school uh, took the side of the students it was disgusting so that, that's that's the reason there's a backlash against the social justice warriors is things like that because that's not an uncommon occurrence that's not an uncommon occurrence they, and there's so many ridiculous new concepts now that weren't there when when you know back when I was in college uh, safe spaces where uh, groups that consider themselves oppressed in some way want a space where only people like them can go to be away from what they consider the oppressors. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Black Lives Matter, they want to have a safe space where only black people can go. Well, that, that reminds me of segregation. I, I thought we did away with that a long time ago. There shouldn't be any safe spaces from anyone. Uh, everyone should be integrated together. That's the whole point. That's where, we're, that's where we were trying to get 50 years ago with the civil rights movement, and now it's going back the other way. But the funny thing is it's coming from the left this time. <laughs> that uh, it, It's crazy. So there's a lot of backlash against the social justice warrior movement and i'm very very against it and that's why people who don't like this stuff they they see griffin benger saying check your privilege and they go oh my god this is you know he's one of them and he's saying it at a time it makes no sense too he just he just blurts it out whenever he feels stressed out so uh, a lot of people were very anti-griffin benger and, and rooting against him for the final table he ended up finishing seventh he wasn't one of the big stacks, so it's not surprising that he finished seventh. He didn't really choke or anything. He just didn't have many chips, so he finished near the bottom. Uh, you know, now of course this year the final table was guaranteed a minimum of one million dollars. So he didn't do badly. Kasuf went out winning four hundred something. Uh, Griffin Bender got, ended up getting more than double that. In fact, I think almost triple. But. Uh, he didn't get the $8 million in the first place, which I'm sure that's what you're thinking about when you make the final table. You don't think, oh, well, I've made a million, that's great. I, I'm, you, you're happy you made a million, but you, now you're looking at the huge prize. So he finished seventh. So, so that happened. And, uh, and then came last night. The final table started on October 30th. The chip leader was Cliff Josephy, John, known as Johnny Bax. He's been around online poker for a long time. He was the oldest one at the final table at 50. The second oldest at the final table was 39-year-old Kui Wen. That always gets me when I see the age in these final tables. Because the last, I, I think, like nine years, I would have been oldest at the table had I been there. I think just about every year except this past one. Maybe one other, and I think one other year I would have been like second oldest. But I look at that, I go, "Crap! What what happened to my generation here? We we can't beat the kids in poker. Like, why why is it never, almost never? Why is almost never someone making the the final table these days who's over thirty five or over forty? But uh, this year we got two over thirty five, and they were the top two in chips. So this has almost seemed like the the year of the older guy. And Cliff Joseph he ended up finishing third, and Kui Wen was the winner. But it came down between him and Gordon Veo, who's 27 years old from San Francisco. 
And I, I know he's an online player. I know that he's uh, a professional tournament player. And he he had a good reputation as a good player. And you'd expect a 27-year-old internet player who has a good reputation playing tournaments, you'd think he's going to be very tough. And Kui Wen, for everything he did right, he's still an amateur. And sometimes you could tell watching him that he was an amateur. Not that he played that badly. I'm just saying that you, you could tell he wasn't... Uh, in my opinion, at least, he wasn't as tough as, as many other of these uh, really good internet players that you see that make the final table these days. Uh, if I had to pick someone to play heads up of winners of the main event in like the last eight, nine years, I'd probably, I probably would want to play him. Because uh, everybody else I saw play heads up at the main event final table for you know, the last, as I said, eight, nine years, uh, looked pretty damn tough. Kui Wen, I, I saw a number of holes in his game. He wasn't terrible, but he was. Uh, I saw some holes in his game. But he was still by far the better of the two, which was really surprising. Everyone was shocked that Gordon Veo, who made it down to the final two in the World Series of Poker main event, who got coaching from Tom Marchese, who's a very respected player, uh, that Gordon Veo himself was a somewhat respected player. I turned it on. I'll admit I wasn't watching the whole time. But I, I turned it on at some point when uh, uh, it was heads up and Kui Wen had a pretty good lead. But I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was seeing such passiveness on the part of Gordon Veo and so much limping pre-flop by both that shocked me. And you'd see a lot of flops that clearly probably missed both people. Like they both limp pre and the board's king 6-6, six, six, rainbow. But okay. Very unlikely someone hit that. So Gordon Veo never took a stab at this. And a lot of times on flops like that, we go check-check, which is, that's, un- that's understandable. Sometimes People will call like any two, especially in position on a flop like that, thinking that it's just being bluffed at. But after it goes check, check, take a stab at it on the turn. I, I would take a stab at it on the flop usually. But, but if not, at least take a stab on, the, stab on the turn sometimes. If you don't want to do it every time, that's fine, because eventually your, your opponent will pick up on it and raise you. Uh, or, or maybe even call you down or, or pull other tricks on you. But Gordon Veo never tried to grab those. He was just he was just super passive. Uh, he was uh, rarely raising preflop. He was rarely bluffing. And the funny thing is, the one time I saw him run a bluff, it worked. I saw him run a three barrel bluff with queen, queen six offsuit, where he totally missed the board. He bet the flop in position, bet the turn in position, bet the river in position. Still had queen high, and. Wynn thought about it, but had only a pair of nines with like ace-king on the board, and he folded. So, you think the one time he runs the triple-barrel bluff and it works and he wins a nice pot, you think that would kind of spur him into trying this more. But no, the, the rest of the time, he was very, very passive and the internet couldn't believe it. The internet was like, this is, they're basically saying this is one of the worst performances we've seen. Heads up, Gordon Vale. No one could understand it. Now, he was there for a very long time, I think this final table ended up going like, what, 19 hours or something? So it was a very, very long day. Very, very long heads-up match. And it's the stress of trying to win the World Series of Poker main event, which is it's got to be the most stressful situation there can be. 
So I can understand people aren't playing their A game or might be worn down or worn out. But this was just strange. He, he was just really, really, really passive. And it's to the point that people are watching at home going, crap, I wish I was there. I, I wish I was there trying to play Kui Win there. I, I wish I was uh, Kui Win trying to play him. Like sometimes you're watching uh, people play the final table at the main event and you're thinking, wow, these are a lot of good players. Well, if I was here, I bet I'd have a hard time with these people. Uh, this time I felt like, wow, these, uh, you know, Gordon Veo is playing like a complete fish and Kui Win, he's playing a lot better than him, but I, I, I think I could easily manage him too. I, I kind of felt watching these two that I, I would be a good favorite against either of them heads up the way each were playing. Unless, unless you know, they weren't to play the same style. But the, the way they were both playing, I felt that uh, that neither of them were playing that well, but that Gordon Vale was really playing poorly. And, and he was just uh, pretty much giving it away. He was pretty much just calling everything, just hoping to hit, and then, and then at that point he'd go in. And uh, I felt Kui Wen was making a mistake and that he was letting him hang around too long. Kui-Wen was limping way too much pre-flop. He wasn't putting the pressure on. Uh, he was taking some stabs at these flops they both missed, but a lot of times he's checking behind. He was playing too safe. He wasn't putting the pressure on an opponent who's very passive. The great thing about a short-stacked opponent who's very passive is that he's going to let you run him over. He's going to let you grind him down. And then by the time he probably does make a move on you because he really hits something, he doesn't have many chips and can't double up that much anyway. So that's why you've got to put the pressure on a short stack who isn't going to be that aggressive. The, the short stack you've got to be more careful with is the one who's going to liberally go all in to either make you fold or just because they want to try to race it out with something and, and get some chips. And they, there you've got to make some tough decisions. You know, you, you raise on the button with Jack-10 offs you, for example, and the guy uh, re-raises you. Well, what do you do in no limit? That, that can be tough. It can be very tough with a hand like Jack-10. But if there's a guy who's not re-raising you unless he's got the goods... There's a guy who's folding every time he misses. You can just keep running him off hands when he when he misses. Why not just be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive? Now, yeah, if he hits a run of cards, then, then you're in trouble. But the the problem for Kui Wen is if uh, he, he let him hang around too long. And in fact, at one point, they, they both got it in with a pair of queens. But then Veo made a backdoor flush and doubled up to over $100 million. So it was like, like low twos to 110. Well, there was only like a two to one lead at that point. So there, all Gordon Veo had to do is is get two more coolers like this over on uh, on on Kui Wen, and he would have won it. Which isn't all that hard. Heads up to get two coolers like that. I mean, the blinds are so big. You 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 both flop top pair, or you have two pair against his top pair. You're going to get it in. So that could have easily happened. Now, it didn't happen because uh, they were just both missing a whole lot of hands last night. There's people who were not connecting with a flop last night for that long match. But uh, I, I felt that Kui Wen let him hang around too long. That was his mistake. But at least he was doing some other things right, and he ended up winning. But uh, Gordon Veo, I just watched it. I go, how did he get here? How did he get to be the second in second place here? So, uh, what did you think? Did you watch this last night? I watched, um, yeah, I think I watched maybe till like 1, 12.30 or 1, and then I watched, then I recorded it and watched, kind of sped through it this morning. But you're right, Joff. I mean, strange was the exact word I would use to describe it. He just, 
it was just so strange. You know, I thought Kui Win didn't play bad. He seemed to be more aggressive. He was pushing him and having him make decisions. But there was just no pushback. And then when he got to the two to one chip lead, when Veo got over a hundred that hundred million, I don't he I then he just kept going back to the way he had been playing and then just whittled it right back down. It was just weird. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't like I didn't see – I guess I turned it on right after Kui Win had run a f- few uh, brave bluffs that worked out on uh, against Veo. I didn't see those, but I heard he was doing it. But from the point I turned it on, Kui Win was not pushing that hard. It wasn't like he was just relentless with raise, 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 and Veo's just getting nothing, nothing, nothing as he folding, folding, folding. That's a tough spot to be in. I've, I've had to argue with people before. I, I haven't been in these heads-up situations, but I've been in World Series tournaments where I'm just absolutely card dead, and I get blinded down. And then I finally get it in when I'm short stacked and I lose. People go, well, why didn't you push in earlier? Why weren't you, you know, making some moves? And I'm like, look, it's a nine-handed table. It's raise, re-raise in front of me. I look down and see Jack-3 offsuit. What, I was supposed to push at that point? Like, you know, there, there just weren't many opportunities to push where I wasn't crushed. So, like, I, I try to explain that to people and they, they, they doubt me when I say things like that. So, but if, you know, in heads up, if you're against a very aggressive opponent and you're just getting trash every time, uh, it's very tough to know what to do. Especially in a spot like the World Series of Poker main event uh, final table, you know, main event there, uh, final two. So I could understand that more. But uh, Kui Wen was not putting the pressure on that much. He's limping pre, checking back a lot on the flop. There's a lot of pots that were like just the minimum, literally the minimum once they see the flop. Of yeah, I mean earlier he, I think earlier he was. You probably missed. That. Yeah, I probably missed that then part. When he got to like 210 million, he, he seemed to. Slow down a little bit. So that's, yeah, that's why I wasn't understanding. They put, they put some pressure on Veo. Just to put put some pressure on the guy now. Now that he's, uh, I, I understood Veo limping more himself because when you're short stacked, you, you don't want to commit yourself, uh, you know, with a mediocre hand or worse than mediocre hand. Get called and then flop like bottom pair. And now now what do you do? Now, now you've pocketed yourself to pretty much go all in with his crap, and uh, if he hit any of it, you're dead. Like uh, you want to get a better spot there. So I understand if he's let, if he's limping to you, I understand the strategy of okay, I'm going to limp too and see some flops, and this way I can get it in better. That makes more sense. It didn't make sense for Wen, who had more chips, but for Veo, I felt that uh, the limping there wasn't that bad. But what didn't make any sense was that uh, he just wasn't taking stabs at anything. He was just, uh, he really was just the, he was playing like the, the fish you'd see at the 1 2 cash game who's only betting if he has a hand and is, is mostly limping. That's what he really yeah. did. And then he threw one hand away where I think he might have had queen nine. I forgot the exact situation. I think he had second highest pair with the nines. And then Kui Win, who had been bluffing, just shoved all in. And he just folded. I didn't understand. I don't think I saw that one, but I, uh, um, the, the one that really got me was that just a standard like raise call pre flop, uh, or, or maybe even check check, or like limp check. I'm not, I'm not sure the pre flop action, but I, I think it was probably just check check, like limp check. But the flop came like jack ten five all diamonds, and Veo had ten six offsuit, no diamond, but still he had middle pair. Kui Wen didn't have anything. And fired, <laughs> and and uh, they laid it down. He laid down middle pair, which is crazy. How do you lay down middle pair there? It's not like he went all in. He's like, okay, do I want to? Do I really want to take it all in? It was just like a like a, a small bet stab at him. 
at the very least, just either call or, or, or raise him and see where you are. I can understand raise him, you know, some, something reasonable, and then if uh, he goes back all in, fold. I can understand call, and then if he bets too big on the turn, fold. But to, to, to just fold when he bets into you, and we have flop middle pair is crazy. Heads up. So that, uh, p- people were scratching their heads. It really looked like that uh, he was just looking for a big hand to go in with and otherwise didn't want to put chips in and just got ground down over and over again. So it, it was a really, really bad performance in the opinion of just about everybody watching. Sometimes you'll have those who are overly critical that sit at home. I, I remember Scott Seaver. I, I never liked Scott Seaver very much. I, I always thought he was arrogant. But Scott Seaver, and he was arrogant. Not only is he arrogant uh, like online, but when I've played with him in person, he's arrogant. But Scott Seaver, I remember, was tweeting one time, just really putting down the final table. I think it was two years ago. Putting down the play at the final table, mocking them. And I'm going, you know what? The main event final table is a different situation than everything else. And if, if someone's tighter than usual or not playing their A game, it's understandable. It's the main event final table. Like, unless they're really making egregiously bad plays or just consistently playing bad to where everyone can see it, then uh, otherwise leave them alone. It's a lot easier to know the optimal play when you're sitting at home and there's nothing at stake for you. So I, I felt that, like, in those situations that some of these pros were being too hard on the people at the final table. But with people criticizing Veo, like, Pretty much everyone was in agreement. You had people saying things like, look, I'm usually pretty non-critical about the play at the final table, but I have to tell you, this one was pretty bad. <laughs> like, that's what some people are saying. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I agree. I'm like that, too. Like, I, I don't watch these things to think, oh, boy, that person sucks. Oh, I, I bet I'm better than them. Oh, wow, I, I do better than here. Like, I, I don't sit here like that. I, I think, I'm realistic about it. I say this is a very, very tough spot to be in. And I can understand all the nerves. And I can understand, you know, knowing it, that everyone's watching every hand you play, and it can affect you. It would probably affect me if I was there. So I keep that in mind when I watch. But this this was to an extreme; I couldn't understand it. At least I, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I think I think he just he got in his head that somehow that that Kui Win is going to hang himself if if he flops a big hand. But he, he was really taking away any chance he had to win, aside from just. Uh, an unusual run of cards where Kui Wen gets cooler a few times in a row. That was the only way he was going to win that. So it's strange. And and the sad thing for Gordon Veo is he just won $4.4 million. And he finished second in the main event, which normally is a thing that's very respected. And yet, his I'm sure his reputation in poker took a huge hit. I'm sure people are going to talk about this for years, about this performance. And uh, I said that I, I, I think that uh, Tom Archese is probably, uh, he probably sat there watching this uh, with a gun to his head, <laughs> knowing that his name got associated with that play. <laughs> was, he here, was he there the whole time and talking to him on breaks and stuff? I, that I don't know, but I, I know that he coached him, and I, you know, you got to feel crappy if you coach the guy and this is how he plays. Now, of course... Yeah, but you coach him. He got four, he got second. So I mean, it's not. Well, with those just looking at the results, yes. But uh, p- people watching the end here, like, <laughs> I could see they'd blame the coach. They'd say, "What? What the hell?" Now, I, I think I can't imagine Tom Marchese gave him this advice. I think he just went off the rails and 
play this passively because just something went wrong in his head and he thought this is the right thing to do. And, and someone even said that when it was over, he almost looked like relieved. He almost looked like happy that the whole thing was over rather than uh, frustrated that he didn't quite get there. And uh, you should never get the defeatist idea in your head when you're heads up to win a tournament. That's never a good thing to do, or, or even the final few in a tournament. You always want to believe you can win. Uh, you shouldn't be unrealistic, you know, if you're down to just a few chips and you can look at the mountain of chips your opponent has and think, wow, I've got to get super lucky to win this. But uh, you, you shouldn't get in your head like, oh, I just want this to be done. And th- he kind of had that look by the end, too. And what's interesting is the guy I, I beat when I won my bracelet 11 years ago, I, I didn't get that feeling from him that he was feeling negative while I played him. But I saw him a few months after that in a, a Hollywood Park tournament, and I went up to him and talked to him. And I said, you know, just to be honest, I I was frustrated at one point when I gave away part of my lead, and you had won a few hands in a row, and I was afraid I was going to choke and lose to you. I, I told him that. And he said, what? I can't believe you think that. I knew the whole time you were going to win. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, it was true. He was behind me almost the whole way, but it wasn't like impossibly behind, but he, he told me he had in his head that he had no chance and he thought he's going to lose. He thought he's finishing second. And I thought, wow, that wasn't a good way to approach it. <laughs> yeah. To his credit, he didn't give that away to me when we played. Like we didn't, uh, I didn't get that from him while we were playing, but I thought, wow, that wasn't, I, I wasn't imagining that at all in his head. It was definitely in my head the whole time. I'm thinking, uh, uh, I really want to win this. I'm really trying to win this. And in fact, if I don't win this, I'm going to be really frustrated. That was what was in my head. So weird. I uh, but watching this, I really, I really thought about. It. You know what? If if I was there in either seat, if if you could just drop me in Gordon Vale's body, uh, I, I would have felt comfortable uh, playing Kui Wen in his style. I I wouldn't have loved having the shorter stack, but you know, aside from that, I I, I think I could have held my own there very well and. Uh, if I was in Kui Wen's body and playing against Gordon Veo, I, I, I think I could have crushed him even faster. And they definitely did not do a deal, right, Jeff? Well, so there's talk about this. So that <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. Set of Kings, who is a listener to this show and a poster on the site, a, po- a poster on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, Set of Kings was saying, I'm sure watching him play this badly, that Gordon Veo must have made a deal to throw the event. To basically just play awful and and almost guarantee Kui Win is going to win it without being super obvious he's doing it. Like he like he's not gonna, he's not going to bluff all in with a seven high no draw, but he's going he's going to play a crappy style that it's it's hard to win. But I'll tell you why I don't think this is true. Kui Win is an amateur who doesn't have a whole lot of money. Really, well, he does now. Now now he has a lot of money, but uh, he didn't have a lot of money prior to the, the main event. In fact, he didn't even buy directly in. He satellited in. It took him three tries, but he satellited in you know, three times. To- he, he ran three satellites for $1,000 each, and on the third one, he, he won a seat. Uh, his kid actually said to him, I hope you win the main event so you can buy us a nicer house with a pool. So th- this is not like a rich guy. This isn't like a rich amateur. This is just an amateur who wasn't living that large. And Kui Wen also... He's not like an experienced pro who would really know what to do for uh, if, if he were to win it on how to exploit that for all kinds of uh, promotional opportunities. Like like 
take Antonio Esfandiari. Let's say it was, it was him versus Gordon Veo. I could picture Antonio, who's very savvy with all these things, saying, okay, I've never won the main event, and that would be a huge thing that would really increase my endorsement value. I already have some endorsement value, which he does, Antonio, but he says, if I won the main event this year, everyone would want to sign me for things. So I bet I could recoup. I, I bet I could give millions of dollars away to my opponent in, in, you know, in an agreement to throw it and still make this up with, with all the endorsement opportunities I'd get from this. So I could see someone like him, who also has a lot of money to already give away, to do this. But I, I can't picture a guy who this is his first shot at big money to hand away millions of dollars to the other person to finish second. The only way it would be worth Gordon Veo's while to throw it would be if he actually got more money from it than uh, than than Kui Wen for finishing second. Or but, second. But I, don't, I wasn't thinking something like that, but I think it would just be much more much different to play a $500,000 heads-up sit-and-go than the 3.5 Yes, it would be. And I, and I don't know if they did have a deal behind the scenes. It's possible they did. Though, though Kui Wen is also known as a, quote, gambler. So that, that was his profession. He actually put down gambler. And, and I, I guess he has a Baccarat problem. So th- this is a, a degenerate gambler here who may not be thinking of, oh, I've got to protect variants here. You know, let, let's make a deal and, and, and only play for this much money. I have a feeling he didn't do that. Maybe he did, but I have a feeling he didn't. So, but who knows? I, they could have. I, I can't say for sure they didn't. I mean, it probably would have been tough. If it was down to two of them and then they had the night off, maybe. But with Johnny Bax there, they doubt they had time to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. They also didn't have time. You're right. They didn't, just, uh, they didn't have the day between the heads up. I think they should have a day between the heads up, actually, because... They must have been tired at the end. They must have been emotionally and physically tired at the end. And I, I think there's something to be said for the heads up for the main event of the World Series of Poker. Maybe it shouldn't become an endurance contest like that. And in fact, that really, I, even though the older person won here, uh, this also gives a disadvantage to those who are older To as far as the endurance goes. I was actually thinking about that. Of Why is it that People over 35 are not getting to the final table. Is it because these kids just ran so many hands online in these tournaments and just got so much better? Is it because they are so the opposite of risk averse that they're willing to just uh, get it in and not, and not worry about uh, you know, they play an aggressive style and some of them will always make it there? And that's just everybody else is too passive. Like, what, what is it that the kids just keep, keep making it there? I know this year is not, not as much as, as some other years, but. It's definitely been the overwhelming trend. And I think about this myself because I play the main event and I'm going to be 45 next year. And that's way, way higher than the average person who makes the final table. So I was thinking, what are these kids doing? It's not like it's a physical thing. It's not like, uh, I mean, maybe, I mean, the days are sort of long, but not really long. But other than that, it's not like it's not like playing sports where being 25 is a huge advantage over being 40. So what is it about being over 40 that makes it tough to get to the final table here? Do you have any ideas? No, I don't know. I mean, what, what are the numbers as far as percentages? I, I haven't looked them up, but I'm telling you every year as I look at this, every year I'm older than everybody at the final table by a number of years. It's, yeah. it's not even close. Like, and then, and then the average is way, like, way under thirty, of of who uh, who makes it there. So, 
And I, there's a lot of people entering the main event who are over 40. Yeah, but I thought last year, was, wasn't like at least three or four of the uh, final nine, like over 40? No, I don't think so last year. No? No. This, th- I thought this year was where the older people, where some older people made it. That's what I thought. It was this year that, that was we had the difference. Uh, let me see what the chat room, I haven't looked at the chat room for a while. Let's see what the chat room saying. Anyone in the chat room knows this about was this the oldest year as far as the average age at the final table over the last nine? Someone tell me in the chat room if you can look this up. I'm not going to sit here and look this up while I'm doing the show. By the way, I see Cal Watts in the chat room, and I I know it's almost 3 a.m. there, but he wants to come on too. He'll be glad to have him. Brandon is, uh, I wonder where Brandon is. This is the time Brandon's usually awake, though he did tell me that. He's having some. Uh, he's switching internet providers, and he said he may not have the internet tonight. So that might have been the problem. Though he's not even responding to texts. I don't know. Maybe he fell asleep after the uh, the game was over. Um, I, I texted him tonight. I texted Brandon. And said uh, we can try. We're getting. We're, you know, he said maybe he can do the show on Skype on his phone. And I said it could be a problem. But I said we can try. And I said we'll start after game seven. He said okay, good. I obviously plan on watching it. <laughs> yeah, and I've been I've been on Skype on my phone with no Wi-Fi the whole time. By the way. Oh wow! See, you shouldn't have told me that. I would have just believed that. Uh... Just FYI for Brandon. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. You, you don't sound perfect, but I, I just kind of thought that uh, you have background noise there. If, if the phone never sounds quite as good as when you're just uh, on a headset on the computer, but it's it's not bad though. Like. Yeah, and I can turn. Actually, I was gonna. I had to run out and walk the dog, but I'm gonna turn my Wi-Fi on. So if I lose, y'all call right back. Okay. And speaking of walking the dog, I I actually didn't see the final hand go down after I watched it for hours and hours. I finally had to go out and walk the dog at like you know three forty-five in the morning, and I knew it. I knew when I went to go walk the dog that it was gonna end there. I'm like I'm like I know that's my luck. I know if if I watch this for hours and then leave for a little bit, then that's when it's gonna be over. And sure enough, I you know like a minute before I got back, that's when it ended. So I knew it. I actually tweeted out that everybody who got tired of watching this and wanted it to be over, which was most people by that point, could thank me because me, wa- me walking the dog was pretty much a guarantee that it was going to finish. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It, it totally was. And I remember once, you know, right when Obamacare, the website was having all the trouble, like right when people were first signing up for the Obamacare plans. And I had to reach my healthcare provider about a totally different matter, but they were just slammed with Obamacare calls. I had a five and a half hour hold time. So I didn't just sit there for five and a half hours. I just had it on speaker in the background. I watched TV and used the computer. And like I just took the phone everywhere on speaker. And it, it got kind of annoying because I, you just hear, thank you for calling Blue Cross, blah, blah, blah. So like I, I'm like, I just wanted, I wanted the call to go through and get my business done and finish. I, I, even though I was doing other things, I, I got annoyed hearing that on hold for five and a half hours. But I was very dedicated. So finally, I don't know, it got to be like 8.30 at night. And they closed their lines at 6 o'clock. So now it's like two and a half hours after they closed. And I'm like, okay, there's no chance, I'm thinking, that they they could still be uh, taking calls here. I must just have been left on like endless hold. Like no one ever came on, but I thought there's no way there's still people like two and a half hours after closing still taking phone calls. So I didn't hang up yet. I was going to give it a little more time, but I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm safe to go to the bathroom and not bring the phone in there. 
So I went to the bathroom, and guess what happened? I go to the bathroom, and while I'm in there peeing, they came on. Hello, can I help you? Hello, sir? Sir, hello, can I help you? Okay, leaving the line. And they hung up. I, and I hear this happening as I'm rushing back to the freaking phone from the bathroom. Like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. Five and a half hours, and they come on two and a half hours after closing time when I'm in the bathroom for like less than a minute. But I, like, th- that's my luck with those things. I, I knew I'd go walk the dog, and sure enough, they, the, the, the final tape would end. In fact, I mentioned for the Cubs game tonight, which had a lot of delays, there was a, it went to extra innings, there was a rain delay. And I said, look, if, if anyone wants this game to be over, I can start the radio show and I guarantee the game will end immediately. <laughs> Actually, I know, it was about the rain delay. I said, if you want the rain delay to be over, it'll end immediately if I start the radio show. Because I, I was kind of thinking, like, what if the rain delay is three hours? Like, am I going to wait to start the show until after midnight? Like, I wasn't sure what to do if there's a long rain delay. It ended up being like 17 minutes, but it could have been a lot longer than that. Nobody knew when it started. So I knew if I started the show saying I don't want to wait this out, that's when it would start and there'd be some sort of exciting end to it that I would miss. I I know because that's how it always happens. That's how it always happens. We're having trouble with Trader Ruski. He keeps uh, coming on and off. Let me try to reach him one more time. He did qualify that he's going out to walk the dog. We have a lot of dog walking on this show. We really do. We have a lot of dog walking. We have Brandon walking the dog. We have Trader Ruski walking the dog. I wait to walk the dog. This, this is my dedication to all of you. And then I have a dog who needs to be walked, but I, I make my dog hold it. I, I don't care if the dog has to pee really badly. I don't care if the dog has to take a crap really badly. I mean, I gave the dog a bunch of steak tonight, which was a treat for the dog, but sometimes this dog who's over 11 years old has a little trouble with... with uh, diarrhea after having something very rich like steak. But I threw caution to the wind, gave the dog the bowl full of steak, and then went away. And the dog's sitting by himself right now. So he could be crapping all over the kitchen for all I know. He could be crapping all over the the family room for all I know. That'd be even worse. There's carpet in there. But that's my dedication, is that uh, I make the dog hold it. I, I, I don't walk the dog during this show. Trader Risky, you walking the hey, dog? Yeah, you know what? I realized my Wi-Fi has been kind of iffy all day. Uh, so by turning it on, it probably gave me a worse connection. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what's really weird? Speaking of that, uh, I have this friend. It's an, like an older woman. Just no one I've ever been involved with or anything. Just an older female friend. Kind of like the equivalent of, of, of Jeannie to uh, Brandon, except not as close. But uh, she has like a, a radio show on like a small fail station, and uh, every once in a while she can't make it, and I'll just uh, I'll take her slot. And whenever I've tried that, I like, like the station lets you Skype in, which is great. But every time my Skype never agrees with theirs. Every time I like sound horrible on Skype, and yet when I do this show, you know, we have our disconnects, but I I sound okay. Like like to you, I sound crystal clear, right? Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, so that's that's the, that's what's so weird is like. Only connecting with that station, it sounds terrible, and yet she she connects through Skype, and she sounds great. So I don't understand it. I, I don't know if I just like run really bad, and when I go on that station that, for some reason, I'm having internet problems that day, or if there's just some weird compatibility issue that I just always sound terrible. It's really strange. So, okay, let's uh, 
Let's move on here. So that's, that's the World Series of Poker. I I actually get like hope from watching things like that because I go, wow, like if this is the play of a heads up there, like this kind of gives me hope. Like I, I'm like the, I'm my own biggest critic. I think of mistakes I made at the main event and why I didn't cash again, and like I I think that I could have done differently. And uh, you know, I I just kind of get the image that everybody who made it past I did, where I did was playing so much better, and that yeah, like I start getting this in my head. And then I see things like this, and I go, wow, I could just own everyone. These are the final two. I could just go through and just pound everyone, which isn't true either. But I I guess that's one thing that poker will gain from this, is people will watch this and go, wow, I can do this. I'm entering next year. Yeah, true. (laughs) I guess it's a lot less intimidating to see that than two great players going back and forth. So, okay, let's let's go to the next topic here. I guess we're never going to get Stitch come on here. She must have fallen asleep. But okay, well, well, I mean, we started later than we thought we would. So a guy named Andy Filichak, as, as far as I've seen, he didn't respond to me. Let, me. let me just check, just in case. But he claims that he was scammed by WSOP winner Kui Win, not related to this World Series, but in the past. It's, it's kind of strange. Strange story. I'm not sure if I believe it. But I'm starting to believe a little bit more than I used to. At first, I thought, okay, this guy's just saying it. Like, I, I don't know if I can really buy this, but I don't know. So Andy Filichak is from, uh, maybe I thought he's from Philadelphia because his name sounds like Philadelphia. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think he's from the East Coast, whatever. I, I don't know that much about him. I hadn't heard of him before this. I don't think he's a big name in poker. He does. He has 389 followers, which isn't that much. But among them, he has Alan Kessler following him. Uh, Brett Ritchie follows him. Ryan LaPlante follows him. Ari Engel follows him, who listens to the show. Uh, Frank Opt-Award, who I'm still not sure if he listens to the show or not, the poker news guy. And uh, Mark Hoke, he follows him. So I guess he's somebody, kind of. Uh, from what I can see in this picture, I think he's black. If he's not, he's Definitely not white. That doesn't really matter that much here. Oh, oh, by the way, I just want to say one more thing about the main event. Uh, There is a Czech guy at the table. What was his his name? Do you remember the the, the Czech player? uh, Starts with an R-R-O-Z something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he had some funny shirts printed up for his fans that said, Czech, S-C-Z-E-C-H, your privilege. That's so, funny. To, yeah, to make fun of uh, Griffin Benjer. So that was they, they were pretty quick in doing that too, because there wasn't that much time between then and when it aired and when the, the main event took place. That was pretty good. I give him credit. So someone thought I'd be angry seeing those shirts. I'm like, no, no, no. I, why would I be angry? I think it's it's mocking uh, Benjer in a stupid statement there. Like that's uh, he wasn't actually saying check your privilege. It was. It was a comical shirt, given what it just aired on TV. I thought that was well, great. right, but he was there when it happened. So yeah, but I, I thought maybe he would remember that. But I, I also thought maybe he, he had these made recently when he saw the internet being uh, just blowing up. Over yeah, it. blowing up over it. Yeah, the internet really kept quoting that. Where yeah, and I'll tell you before we leave the whole topic, I do think that. We wins fans. I mean, they were going strong till four in the morning. Yeah, they were impressive. <laughs> they were. They were very excited. They were very excited. So, okay, 
so this Andy Filichek uh, claims that Kui uh, Wen scammed him, and uh, I guess it didn't sit well with him that everyone was lauding Kui Wen as this uh, likable character, a guy to root for, a guy that uh, we all want to see win, uh, a, a type of person that uh, you like seeing achieve success. Because everyone's been getting tired of seeing these young internet kids who play a million hands a day, you know, coming into the main event and dominating. I mean, yeah, they kind of deserve it, but at the same time, like, it's, it's kind of boring. They're not an interesting story. You kind of want to see an underdog win. Well, this guy was definitely an underdog. This guy didn't have a lot of success in tournament poker prior to this. Uh, he describes himself as a gambler, and I guess he really is one. So it's like a degenerate gambler who's almost 40 years old. Uh, you, you kind of want to like him. You, you want him to win instead of just the typical poker pro who's just like relentlessly trying to exploit every edge you can to get there. This is a guy who just describes himself as a gambler, just wants to play some poker, satellited in, and got all the way there and got more and more confident and, as it went on. And he even did things to endear himself. He wore this weird hat. What was it, like a, a badger on it or something? What was what was that what was that thing on his hat that uh is like some kind of yeah, animal? I think it was like a bear or badger. I yeah. think it was from some type of cartoon movie or something they were saying. Yeah, it was weird. It like took up his whole hat, but you see like the top half of the of the animal's face. Almost like it's eating his head. It was a really weird hat. But right. It was kind of that a memorable hat. It was it was kind of reminds me of like Fossil Man, you know, Greg Raymer with his uh, sunglasses. It was like a, a memorable thing he was wearing that uh kind of defined him in a way. So he just, you know, Kui Wen kind of exuded this confidence, but at the same time was likable and didn't come off as arrogant. And, and he was quiet. So, like, you, you just kind of like him as you watch him and kind of root for him. And I, I even kind of got caught up in that. Until I, I read this stuff from this uh, Andy Filichak character, and now I'm not sure if, uh, if this is someone we should have been rooting for. So let me get to the uh, the claim here because that's and I I invited him to come on here and I don't think he's been around. Uh, yeah, he hasn't tweeted in like thirteen hours. Andy Filichak. Maybe maybe he's uh, in a depression because Kui Wen ended up winning. But uh, yeah, he hasn't tweeted in a. But the funny thing is he 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 didn't tweet that much. He was just kind of tweeting. Uh, like, he didn't tweet at all between August 34th, August 31st and, and October 14th. So, like, a month and a half went by. He didn't tweet once. Uh, I guess he's friends with Jared Jaffe. On October 14th, he wrote to Jared Jaffe, uh, a.k.a. professional sports better. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. Big, tall, handsome, but with a bigger cock. <laughs> so so that's, that's one of the things he was tweeting. That, that was on... Uh, October 14th, but I, I guess he posted something, I guess it wasn't on Twitter though, where was it? Let's, let me find where this is. It's, it's interesting about the uh, the accusation against Kui uh, Wen that, uh, that he scammed him. Let me see here. I should have had this up, but of course I never have this up. Uh, let's see here. Now, here we are. This is on Facebook. That's where I should have contacted him. Why, why didn't I do it on Facebook? It, it would have been so timely to have him on tonight. He doesn't use Twitter that much. Damn it. I bet it's too late now. I bet he's sleeping at like 3 a.m. 
Anyway, Andy Filichak wrote this. I guess he's from Texas. Got a story to tell you guys about Kui Wen that is at the World Series of Poker final table with three left. About five years ago, I made a final table of the 1500 buy-in World Series event. So for some reason, Kui Wen was railing me at the final table. That's kind of weird. Why was Kui Wen just railing a random guy he doesn't know? Well, whatever. Uh, After I got third, he followed me to the cash-out cage and asked for $10,000. That's weird. So he's claiming Kui Wen was, was so broke, he's just railing him there for you know no reason. And then when he gets third, he goes, hey, man, can you give me 10K? So Andy said, I was like, man, I don't really know you, but here's $500 for you to keep and another 2K for you to play in the mega satellite to get in the main. We had a deal that if he gets a seat, that he would play for 50% of the profit. Well, an hour later, I call and ask him how he was doing. His answer was, fuck you. I'm not... I'm not playing, and I'm keeping your fucking money. Wow. So here we are five years later, and he is at the final table. LOL, so I think I'm entitled to half his winning, or at least you should donate my $2,500 to the children's hospital. What do you all think? Now, here's what's a little weird about that story. And by the way, Jared Jaffe then went and uh, confirmed it. But the, Jared Jaffe's his friend, so I don't know how much that means. You know, like... Uh, it's not like an independent person who has nothing to do with Andy that saw something like this. It was uh, his buddy confirming it. You know, what if his buddy only knew him because he told him this happened, or told him to back him up, and it, he knew nothing about it? But anyway, this is what strikes it, me as strange of the whole story. If you call somebody that uh, claims that they're going to be playing for fifty percent of the profit with money you gave them, and say, "How are you doing?" Even if they are a scammer and they have no intention of ever paying you, uh, do they ever say at that point, just an hour later, after they've gotten the money from you, hey, fuck you, I'm giving you nothing, I'm not playing it, I'm not playing it all, I'm keeping your fucking money, go away? That's, That's a weird thing to say. Even scammers don't do that. Scammers will make an excuse or they'll pretend they're playing when they're really not or they'll say, oh, I played and I busted. Like, why would he ever say that? Why wouldn't he say, okay, I played the mega, it didn't go well, I got coolered. Uh, I'm out. Thanks a lot for your support. Uh, you know, I'll see you around sometime. Why, why would he ever say "fuck you"? I'm not playing. And if he did say that, wouldn't he posted something about it then? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's really weird is, and that's why I wanted to have him on here, so I, I could ask him these things. That's the, the between the not posting about it and especially the weird way that Kui Wen supposedly acted there. That is just not consistent, even with the way scammers act. Because it, it wouldn't make any sense. Why, why would he ever say "fuck you"? The guy gave him money. The guy gave him. So he asked for ten k. He got twenty five hundred. All right. Uh, why say "fuck you" if you re- if you really are resentful towards him that you you expected him to give you ten k for railing him? Which like like whoever would give ten k for just being railed by a random? Like just about no one. So the fact that he got twenty five hundred uh, should have been something that made him happy. But even if you want to say he felt that uh, Andy was being cheap with him. Uh, why would he say, fuck you, I'm not paying, or I'm not, I'm not playing, I'm just keeping your money? Why would he ever do that when he could just easily get out of the situation by just saying, yeah, I played and I busted, sorry? And, and Andy would have never known, or or yeah, or looked into it, I know. He would have just uh, it's kind of hard to look into this anyway. Like you, I don't even know if this is available anymore. It used to be available, the, you know, who entered each of these type of things, but I, I don't even think it's publicly available anymore. And I doubt he would have looked it up. If you're just giving 2500 to a stranger, you're probably not checking up on him. So, 
that's all he had to say. And and just I know TV people put on their best behavior sometimes, or the editing changes things. But just from seeing Kui Wen, I, I could understand if someone claimed he was just like a, a shifty individual who seems nice on the surface, but then. Uh, uh, is stabbing you in the back constantly, but he, he doesn't strike me the type who's gonna you're gonna call. Up, he's gonna say fuck you. I, I'm not playing. I'm just keeping your money, asshole. Goodbye. Like it just doesn't make any sense. I just I don't even see that in his personality from what I, I observed of him. I, I I could see maybe he's someone who when he gets desperate for money does shady things. I'm not saying he does, but I I wouldn't be shocked to hear that. But this shocks me. This this shocks me to where I'm wondering if this story is true. And if it isn't true, why is Andy Filichak saying this? Is is there some more to this that that we don't know? Is it is this half true? Is there something like uh, did did something happen where he staked him, and then there's some sort of uh, argument about how long the stake lasted, and he changed it to this? Was was there some semi truth to the story, or did he re- just completely make this up because Kui Wen was uh, three handed to win the main, and he and he wanted to be part of the conversation? It's weird. So, uh, I, I'm hoping somebody who interviews Kui Wen at some point, uh, who, who's willing to ask the tough questions, like Chicago Joey, I know you listen to the show sometimes. Chicago Joey, if you're listening and you get uh, Kui Wen on there, which I bet you will, I bet you're going to get him, okay? If you get him on your show, please ask him about Andy Filichak, because it's such a weird story. I want to hear Kui Wen's side of this story. Let me see. Someone sent me. Uh, someone sent me at some point. I don't. I don't think you'd understand it, even if he did come on. It's <laughs> uh, so, a and, and this is uh, one of our listeners who's uh, on Twitter is a uh, Gutito twenty one. Uh, he he was in, in contact with Andy Filichak and asked him a few questions, and he said. Uh, uh, did you know who Kui Wen was before the final table? LOL. It was kind of. Uh... Oh no no no! That's it. Andy was asking Gutito that. Do you know who Kui Wen was the final table before the final table? He said, "I was contemplating about sharing it for months. After hearing a lot of stories about him being a good person, I just had to share it." So, I don't know. And then, then uh, this is what uh, Jared Jaffe tweeted to Matt Glance and one other person. This was tweeted. Uh, on November 1st. I was there when this happened. It's 100% true. But I don't know. I mean, it's they're, they're friends, Jared Jaffe. So who knows? If, how was he there? Like, was he there on the phone? Was he, uh, was he there when he was asked for the money? Like, what does I was there when this happened even mean? Was Jared Jaffe by his side the entire time when all this occurred? I mean, this is a good friend of his. And like, let's let me just give you a hypothetical. I'm not saying any of this is true, but let's say that Kui Wen and uh, and uh, Andy Filichak had some sort of falling out some years ago, but it wasn't something like this. It was just some kind of falling out, which, uh, if he presented it honestly, wouldn't look uh, that blatant or that outrageous. And uh, Jared Jaffe, he's his good friend, and said, hey, let's let's put out a terrible story about him to make him look like a piece of shit. Like, I can't tell the, the actual story that happened with us because it's going to be too complicated and it'd be hard to tell who's right and wrong. So let's just make up a really awful thing that just everyone will think is terrible and everyone will be on my side. So I'm going to say this, and then you back me up and say you were there. 
And if Jared Jaffe's his good buddy, maybe he'll say, sure, I will. Because if Jared Jaffe thinks that Kui Wen's a bad person for whatever really did happen, I, I could see where he'd get on board of, okay, we're going to make something up because he deserves it. Like, I'm not saying that happened. I'm throwing out hypotheticals of how this could be. I just find it so weird that he would say something like, just, fuck you, I'm keeping your money. Why would he ever do that? When there's so many ways he could make up lies about where the money went that Andy would never know. And this is an hour later. This isn't like, it's not like weeks later after uh, Andy's constantly bugging him. An hour later, hey, how's it going? Hey, fuck you, I'm keeping your money. I've never seen that once. Of all the different scams in poker, I've never seen once where someone who asks for a loan or a stake gets it and then just tells you outright an hour later they stole it from you. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it? No, and I would think that if somebody said that to you, you'd jump right on 2 plus 2 or whatever you do. Right. Say something about it. Yeah, and he's saying, you know, like... He's like, I've been contemplating. Like he, his defense is kind of like, no one really knew who Kui Wen was, so why even bother? But still, I mean, you'd, you'd think you'd want to warn, hey, anybody, if, if, if Kui Wen asks you for, uh, for money after you win a final table, don't ever give anything to him because this is what he did to me. You'd think he'd say right. that. Like, <laughs> this is, he just, there's no evidence of this. So I, I think this is either completely made up or there's some much more complicated and uh, less obvious where Kui Wen is wrong story that occurred between them five years ago, and that this is being uh, modified heavily and then backed up by one of his close friends. So. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like a strange story to make up, though, too. So Yeah, it does. That's why I think there, there may be some some kind of history they really had to where they, you know, they had... Yeah, he thought he owed him 10K for something. It was a disagreement. Yeah, that, that's a good theory, actually. Yeah, that, you know, if, if, if that's what I think you're saying, that... that uh, that he thought he was owed 10k, and he only gave him 2500 and said it's a stake. And, and then they, he called, or they just disagreed on the bet, and they said, "No, I don't owe you anything, but here I'll just, you know, here's 500, and I'll stake you in the tournament." But he thought he was owed 10k. Yeah, like I could see this if he thought he was owed 10k, and then and then Andy said, "All I'm doing is giving you 500 and, and 2000 into the tournament." And then when he calls him back and says an hour later, "How are you going in the tur- has in the tournament?" He's like, "I'm not playing the tournament. You owed me 10k." Uh, you only yeah. gave me twenty five hundred, so I'm, I'm keeping yeah. all, I'm keeping all this. In fact, you still owe me seventy five hundred. I just said I just said I'm taking I, I'm going to play the tournament uh, and, and give you half just to get you whatever I can out of you. I just want to say whatever I could to get you to pay up as much as you could. You still owe me seventy five hundred, so f you. Yeah, it could be something like that. Yeah, that's a scenario that might make sense. That's that's a good theory. That's a so this is this is good why I keep you around here because uh, I I didn't come up with that thinking about this, but that's now that you say this, that sounds. Uh, that was post-herbal tea, too. So The post-herbal tea? Wow, so you only have a short time before it's over, Clock too. Clock is ticking. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you can come up with some of the best ideas before you fall asleep. In fact, I, I've, I've had it where I've had dreams before, where, uh, like, the dream seems to go on a very long time, whether it actually does or not, I don't know. Like I, You know that whole Inception thing that, about how every moment in your dream lasts, like, ten times as long in the dream than it does in real life? But I, I don't know about that, but I have had some dreams that a lot of time seems to pass, and it turns out I've only been asleep for half an hour. But I've also had some that seem like a long time and then are a long time. I wake up and it's been a long time. But uh, so. Well, sometimes I'll fall asleep too, and you and Brandon do these late shows till 5 or 6 in the morning. And I fall asleep with the headphones in, and then I'll get up to pee. 
And then it's like, it, I don't know if I'm on the radio or a comment, and then I'm just like, I better not say anything. Oh, right. You can, you can come back <laughs> in. You don't, have, you don't have to, like, you don't have to remain asleep. If you, if you are awake, you, we, we're not committed to you being asleep. Like, it's fine if you just reappear. If no, you, no, no, I know. It's just, you know, who knows? I'm laying in the middle of a fog at that point. Okay. So who knows it'll come out of my mouth. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I... I've had dreams before where I think, wow, this is a great story. Like, this would make a great movie what I just went through in this dream. Like, I've got to write this down. And then, like, five minutes later, it's all gone. Like, I can barely remember anything. So, so I, I think sometimes you can come up with, with good things. In fact, one time I, I even won a poker hand in my sleep. I, I, and I mean a real hand. I, I once fell asleep playing on Bovada, but was still just clicking the buttons. But I was actually asleep. Somehow I was I was. Like in some kind of weird middle state where I was sleeping, but yet I was able to just, like in some kind of trance, still click the buttons to just bet, 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 bet. So I wake up and I see I have pocket sixes against one opponent on a fairly big pot of like ace, king, you know, nine, you know, seven, three board. I'm like, oh shit. Like I've been betting the whole, and I could tell I've been betting the whole way. Like, oh my god, what do I do on this river here? Like, uh, he's been calling me down in limit hold'em with ace, king, you know, whatever on the board. Like, I'm sure I'm going to bet he's going to call him and lose. I'm like, well, I've gotten this far. I've got to represent. And I bet it, and he folded. I'm like, oh, thank god. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I mean, that's definitely what I miss about poker stars because those beeps used to wake me up. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't do that with fucking bovada. You're right. You're right. That I got woken up by those beeps before too. I've had it before. Yeah, where I, I fall asleep in the middle of a hand. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 what, what's going on here? Right, exactly. Yeah, that, that, those were good. Yeah, you're right. Bovada, I, I have had some where I've just fallen asleep and it folds me. But I, I think I've gained from others who fall asleep on me, too. So I've, I've been in hands before where like, I'm like, oh, crap, oh, crap, I'm, I'm going to miss this draw. Oh, crap, I just missed the draw. And then like the person just times out and I win. I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I guess there's sometimes internet things, too, but... Uh, I, I saw like sometimes where they time out, they seem to be this very slow, like they're probably getting very tired. So I think I've probably won more from sleeping players than I've lost being a sleeping player. But I, I have fallen asleep in hands before. Okay, so so I don't know what to think with this. I, I think your guess is probably the best. I, I don't believe it went down the way it said, though. I, I just that's the one thing I don't believe is that the he just gave the guy money out of nowhere that he didn't owe him at all. That. Kui didn't have any reason to believe he owed him at all. And then Kui just said, fuck you, I'm keeping your money. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And five years ago, I don't know. Yeah, five years ago, that's another thing, yeah. So, all right, here's something that uh, is a pretty big deal out of something that was shady in poker. This was uh, Travel Thomas, we've talked about on the show before. He's a... Uh, it seems like we're talking a lot about race on this show, but you know why not? This is a black poker player who kind of uh, comes off as a uh, one of these... Th- this is what S- Poker Fraud Alert user Slow Roll posted back in November 2015. He said, For what it's worth, the guy is horrible at poker, the stereotypical, quote, chatty black guy. Uh, he also staked his buddies. Most of them were awful as well. Now, I, I don't know about his poker skill, but uh, I know what he means by the stereotypical chatty black guy. There are certain poker players... Now, of course, there are chatty white guys, too, like William Kasuf, but it's a, it's a different type of chattiness. Uh, the, the chatty black guy is, is kind of uh, like really acts like a stereotypical like wacky talkative black character out of a movie. And, and I, I've I've played with these guys before. Not I've never played with Travel before, but I've played with other ones, other black players 
who act this way. And I, I'm not saying that all the black players, I've, I play with some black players who are very uh, soft-spoken and very pleasant at the table. But uh, there, there are a few, and it seems like the ones that do this tend to be the ones who end up being scammers at the end. So <laughs> I guess a lot of, a lot of talking uh, often uh, translates to there's a reason they talk so much. But uh, tr- for Travell Thomas, it was definitely the case. So, uh, so he was one of those guys who just always talking, always trying to crack jokes, always just trying to uh, annoy everybody with his, his table talk and thinks he's the table comedian. He entered a number of tournaments, but he got in trouble, not for anything having to do with poker, but for uh, abusive debt collection is what it was called. Uh, charges against him filed by the Federal Trade Commission. In fact, there's a press release in February 2015 on FTC.gov related to uh, a crackdown on abusive debt collectors. Uh, Charges citing harassing conduct, false and deceptive claims made to consumers. So there's a company that Travell owned called Four Star Resolution LLC. But before I get to that, just to review with this, because it's been a little while since we talked about this, the whole industry of debt collection is very shady. And part of the reason they are so shady is because they are trying to collect debts from deadbeats and other shady people. Now, I'm not defending that, but that's how it kind of, that's how it goes. Is what, what happens here is, is people owe debts to companies. It could be one of many kinds of companies, but uh, companies, when they have people who owe them money, often don't feel like putting the effort into collecting money from these deadbeats, so they sell the debt for pennies on the dollar. They figure they'd rather get something rather than nothing. They're, they're about to write it off. They're never going to get the money, so they might as well just give it to the, the debt collection company who uh, will buy it for pennies on the dollar, and then you know whatever the debt collection company can collect above that is profit for them. Sometimes uh, companies have their own internal debt collectors who uh, who just work on behalf of the company, but but a lot of companies, especially small ones, just uh, just sell the debt to independent debt collection companies that uh, basically have bought the debt. So Four Star Resolution LLC is one of those companies which is buying debts. And the, the problem is uh, a lot of these debt collectors find, find that if they work within the law, that they don't collect as many debts. If you just call up and say, hey, you owe money to such and such business, people go, yeah, I know, I'm having hard times, I can't pay, sorry, goodbye. And they don't collect many debts. Now, okay, that's the law, that's the way it is. Uh, I'm not defending those who run up debts and uh, owe money to companies and don't pay. I think I think that's bad. I think if you use a company's services, you should be able to pay them. And if you can't pay before you use a certain service, then you are cheating them. You should always go in the, the only way it's valid to owe money in, to a company, in my opinion, is if they either didn't deliver what was promised, or if, if they, they scammed you in some way, or if, if the billing is wrong and they won't correct it, whatever. There, there I think it's correct to not pay. But other than that, if just you using some service and then deciding you can't afford to pay, I don't think that's right. So, so I'll say that, but the problem with these debt collection companies is they decide that they just don't want to follow the law. And they will use many illegal tactics to try to collect the money. And the way they collect is through threats. Now, sometimes the threats are legal threats, like they pretend they're the police, they pretend they're the IRS, they pretend that they uh, 
they're working with the police of the IRS. They pretend that they're attorneys and they're about to sue them. You know, the people they're calling, they pretend that uh, they'll sometimes even make physical threats that if you don't pay, we're going to come down there and visit you and, and you know, do whatever to you. So they, they this, these things are all illegal. There are very specific laws about what a debt collector can and can't do. And if these debt collection companies violate the law like this, and if they do so repeatedly, then they can get in big trouble. And, and it's also unethical. You know, regardless of what you think of the person you're collecting the debt from, you have to follow the law in the way you do it. You can't just make up your own terms for it. I understand more if someone owes you money and screws you personally, and, and then you, you take the law into your own hands and threaten them. You, you, better, you better pay up or I'm going to do such and such. Even if, you, even if you're lying to them, if you're threatening them, if someone really screwed you or scammed you and you have to do those things to get, to get the money that's rightfully owed to you, I, I, I don't begrudge that. I can understand that. Okay. Uh, however, when you buy debt for pennies on the dollar for what you know are deadbeats, then you have to play by the rules because you know that going in. These people don't owe you that money. They owe the money to these companies. You're buying the debt at a huge discount knowing that. And at that point, you have to play by the rules. You can't just make up your own rules of, of the way you're going to collect. Well, so, they also have a sense of urgency, too, because it's probably coming up on the statute of limitations if it hasn't passed already. So that, you know, that's why they're being so aggressive and just. Yeah, there's many re- and to show you how shady some of these debt collectors are, even ones that uh, uh, sometimes there's even uh, third-party companies that are hired to collect on behalf of the company. They'll get some kind of bonus. That's not all that common. But for example, eBay was doing that. eBay, if you owed them eBay fees, even small amounts of fees, like $30, they would actually hand over your, uh, your account to some independent debt collector who if then you were to, uh, if you were to pay... Uh, like uh, something like that, that they get some kind of big bonus, whatever. So anyway, I had it once where I was sharing an account with my sister. I'm not anymore, but I was sharing an account on there with my sister. And so she gets this call from a debt collector about eBay fees that I, I really had owed, but had paid the day before. So I was late paying the eBay fees, like 30 bucks, but I had paid it the day before. So my sister got this call from this woman who says she's working, she's at eBay and that, uh, we owe money on the account, and can, you know she wants thirty dollars right now, plus like a debt collection fee. And so my sisters put her on hold and called me and said, "What's this about? You know, did, did you owe anything to eBay?" And I said, "Oh crap, yeah, I did, but I paid it yesterday. So tell this person from eBay that I already paid it." So my sister went back to her and said, "Yeah, I just spoke to my brother. He's the one who incurred the." Dead on the account. He paid it yesterday. So just go back and check your records. This woman was pretending she's actually at eBay, not not an independent debt collector. So the woman says, "Oh yeah, I see that here. But your brother, uh, we see that he tried to pay on his credit card and it did not go through." Which was a complete lie. She just made that up, and she said, "So you need to pay now on your credit card." And get this. So the, somehow, like you know, if my sister paid on the credit card, then she still gets credit for it, even though I already paid yesterday. So she just outright lied. So my sister then called me, said, "Hang on a second, called me back and said she's saying it didn't go through." I go, "Oh, she's freaking lying to you. This is another one of these sleazy debt collectors. Just just go back there, tell her she's a scammer, and hang up on her." So, so that's what my sister did, and of course, nothing happened. In fact, I, I quickly went to my eBay account and said, "Yeah, you owe zero. So. Uh, but I like how she actually said she can see my payment and it didn't go through, which is complete a complete lie. So that's what they do th- over there. They're they're very very shady a lot of these debt collectors. 
So this this four star resolution LLC did a whole lot of things that uh, they should not be doing, and the FTC and the uh, Attorney General's Office in New York went after them. Uh, it says. Four Star regularly called consumers using fictitious addresses, bogus company names, and spoofed phone numbers. So they also what they would do is instead of calling as a uh, instead of instead of calling and saying, "Hey, we're a debt collector," they actually would pretend they were that company. You know, whatever they were collecting the debt for, they were identifying themselves as that company. In fact, would spoof the phone number on caller ID of the company that pretending to, re- to represent. So let's say uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let's say John's Construction Company sold them a debt. What they would do is they, instead of calling from the phone number of four-star resolutions, they would spoof the number, the actual phone number of, of John's Construction Company, say, hey, we're calling from John's Construction Company, you owe us this money, and then start putting pressure on them. So they, they think they're actually being called by the company. So that was the first thing they were doing, which is totally illegal. It's not, it's not illegal, by the way, to spoof a, a caller ID, but it's, it, it is for business purposes. To, anything having to do with get money out of someone or misrepresent yourself as being part of a business, uh, that is very illegal. It's not a bad idea, though. Yeah, well, yeah. These were these weren't <laughs> right. These were all uh, smart things to trick people into paying, but well, like uh, spoof the sheriff office, and yeah. the IRS numbers. Yeah. So, so it says. Uh, in addition, uh, so yeah, yeah, by the way, that is what they did. It says uh, after misrepresenting their names and locations, four stars collectors falsely identified themselves to consumers, claiming that they were attorneys, process servers, government agents, or criminal law enforcement officials. In addition, four stars collectors allegedly falsely claimed that the, cons- uh, that the consumers committed an illegal or criminal act, such as bank or check fraud. Four stars collectors then falsely threatened consumers with dire consequences, including arrest, imprisonment, or civil lawsuits, uh, uh, unless the consumers made an immediate payment on the supposed debts. So that's how they got people to pay, is by uh, making them think that. Uh, so I guess they were also spoofing. Uh, yeah, law enforcement's number and uh, lawyers' numbers and things like that, and the people got scared that they really thought the hammer was about to come down on them, and say, and they'd say to these people, "If you don't pay before we get off the phone, you're going to prison, or we're going to file a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit against you, or whatever." That people would panic. Yeah. So, so Four Star did this regularly, so much that uh, they clamped down on them. So, Travel Thomas was the owner. Of four-star resolution. This is where he was getting his money to play poker with. He was not a winning poker player, as far as I know. So this is where he was getting his money, was by these illegal debt collection practices. And then there was another twist to the story, uh, where Travell Thomas, after he was arrested here, uh, he wanted to uh, sue the Department of Justice for racism. Saying that this is, he's being prosecuted because he's black. And he was claiming that uh, white companies do this all the time and they get away with it, but they're only going after him because it's a black company. <laughs> so, obviously that's not true. And by the way, the, the one he was suing was U.S. Attorney Preet Bara, the one who came down on online poker five and a half years ago on Black Friday. So Preet Bara was the one who uh, brought this case, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York. So uh, Preet Bara was accused of racism, which I don't believe. That's a, unfortunately, that's where a lot of them go, a lot of these uh, shady characters who happen to 
be of a minority will claim that's the reason they're being persecuted. I, I've, I've seen even gay people who've been arrested that have done this as well. Uh, I, I remember, this is many years ago, but like 20 years ago, the city I was living in, there was a, a scam. It's actually pretty unbelievable this worked, but this guy who was like the information uh, and, and computer guru for the city. This is the city of Redondo Beach, by the way, in California. And I was living there at the time. This guy, this computer guy who was working for the city said, hey, we need uh, better maintenance of our computer systems here. And, and there's a guy I looked into. He's a, he has a great reputation. He, uh, he can do a great job for us. So he brought the guy in to speak for the, in front of the city council. And uh, the guy spoke very well. He seemed to know his stuff. And they signed this guy's company to a $750,000 a year contract to maintain the computers, which Redondo Beach is not a large city. So can you imagine $750,000 a year to maintain their computers? What the hell? Like, what's there to do for the Redondo Beach computers at $750,000? And in in truth, that was a a tremendous overpayment. Well, what it turned out was that the guy who was introduced here, who was charging the $750,000, was his gay lover. And they were splitting the proceeds, which of course is highly illegal. So eventually this was discovered, and uh, eventually a big scandal occurred, and in fact it made the city look very embarrassed that they agreed to pay 750000 because the, the, the defense of these guys was, was twofold. They said, number one, we performed the work as, as agreed upon. So it was, you know, we charged 750000 the city agreed to pay it, and, and, and the work was done. So what's your problem? And they're like, no, this was a conflict of interest. You, uh, you presented him as just a, a businessman you found uh, who, who's good at doing this, and in fact you were collecting half the money. Because uh, he was your gay lover who lived with you. And uh, so, anyway, the second thing they were claiming is that they were both being persecuted because they were gay. Which is ridiculous. They they committed an obvious crime. It wasn't because they were gay. So people will sometimes use that as an excuse. And I guess Travell Thomas used the fact that he was black to claim that they're targeting him because of the black guy. No, they were tra- targeting him because he was uh, running a very illegal debt collection operation that was pretty big. So it was a uh, a $31 million operation. They collected $31 million worth of debt through these practices. So a lot of money was obtained because they buy these these uh, debts for a very small percentage of, of what they're worth. And then uh, when they collect them at 100% or sometimes even more with fees on top of them, they make huge money. So, uh, so anyway, he was indicted in 2015, back in February. Uh, This didn't hit our site until November. I guess no one really noticed until then. But we have an update. There's a reason we're talking about this now. Uh, Travell Thomas, I guess he he doesn't say anything about this, but I'm assuming he probably dropped his lawsuit against uh, Preet Bharara about the racism. He pled guilty in federal court yesterday to two federal charges wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And they, they nailed a lot of people involved with this. So 11 different people uh, went down over this. And uh, he's going to face sentencing in February 2017 in front of a judge named Judge Fela. Now, do you think Judge Fela is uh, Will Fela's brother? Will the Thrill Fela? The... 
uh, were you kidding, or is that a possibility? It actually was a possibility, but it wasn't true. No, it's, 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 not, it's no relation. It would be funny if it was like a poker player's brother sentencing him. No, but it's no. It's uh, waiting for the laugh track. And yeah, no, no, himself. no. Uh, no, when I first read that, I thought, "Wow, is that is that the same Fela?" But that's not that common of a name, as far as I know. But no, it's a, a Judge Fela is going to be sentencing him in uh, February 2017. He can get up to 40 years in prison, but it's unlikely he's going to get anywhere near that. So if you think that's a miscarriage of justice, you know, 40 years for for fraud, don't worry, he's not going to get his 40 years, but he he will get probably a number of years. And, yeah, that's that's probably where the black thing kicked in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so the sentencing uh, it, it, there's a lot of times the sentencing can be up to some very scary number of years because they they want to leave that out in cases that were really really horrendous things like the Bertie Madoff thing like they so they always want to leave an out to sentence someone to something very very long in case they've done something like a very very horrible version of of what's uh, of that crime. Like a financial crime, but while thirty-one million dollars is a lot, uh, it, it was fraudulent debt collection. It was, it's not quite the same as as a direct scam, but I'm sure he's going to get uh, a decent amount of time in prison. So don't expect to see Travel Thomas at a poker table with you anytime soon. So that, yeah, but that is crazy. They get that much time. Yeah, he, he won't. He won't get 40, 40 years. Right, but even 10 years, 5 years? I mean, what do you, what's well, I, understand, I would understand that. I mean, that's uh, a $31 million scheme where, where you've collected that through just blatantly ignoring... No, right, but he's not cheating people out of money, though. I mean, he's collecting money the people owed. And maybe he used tactics that were illegal. Well, but the, you know, the, the problem is here, there's got to be some sort of strong disincentive for this, or otherwise uh, people are going to keep committing this crime because it's, it's worth doing. It's, it's worth, like, uh, at some point, serving a certain number of years in prison. Like, think about this. Would you serve two years in prison? And I'm talking about like an average prison, not not a like a horrible one where where everyone's going to rape you in the shower every day, but but not like a not like a the one they call Club Fed where you. Uh, where, where it's a breeze, like so somewhere in the middle, just like a state prison that's not pleasant, but it's not super dangerous or terrible. Would you spend two years in there if if you got ten million dollars when you got out? Oh, t- ten million for three years? No, two years. Oh, two years. Twelve months off for good behavior. <laughs> no, I mean, that real two years. No, I would do. I, I would. <laughs> no, st- I would spend two. I would spend two years at this point for for ten million. When I got, I'd spend two years in prison. As long as it's not like a, a dangerous place where I'm going to get killed or raped all the time. Like there, there, I wouldn't do it. But but if it was just like uh, a prison which is you know unpleasant and and boring, yeah. You know, people don't think of this, but the worst thing about prison is it's boring. That's really the worst part of it. It provided that you in, in most cases, uh, there's some prisons where it's dangerous and where things happen, but for the most part, the worst thing about prison is, is the boredom because you you can't do very much. But I, I would tolerate it for two years to get ten million. Uh, now, at some point, if there's enough years, it wouldn't be worth it for any money because you you only live so long. So, like, what if someone said, you know, I'll give you a, a billion dollars if you spend thirty years in prison first? Well, no, I'd get out and I'd be it's almost seventy five years old if I even make it to there. So I, I I wouldn't want to like if someone said I'll, I'll fast even if someone said I'll fast forward you to thirty years to to age uh, seventy four but you'll have a billion dollars I'd say no because uh, I wouldn't have that many years left to enjoy the money right so I, I I'd actually say no to that so there's once people once discussed its commerce with you know Jerry Buss used to play there and of course he was very old. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the the players at the table said, "This is after he was gone." They said, w- "Would you trade places with Jerry Bus? Would you? Would you? If you could just be him all of a sudden and have his money and own the Lakers, but also be his age, would you do it?" Everyone at the table said no, because he he's just he was just too old. You're just not going to be alive that much longer. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, if you had done that, you would not be here right now listening to this show. So. And Druff, did you hear about that ring of like those IRS scammers they just busted within the last week? I, I heard about the one, the Indian ones, but that was more than a week ago. Is that, is that what you're talking or about? Maybe it's in the last two weeks where they, yeah, where they caught they had some people overseas, some throughout the U.S. Yeah, in I fact, guess there it, were some in India, right? Right. In fact, it reminded me of of the Armenian credit card uh, theft ring that I ran into over ten years ago, and that there was a. They were doing most of the crime from Armenia, but there were some accomplices in the U.S. that I ran into when I investigated my own, you know, the credit card theft of my card. But, but yeah, there, there was these IRS calls, these fake IRS calls have been very common in the last few years where you just get a random call. Sometimes they have info on you, sometimes they don't. They never have that much, but sometimes they'll have your name and address. Sometimes, that, sometimes they know nothing, they're just calling random numbers. But you'll get a call from an Indian guy of... Uh, hello there. I, I'm calling from the IRS, and I, I, I want to talk to you about uh, some money that you're owing us and have owed us now for nine months. And then you, you know, then you, uh, they, they try to say, they, the, the problem is they never sound American, so that right off the bat makes people suspicious. Like, I, I have to imagine if I moved to India and volunteered to do the scam, I could probably make big money, because, uh, like, my non-Indian sounding voice would be very valuable for this. Mm-hmm. But but uh, it's always like an Indian on the other end. But I guess it's believable. You know, there are Indian people living here that could be working for the IRS. But anyway, the, the, they, I guess they figure the people who fall for it uh, are gullible enough to where they won't question that. But uh, they they would always then go to the same sort of thing. You, you have to pay right now. If you don't, we're going to come arrest you. And and the funny the funniest thing is they would actually tell people like the way they'd pay. They tell them to go get like. Western Union. Yeah, stuff, or sometimes they even tell them right. to get like iTunes gift cards and read the number off the back. Like, why would the IRS ever accept iTunes gift cards? Like, how could anyone right. believe that? But they did. Like, people would be so scared that they're about to get arrested for tax tax evasion that they would run out to, uh, to Walmart and buy iTunes gift cards and then uh, and then call these people back and read them the number on the back over the phone, which then they could go quickly sell somewhere and convert it to money. So for every year that the the black guy got for doing his thing, how many years did these people get for doing what they're doing? I, I don't know. I think they were just arrested. I don't think they, they. No, I know. I'm just saying in your mind, like how 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 worse is it of a like? Would you expect that if that person got one year, these people would get five years? Well, it, it depends to me what what role they had. So so the ones in India are not going to be extradited to the U.S. They're just going to face over there, I think. The ones that, uh, maybe the ringleaders will, but I haven't heard anything about extradition. Uh, the ones that are in the U.S. Okay, so maybe there were like four ringleaders in the U.S. that came up with the idea and have been scamming these people. Well, yeah, and, the call center and, and, in India. Yeah, and to me it would depend on how much they did. Uh, at, at some point, if they, but if they did like like massive amounts or, or, they were, or they were ringleaders to the scheme, which, you know, which overall hit a very large amount. I'd give them a lot of years for that because it, uh, they just massively scammed people. They, 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 they scammed millions and millions of dollars and uh, did so unapologetically. And uh, the, the, there has to be a message sent for that. I, I don't th- I, and I, I do think that's worse than what Travell Thomas did. 
because, as you said, he was collecting real debt, but then using uh, uh, shady methods to do it. I, I would advocate. Right. So you for, think it's double for every year? The first guy got these guys here two years, at least maybe yeah. three years. Yeah, yeah, I would think that. Yeah, I, there should be. It should really come down hard on those, especially like these. These they're uh, just the scum of the they, they are, and, and they also victimize the people. They victimize most are old people, because yeah, uh, they're the, victimizing old people. They're fucking the government out of IRS checks. They're, I mean, they're just creating stuff from nothing. Yes, it's just an outright scam. They're just outright stealing, and, and they're victimizing people who usually can uh, least afford it or are in a, a mental, a reduced mental state because of their age. And yeah. and so those people are, are really are, as you said, the scum of the earth, and I think think they should get a very long sentence for that. And it's also not just to punish them for it, but also to send a message to others doing it. Because I've I've always felt if the punishment is not enough for for any crime that you that's very lucrative, then people it will be worth it to a lot of people to commit that crime. The only way you deter the crime is if people are afraid of the consequence, and uh, some the consequence is often necessary to, to punish them for committing the crime in the first place. Even if it's not about deterrence for others, it's they, they have to face some punishment for what they did. And, and people's lives get ruined over this. And uh, it, it's it, it's just really awful. Like, can you, th- you know, picture some scumbag calling up some 80-year-old retiree and tell them if they don't basically uh, th- take their a large portion of their savings and buy a bunch of gift cards and read you the, phone, read you the numbers on the back that they're going to go to prison... And this eighty-year-old with with uh, reduced mental mental capabilities at that point, just all they can think about is they they can't go to jail at this point in their life, and they better do what the, what the IRS says. I mean, right. You just think of the type of person on the other end who could just do this and and, and and go to sleep at night and feel okay about that. Like that, that, that's, that, that's awful. So Without that's desperate. They're desperate people. So, so and, and and the people who do this also, you know the. A lot of times, these are they've enriched themselves a lot. A lot of times, they continue. It's not like they they're doing this to put food on the table. A lot of times, these people are you know, millionaires for doing this, and they keep they keep on. They they want to just uh, keep uh, making more and more. Especially the people on the top of these schemes. Whenever I'm getting these type of calls, I never get the IRS calls for some reason, but I do get the fake computer repair calls, and mm-hmm. I I just screw with them as much as I can. And uh, I, I've I've auto dial bombed them before and things like that. <laughs> And I'll just I'll screw with them so hard because it's, it's satisfying. It's it's fun to actually screw with them and get them angry and and give them like a feeling of helplessness. I once had one where I I bombed them with ten thousand phone calls in a row and told mm-hmm. them they're just I just told them like you're never gonna get no one's gonna get through to this number because every call that's gonna ring there is like ninety nine percent are gonna be be me and my computer bombing you. And I'm and like you know what the best thing is here is that I know you can't go to the police on this. I know you cannot report me. I know there's nothing you can do about this, and I can screw with you all I want, and I can feel good about it, and I can have all the fun I want with you, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no one you can report me to. And they get really mad at me when I say that, because they know I'm right. They know that like they, they can't fight back, and uh, so they start cursing at me. But it feels good, because I know what I'm doing is I'm harassing scammers and wasting their time where they can't scam others. I'm actually doing a good deed by harassing someone. So that's like... When I get those calls, like I, I just always want to screw them from various. It depends. Depends what I'm doing at the moment. Sometimes I'll just hang up. Sometimes I'll just you know, dick around with them on the phone and say ridiculous things. See how long I can keep them on before they hang up. Sometimes I'll try to like, correct, collect the number to call back later on radio. Uh, sometimes I'll like just bomb them with phone calls afterwards if I can get a number to call them back. Whatever, just depends on my mood. But 
anytime you can screw with these people, uh, you should do it and not feel bad about it. Because uh, if anyone deserves harassment, it's them. So okay, let's let's see what we got. What else we got here? Uh, there's a new CBS poker show coming out. It's called The Final Table. Doesn't sound like a very creative name. But it's uh, the final table. Phil Helmuth is going to be part of it. And this was announced back in February, but it's going to be reality. This was a, a release on October 27th. It says, uh, The Final Table, a new poker series featuring Phil Helmuth and Antonio Esfandiari, pr- premieres on CBS Sports Network on Sunday, October 30th. So I guess it already aired. Is that a separate network, CBS Sports Network? It, it probably is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, so I guess it's not CBS. I said CBS, that's misleading. Right, I mean, it's still part of the same thing, but, I'm, but I think it's like just different channels. Yeah, so it says the, the, it's, it's on every Sunday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. I don't know if it's 8 p.m. Pacific or also 11 p.m. Pacific, but I, it's probably just 11 Eastern and wherever you are. Uh, the final table will feature coverage of poker tournaments throughout the U.S., complemented by unique insights and analyses from the star-studded announcing team, which includes poker icons Phil Helmuth, Antonio Asfandiari, Maria Ho, and David Tuckman, who is friends with uh, Calwatt, who frequently co-hosts here, as well as longtime poker commentator and comedian Joe Stapleton. The final table will air immediately following Poker Night in America, another Rush Street Productions project. So you may go, oh, I remember Poker Night in America. That was the show that had the controversy involving Jacqueline Moscow, who claimed all kinds of uh, sexual harassment and rude behavior towards her and anti-Semitism towards her, uh, committed by Nolan Dalla, committed by... Uh, I'm forgetting what this guy's name was. There's another guy, guy involved with the show, and I'm forgetting whose name was. was uh, uh, but I know a Todd Anderson, uh, who is the one in charge of... Poker Night in America, was also accused by Jacqueline Moscow of just being generally rude to her and a jerk. Uh, though he wasn't the main person accused of wrongdoing, but she mentioned that he was just a, a jerk and wasn't nice to her. The funny thing with the Moscow thing is that was one of these things that just seemed so unbelievable on the surface when it came out. But then as more and more info came out, she started to look more and more correct. And by the end of it, I was like, hmm, you know, I actually believe most of her story now. And I, 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 it's one of those few things where I kind of evolved over time, where I was really doubtful at the beginning, then it kind of went to the middle where I'm like, well, I guess part of this is true, but part of it really looks like it isn't. And then at the end, my, my attitude was like, you know what, I think most of what she described really happened, and I think the, the fault on her end was that she tried too hard to, like, she tried to reach for too much. She tried to demand for too much, rather than being more realistic about what they owed her after this. That's where I think she made the mistake. Was uh, you know, they were willing to give her like fifteen or twenty k, <laughs> but she wanted like a hundred k, and she also wanted editorial control of taking out hands that didn't make her look good when she played on there. Which uh, she asked for too much, and they eventually said "f you." But on the other hand, I, I think that her accusations about what is occurred, that what she said that the, she was asking for? Is that what they said? They said, it, but no, they showed some proof, and she admitted that yes, you asked for that at some, at some point. So. It's channel 221 on uh, DirecTV, just if anybody's interested. Okay, yeah. It's every Sunday, by the way, at uh, probably at 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific. So, so yeah, so I, I that was my determination by the end. I, I'm not 100% sure. Nobody can be 100% sure. But after this long, everyone dragging each other through the mud process that occurred in the late spring of this year, 
and they really went at it back and forth and and uh, the, the lawsuit threats and all this other stuff. It looks like none of this ever actually happened. Like no one actually sued each other. But a- after all was said and done, everyone dragged each other through the mud and made each other look terrible. Uh, my final assessment was that what she claimed happened probably did. And that she just overdid it as far as what she was demanding and got too greedy and then the whole thing fell apart. So that's the, that's where I thought she made the mistake. But it's funny because I was very doubtful at the beginning. And over time, yeah, I got to think from seeing more evidence and just from analyzing the way everybody on the other side acted, I said, you know, I, I hate to say it, but she seems to have the more consistent story and, and their rebuttals to this aren't really making a lot of sense. I, I think I believe her. Uh, I, some people believed for a while because I was one of her critics at the beginning that that Jacqueline Moscow and I hate each other. We 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 don't, and you know I I talk to her every so often. We're not friends, but we're on okay terms, and and I'm on okay terms with the people I've communicated with on the other side. But anyway, I I thought maybe the black eye they had from that whole thing might uh, delay them from rolling out any of the projects, but apparently not. They're just uh, plugging right along there. And now they're airing the final table right after Poker Night in America. And they got Helmuth involved, and they got Antonio involved, and got some smaller names in the Maria Ho and David Tuckman. So I don't quite understand the format. They're, they're covering poker tournaments throughout the U.S. and analyzing it. So, that's, so what is this, like a collection of different final tables that they're showing on there? It's kind of hard to understand what they're doing. But uh, I, I think it's something like that. Uh, but the, anyway, if you're interested, you can check it out. And it says, for exclusive behind-the-scenes coverage of the final table, visit www.pokernight.com, which is probably Poker Night in America's main site. So it looks like this is almost like a, an offshoot of Poker Night in America. And yeah, I, I see that. It's going to be on DirecTV in, on Channel 221, Dish Network Channel 158, and I guess some other cable companies will take it. I don't know if which companies are carrying it, but it's on the, the CBS Sports Network. I wonder how much they're making off this. Like, like are they okay? So, are they, you think they're paying to be on CBS Sports Network? Or you think CBS Sports Network's paying them, or you think neither? You have any idea? Uh oh. Uh oh, I think the herbal tea kicked in. No, I'm here. Oh, you're here. Okay. So, so do you think? Did you fall asleep? What happened there? Well, I don't know what happened. Okay. Well, <laughs> what, what what was the question? The though? question is: Do you think that the do you think they are paying to be on CBS Sports Network? You think CBS Sports Network is paying them, or you think it's an even exchange where nobody's paying each other? No, I think that. Uh, what you're talking about? Who? The, the both, both shows are on back to back and put on by the same company. There's a first uh, Poker Night in America and then the final table. I mean, I think they probably have to pay, but they wouldn't have done the deals unless they had advertisers in pocket that were going to basically pay for it. So I think it's yes. Yeah, so I'm sure it's. I don't think it's them paying for it directly. I think they get sponsors and advertisers first then pitch it to them and then they have a paid for show okay so you think it's like yeah so you think they're buying time on the network but they already have advertisers in place well yeah but it could be two advertisers that already advertised with cbs so then it's 
an easier deal to do rather than them having to be 100% responsible for everything. Yeah. Well, uh, there must be some money behind it because, you know, Phil Helmuth is not going to do this for free. He, Phil Helmuth is someone who is going to charge uh, a fair amount of money to do this, probably. And same with Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just wouldn't pay him that, uh, you know, what he's wanting because he's getting publicity off of it. I mean, Antonio's probably, he did really well, by the way, I thought during the broadcast of the World Series. And I just don't think, you know, it's like if you're doing something like this, you don't need to put yourself in the hole and get these big these people that want to charge you a fortune. Yeah, I wonder that, too, how much these people are are, uh, are charging for it. Like, uh, like, like, let's look at uh, Maria Ho and, and David Tuckman. Do you, I, I wonder if they're even getting paid for this or getting paid much at all or if they just look, would like the exposure or what the story yeah. is. Like, it's, it's hard probably, to tell. Yeah, they might be getting something small, but I'm sure the exposure is a big part of it. Yeah. And I don't think they're paying huge money to help you. I mean, it's possible Helmuth just wants to be seen. He has such a big He's ego. Got, of course, he wants to defeat his ego every night. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, you know the money's probably secondary. Yeah, he's Helmuth is is uh, he's kind of a unique situation. <laughs> he just uh, he, he really just always wants people to pay attention to him. I, I've talked again. I've talked before about the victory lap that he did one time. I think when he won his ninth bracelet, he actually just kept doing laps around the Bellagio afterwards. That just that, that same night, he's just walking around by himself over and over through the Bellagio, then through the poker room, then back through the Bellagio, then back through the poker room of Bellagio, and he's doing laps over and over. And people realized, as I was there while this was happening, that he's doing laps just so people see him and go, "Hey, Phil, you won your ninth bracelet. Great, congratulations!" He just did laps around there so people will see him and compliment him for winning. This is the night he won. That's hilarious. So, or maybe the day after, it was right after he won his ninth bracelet, he goes and he does these laps around the Bellagio. Not just once, but repeatedly, to where people realize, see, that's what he's doing. So, like, how many people would do that? <laughs> I'm sure he started many of those conversations, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, yeah, some of what he does on, on TV is an act, but, but then it, it's an act kind of based off his real personality. And it's, it's so weird when you're, you're one of the biggest names in poker. And, and and you've just won your ninth bracelet. You you think that it wouldn't be first on your mind to just walk around by yourself doing laps over and over so people can see you and congratulate you. But for for him that was important. So mm-hmm. okay, let's uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed here. You've made it to almost one a.m. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm starting to fade fast. So. Yeah, I can I can see. Oh, it's a. Uh-oh. Someone's saying, check your Twitter, Druff. That's Calwatt saying that. That could be good or bad. I wonder if he has good news or bad news. Calwatt, tap me out. Okay, yeah, Calwatt, yeah, come here and, and rescue Trey Ruski. Well, if Trey Ruski, if you really have to go, I can finish it myself. No, that's but, all right. I'll stay. Okay. I'll stay. Okay, so, uh, so anyway, I guess uh, so Poker Night in America, apparently it's owned by a consortium of casinos. And... Uh, the casinos or where they stop at uh, are probably the the owners of the show, so that seems to be part of it as well, from what I can see. So they that injects the money there as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the true finances behind Rush Tree Productions and Poker Night in America and what each person involved makes. Like, like how much is the Todd Anderson guy making, and how much is the whole thing making? It must be making money overall if they're adding a second show onto it. So. Whatever, you know, if they found a way to make money here. Team MLK 
messaged me tight sight, so I was worried that we're having some trouble. <laughs> I was afraid we're, we're having some issue broadcasting, but no, it's the tight sight is fine from what I can see. He just. I just get scared when I see messages like that. Because you know Team MLG is going to get satisfaction if like the site goes down in the middle of, of broadcasting. So let's see. Let's see what the ratings were tonight. Yeah, the ratings were... Yeah, the, 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 I knew they wouldn't be great because we started so late, but they, they were better than I thought. It's, it's gone down some since it's, it's late now. But when you, when you start a show after 10 o'clock Pacific, and the night after everyone was tired from watching the main event go till 4 in the morning Pacific time, and now they they watch the Cubs until late. Like I, I I can see like the Cubs ended at one in the morning Eastern time. So I can see why a lot of people just they they don't want to start with a show at that time. It makes sense. We probably lost a whole Chicago audience. We <laughs> we probably did. We probably yeah, probably people in Chicago they don't they don't uh, they're not looking to be here. Well, let's see. I bet we don't have PLOL in the chat. Let's see. I know. I have calls with two of my clients from Chicago tomorrow, and I know they would have been on suicide watch if they choked tonight. Oh, right, look, look, look. We have, uh, like, like Larry Laffer, who usually sticks around the entire show. He, he said, uh, well, I think I need to go now. Catch the rest of this tomorrow. And he left. So, <laughs> but, you know, Cal Watt's tired. Like, everyone's tired tonight. Like, everyone's tired because they, they, they stayed up both last night very late and tonight late. So, like, like. People just don't have it. They just don't have the energy. Like I, I think most of the listenership we're going to get this week is going to be, especially this week, from the archives. But that's fine. I have to remember when I do the show, I'm not really doing it for the live listeners. Though I'm always happy to have them. But it's, it's mainly people listening in the archives here. So, okay, let's uh, talk about this, uh, this scam. Bet on poker. I always like covering these just for the, the comedy of it. I don't think anyone who listens to the show is going to fall for something like this because it's just so obvious that it's it's a scam. This was brought to us actually by listener and forum poster, uh, FTP Jesus. I, I never knew why he named himself that. It's obviously a, something having to do with Chris Ferguson. but uh, I, I don't know if he admired Chris Ferguson or if it's something. I, I never understood if there's like a slam on Chris Ferguson. I, I don't understand him, but I, I know who the guy is in real life. Uh, he lives in Arizona, but this is this is uh, he brought it to our attention, and I thought it's interesting. This is called BetOnPoker.biz, and if you click on it, uh, you will see a pitch to where you can give these people money. They're supposedly in London. You can give them money to play poker for you for a guaranteed return. <laughs> Not only that, but uh, you have different levels you can contribute. Different levels you can contribute, and, and based upon those levels is, is how much return you'll get. And you'll, you'll love the name of these levels. So if you contribute the lower level of $10 through $300, then you're considered the two pairs level. <laughs> and the daily percentage that you're guaranteed in profit is... 0.6% to 0.9% over 65 days. <laughs> it, you'll get that every day. Not, not, not over 65 days. You'll get the 65 days in a row, somewhere between 0.6 and 0.9% profit. What a, what a great deal. I mean, you just send them 10 to $300 and you just automatically get 06 to 0.9% per day. What, what a wonderful deal. Now, the full house level, the full house level is between $301 and $5,000 there you will get 
anywhere from 1% to 1.99% per day, and you'll get it for 165 days. <laughs> but wait, a full house, that's, that's not the best thing. You know, the, best, the full house is not the most you could win. Of course, there's the Royal Flush. The Royal Flush level is if you donate anywhere between $5,001 and $30,000. That's the maximum. You may want to contribute more than $30,000, but that's the max they're taking from you is $30,000. There you will get 2 to 3.5% per day, and you'll get this for a full year, 365 days. <laughs> so think about it. You, you send them $30,000, and every day you'll get between 2% to 3.5% back. And that is, uh, you know, 2% of $30,000 would be $600. 3.5% would be $1,050. Pretty good, right? And you get that every day for 365 days. Can you imagine? That's, that's huge money you'd make. 365 days, even if you get the minimum of, of 2%, $600. $600 times 365 uh, you're you're going to be making uh, a lot of money. So you'll be making more than uh, more than six times your money when it's all over. And that's if you get the minimum. So wh- why wouldn't you do that? It's guaranteed. Well, obviously it's a scam. Uh, it's it's a scam that uh, traced back to Russia, but that they've somehow established uh, an address, which I don't even know if this is a, an address that they could actually ever receive mail. But they they claim it's on. Uh, uh, 68 King William Street, London, United Kingdom. That is a claim. They're doing this, of course, because Russia would scare people. So they may, they want to make it seem like it's the UK. I don't know if this is just a random address they grabbed, or you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this address. 68 King William Street, London. Let's see this. 68 King William Street. Uh, let's see what's actually there. I, I doubt it's actually bid on poker. Biz. Oh, uh, Colonel Fabersham's house. Oh, bollocks. They, they, they're using my flat for this whole thing. Now, uh, let me tell you what is at 68 King William Street in London. And I'll give them credit. It's right, uh, it's right there in London. But uh, Colonel Fabersham, tell us about 68 King William Street in London. 68 King William Street in London is situated in a prime location in the heart of London's financial district. These modern-served offices are close to many global financial institutions. Near London Bridge, in a rapidly developing business area on King William Street, some of the offices have views over the Thames. as The, the Thames River, of course. So uh, this is office space you can lease. And I, I'm guessing what, what they're doing is... Uh, they, they, I, <laughs> I think all they did is they just grabbed that address. And it says you can... Uh, you can Lease flexible workspace for an hour a day, a week, a month, or a year. Or you can get a virtual office. So that's probably what they got. Probably a virtual office where they you can just receive mail there. It says it's, uh, I don't know if this is the daily rate, but it's uh, three pounds to eight pounds per day or per whatever. Yeah, per day. It's per, uh, three pounds to eight pounds per day. So that's probably what they did. They probably got a, quote, virtual office and what looks like a very prestigious address in, in uh, a prime part of London. And they just get stuff forwarded to them. So they're probably coughing up the three pounds per day for this, which is nothing if they're taking in plenty of money on the scam. But in reality, it's based out of Russia. They're obviously not playing poker at all. Obviously, uh, 
even the best players cannot guarantee a return like this on a daily basis. Uh, let me read you their About Us section so we can, we can learn all about uh, bidonpoker.biz because it uh, sounds like a great opportunity. Let's go to About Us. You can check this out yourself, bidonpoker.biz, B-I-Z. Bid on Poker LTD, our history, only professional approach to game. <laughs> that's how it says. That's how it reads. Only professional approach to game. That sounds just like a Londoner. Uh, can provide the guaranteed positive result and profit. Based on this statement, we created the Bet on Poker Limited Company with progressive views and approaches to carrying out gamblings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Colonel Fabersham, what do you think of this, Colonel Fabersham? You, th- you think that uh, anyone in London talks like this? Have you gone mad? And approaches to carrying out gamblings? Well, what does that even mean? Yeah, it's uh, obviously someone who barely speaks English wrote this. Our specialization is the controlled and high-predicted bets for the result of game in online poker with use of the corresponding bet-on-poker software applications. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It is game which is very similar on usual game in poker, quote, Texas Hold'em, and which at the same time is very dynamic and profitable business on condition of professional approach to betting process. You you, you get the picture. You get the picture. This is uh, written in really broken English. I'm wondering even if they just ran it through a translator. It probably would have been better running through a translator than this. It sounds like they just tried to take a guess on how to write English. So, yeah, this is based out of Russia, and uh, they're not playing poker. They're stealing your money. And I, I don't know. Let me see how you can pay. I bet I bet Bitcoin's one of the way. They love to do this through Bitcoin because it's not only anonymous, but they can – Bitcoin people are often idiots, and they're much less savvy about these things than people who – have uh, poker experience. So they don't usually push this on poker sites because people are wise to it. Let's see. I, I don't... I'm, I'm looking how to even do it. I want to... I want to invest, but I can't see how to do it. Strange. Well, if you do it, if you do it, Trump, make sure you do 301, not 300, because that's a cutoff to get a bunch better return. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, who would ever do 300 or 5,000 when just for one more dollar you can get a lot better return? That would, it's, you exactly. got, you got to do it wisely. You got to do this, uh, you got to use the game theory here when you're figuring out exactly what to invest. So let's see. Uh, they have documents. What are documents here? In this section, you can study the documents on Bet on Poker Limited Company confirming legitimacy of our activity on the Internet and would grant the company the right to provide the activity at the international level. (laughs) You like this here. Uh, They have this picture... Uh, so they have this picture of a fake document. A certif- certificate of incorporation of a private limited company, company number 10207588, the registrar of companies for England and Wales, hereby certifies that Bet on Poker Limited is this day incorporated under the Co- Companies Act 2006 as a private company. The company is limited by shares, and the situation is a registered office in England and Wales. Given at a company's house Cardiff on 31 May 2016. I, I bet they just copied some actual form like this and they just wrote their own name in there. So, yeah, I, I wonder who falls for this. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to pay, though. I want to see how they're 
how you pay. Uh, and I mean, has there been reports that people have given them any money? Uh, no, because the, as I said, these are usually pitched on sites that are not related to poker. They they know if they pitch this on a poker site, they'll get laughed out of town. So, yeah, I see you can pay through uh, the following electronic payment systems. Perfect Money, which is in Israel, perfectmoney.is, Payyear, which is P-A-Y-E-E-R, and Advanced Cash, www.advcash.com. I have to think these are uh, shady payment processors that will take questionable payments like this. There's a lot of payment processors won't do things like this. So I'm going to click on Advanced Cash, see what that is. Uh, 404 not found. Oh, no, I see. They, they, it just is a bad link. Let me see. www.advcash.com. Let's see what it says. Uh, yeah, get paid as a freelancer or webmaster, manage affiliate and payroll solutions for your online businesses. So I see this. Yeah, these are just like crappy little payment processors that anyone can sign up for, for their website, where they probably take a percentage and they probably don't give a crap of who they're, uh, uh, who they're processing for. Just start outing them, too. Yeah, there's a lot. They of, should be doing their due diligence. I mean, yeah, of course. Ridiculous. Well, I see something about RUS on there, so I wonder if they. Yeah, I, I see they, they. Oh, you can click on the Russian version of the site. So they, you know, if they're taking Russian payments, that's got to be like mostly scams on there. Like, how, how many of these Russian payment processes you think are uh, are legitimate? Probably very few. Yeah, I got to think most of these out of Russia are like. Uh, all scams. So, anyway, I just wanted to. If you want to have a good laugh, check it out. Bet on poker.biz. Just, just please, please, please. No matter how tempting, don't sign up. Don't, don't pay. Don't do it. Don't do it. No matter how desperate you are, don't do it. But if you want to laugh at it, then by all means, go to it. it I mean, it's a safe site to visit. Bet on poker.biz. There's no spyware. There's no uh, viruses. You're, it, nothing's going to happen to your computer for going to bet on poker.biz. Uh oh. Trader Risky, are you snoring? No, no, no. Okay, I thought I heard snoring. Sorry. Oh. No, 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 I was just sniffling. I thought I was on mute. Okay. <laughs> All right, so there's a, another death in poker. Someone who too young to die, but did. Uh, you don't usually think of a 52-year-old of being on death's door, but uh, this person was and is no longer with us. This is Dave Colclo, also known as El Blondie. He died, I believe it was to cancer. So much like Devilfish, who died of cancer at 61. Uh, David Elliott died at 52 of cancer. I'm not sure what kind of cancer, but that, that's tough. You know, like, imagine you're that age and you find out, you know, in your late 40s you have terminal cancer. You don't expect to be hit with that. You just don't expect to be hit with that at that age. Uh, I... I met Dave Kolkla in uh, in 2006, and I'll tell you in a second about that. But he died uh, October 18th. He was a regular person on late night poker in the UK, and uh, he was originally from uh, Carmarthen, Wales. He was uh, actually a computer programmer, like I was, before taking up poker full time. Uh, he first cashed in poker. In Pot Limit Hold'em way back in 1995, when Pot Limit Hold'em was really a thing. And he ended up cashing total for about $2.6 million, And he was the second highest casher from Wales. Not sure who the first one would be. But that's, uh, 
He was the second highest cashier in Wales. He he had uh, the white hair that I think actually made him look older. It was he's one of these guys who had such light hair it looked gray. And then you know once you get older that starts to make it look like you're prematurely gray and you look older. So that's not always a good thing. But he was known as El Blondie for that reason. Now I played at a final table with Dave Kokla and I, I outlasted him. I was at a six-handed final table, No Limit Hold'em, in 2006 in the country of St. Kitts. I finished fourth for $87,000. I did. In fact, it was on European TV, on Sky TV, I think on some other thing. I, I, I have a copy of it somewhere. I, I searched on this computer and I couldn't fa- find it, which kind of bothered me because I, I kind of want to see it again. I didn't do anything outrageous on there or anything. There was no spinning seat covers and stuff like that. I just uh, just played out my hands and busted, and that was that. Uh, I, I was kind of card dead at the final table. So Dave was there with me. I think he came in short stacked. He finished sixth of the six players. I finished fourth, as I said. This was in St. Kitts. It was the Caribbean Poker Classic that they held there for a few years. I'm sorry, this is in 05. This wasn't 06. I also played in 06 and, like, bubbled. But uh, in 05, I finished fourth. He finished sixth. And I saw him there with a really hot blonde girl who was much younger than he was. She looked like mid-20s. Turned out she was. I thought she was a girlfriend. It turned out he was married to her. Her name was Rowena. R-H-O-W-E-N-A. Rowena Kokla was her name when she married him. And she was married to him at that point. But I saw them walking around, and she she looked really hot. I I looked at this, and I I was with my girlfriend then. uh, Different girl than with now, but Miri, who some of you know, was with me there in St. Kitts. And we saw this, and they were both kind of walking around drunk late at night. One of the nights we were there. You're you're in St. Kitts a while. You're, You're there for several days. So one of the nights they're walking around drunk and they're kissing each other and they're stumbling back to their room and we saw them and I thought to myself, you know, and I thought he was older than he was. He, he, it turns out you know, he's only eight years older than me, but I, I thought he was more than that. So this was back then. I was 33. I, I thought he was probably like late 40s. Turned out he was only 41. But she looked mid-20s, so I knew I, I thought there was like a 20-year age difference. Turned out it was 15 years, but whatever. But she really looked like someone who was with him for the money. It it just looked like, like just picture like a really hot chick in, in her mid-twenties. Really hot blonde chick, looks like a model. And it's with some guy who, who's in his forties. I mean, you, you know she's probably not with him because she likes his personality or she just likes older guys. Usually with a girl who looks like that, she's with him for money. So I, I said to Miri that I don't think this is going to last very long. We know why they're together. And she agreed. <laughs> we noticed that this is probably a money relationship and it's probably going to be done soon. Well, I was right. In early 2000, 2007, just a year and a half later, Dave came home and caught Rowena in bed with another man. That's got to be the worst. You know, it's one thing to find out your girlfriend's cheating on you, but this—he actually comes home and she's actually in bed with a guy. It's like the cliche. And the guy she was in bed with was her age. She was uh, twenty-six uh, back when I met her, so she was probably like I don't know, 
27, 28, in bed with a 26-year-old guy. Apparently, this guy was a friend of his, too. So that's some friend has sex with his wife. So he was obviously furious about this. And yeah, this is unfortunately what happens. If you, if you date a girl who's much younger than you that's really, really, really pretty, and she's probably with you for money, this, this is what's going to happen. She, if she's not all that into you and she's only into your money, then this, this is probably going to be your future. That she either leaves you or cheats on you or both. So he happened to come home and find this. I think he came home early from something that he was supposed to be at for longer, so she thought she was safe to be doing this. So he kicked her out of the house and sat down to his computer and Tilt wrote a blog about the situation. He, he decided that uh, his first order of business after kicking her out of the house for having sex with his buddy was that he's going to write a blog trashing her for this and explain why she's no longer with him. Yeah, so he, he wrote out a blog, and I don't have a copy of it. I wish I did, but uh, he wrote out a blog. And what's funny is Haley Hintz, who wasn't that known of a poker reporter back then. This is one of her earlier articles. Uh, she wrote this on a site called kickasspoker.com. Uh, she wrote, Salacious Times, El Blondie Cuckolded by Rowena, which wasn't even true. And I'm surprised Haley wrote that. Haley's usually pretty much on the ball. But uh, this article uh, was saying it was cuckolded. Cuckolding means that you willingly allow or want your wife to have sex with other men. And it's not an open relationship. An open relationship is where you're both having sex with other people, even if separately. Like you have an agreement where you can just do what you want. Cuckold is like like where you're not supposed to be with anybody else, but your wife can be with other guys. And in fact, uh, some guys have a big fetish about this. And in fact, like watching, I've never understood it. I, I've never understood it at all. Like that's not like not only is it not a turn on for me, for me it'd be a big turn off. I just I, I would never want to watch my girlfriend like being with another dude in front of me, or even think about her being with other guys. Like I th- that to me is is a huge turn off. But but some some guys are into this. But I don't even know why Haley wrote back in 2007 that Dave was cuckolded. Because Dave didn't want this. When Dave found out about this, he kicked her out and was pissed. So, I mean, he, he acted the right way. He, he was stupid to marry someone like this that would probably do this to him, but uh, he wasn't cuckolded. Anyway, he was just being cheated on. But after writing this blog, Dave realized, especially after seeing articles like what Haley wrote, that the situation might be somewhat humiliating to him, even though he didn't allow it, even though it was her cheating on him, that it's just a little bit embarrassing that his wife decides to go have sex with other dudes when he's gone, especially that she's much younger than him. He kind of just looks like you know, an old chump who got a hot girlfriend because of his money who wasn't really into him and, and was banging other guys on the side. It's, it's not something you'd want to brag about. So he realized that the, the blog which he wrote in anger uh, probably doesn't make him look the best either, even if he didn't do anything wrong. So he deleted the blog and then foolishly attempted to go around and claim that uh, he never wrote the blog. It never existed. <laughs> and look, like, I, I understand. I understand why he did this in a moment of hurt. He definitely had a right to trash her after she did this to him. Uh, I understand all that, but once you've done it, once it's on the internet, and once people have seen it and they're gossiping about it, you, you can't deny it's there. Once you put something on the internet and people talk about it being there, you can't deny it's there. You can remove it so people can't read it, but you can't deny you ever wrote it, because you look like a fool. And that's what he did. He, he denied he wrote it, and nobody bought that. 
th- that was really the last I heard about him. I mean, he continued playing poker and everything, but that was really the last I heard about him was the whole thing with his wife cheating on him back in early 07. I remember reading about that at the time going, wow, like this is exactly what I thought would happen. But this is worse than I thought because he actually caught her with the guy and then blogged about it, then deleted the blog, and then denied he ever wrote the blog. I will say that Dave was a nice guy in my interactions with him. Uh, When I read the story of what happened to him in in 2007, I felt bad for him, even though in a way he was kind of asking for it by being with a girl who was just after him for money. That was pretty obvious. But, you know, I I can understand. The guy uh, has a weakness for a hot girl who's showing interest in him. It's not like she's saying, hey, I'm only with you for money. You can, you can delude yourself into thinking that uh, she really likes you and feel really good that a girl who looks like that wants you, especially at that point when you're over 40. So I, I felt bad for him having gone through that. He seemed like a nice guy. You know, sometimes I'll play with a poker player that is a known name, and I, I think the guy's an arrogant dick. And I, but, but not with Dave. I thought he was nice. He was very pleasant to me. I felt bad for him for what happened back then. I, I think he handled the whole thing stupidly with denying that he wrote the blog, but uh, and I think he made a bad decision with who he chose to marry, but you know he, he didn't hurt anybody. He hurt himself. He didn't hurt anybody, so I'm not going to criticize him too much. It was kind of a funny story, but at the same time, kind of a sad story. But what's especially sad is that he died at 52, unlike Devilfish, who I thought was a piece of crap, and I didn't shed a tear for when I heard he died. Uh, I've, I've only heard good things about Dave Colclaw, so... I did really feel bad for him when I heard that he died of cancer at age 52. That's not something that anyone who's anything of a decent person should have to face. You you shouldn't go from cancer at 52. And uh, I don't know what kind of cancer, but a lot of times it's not your fault. You can't even say, oh, he was smoking. Maybe it was lung cancer, but a lot of times people die at that age just from bad luck from a cancer they couldn't have prevented, that they just got. And by the time the discovery was too late, try to battle it. Live your last few years in pain. Live your last few months in intense pain. And then you're gone much earlier than you expected. You you think you're going to live 30 years past that? Nope, you're gone at 52. So, very sad. Rest in peace, Dave Kolkla. Sorry I uh, told everybody again about your uh, marriage that ended in 2007, but I, I thought I had to mention it. But I, I I felt bad when I heard he was dead. One more thing related to this. Uh, prior to being with Dave, Rowena worked as a dominatrix for pay on a site called Planet Femdom, which is still up, Planet Femdom. Now, she's not working there anymore. And in fact, she's now in her mid-30s. But she had a profile on there. If you go to PokerFraudAlert.com, and uh, go to the poker community discussion. You can f- click on the Dave Colclaw thread, and if you click, you can see her profile. It wasn't a very salacious profile, but it, it did show a picture of her. She actually used her own name there, R- R- Rowena. And what you could actually do on there back then is you could pay for her to come over and dominate you. You really could. You could buy Rowena back in uh, in those days, and she would come dominate you. That's what's really weird is that uh, I see the date of this archive was uh, 2007. So did she go back to this after he kicked her out? I don't know. 
says she's born January 1st, 1980, which may or may not be accurate. I think it's accurate, which would make her almost 37 at this point. But I don't know if she went back to work for that after the after he kicked her out, because this date was, was May 18th, 2007, or it could be just that they left her profile up and she was up you know, working at that before. But uh, let me see here. I think, yeah, she was on the site before she was with him back at 04. So they, they probably just didn't remove her from there. But I don't know, maybe she went back to doing that after she was no longer with him. That that whole thing's a really strange world, that domination for pay sort of thing. Probably most of you don't know about this, and I, I've never done this, in case you're thinking that uh, I'm secretly doing this. <laughs> And, and presenting a clean image out here. Now, I, I've never uh, hired a, a girl to dominate me for pay, but uh, uh, I, I know about this. I know about a lot of things that I don't actually do or partake in. And uh, it, it's, it's a really weird thing in that you... Uh, if you go on a site like adultfriendfinder.com or one of these sites where you're supposedly going to find women who are into kinky stuff like you are, it doesn't work out like you think it will. Because there's like way, 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 way more men, like often like a, a thousand to one male to female ratio. I'm not even kidding. It, it's something like that. Where the, the chance of finding a real female on there who, uh, number one, is interested in you over like the thousand guys competing with you. And number two, is into the same stuff you are is like tiny. So like signing up for those sites is a complete waste of time for the most part. So... The truth is there are not that many women out there who naturally are dominant, naturally want to like dominate a guy in bed. Like Most women are just not into that. Most women want the guy to be in control there. Even ones that like to be more in control outside of the bedroom, the, the ones in the bedroom, it's rare to find a woman who wants to usually do that. It's just that most women are not into that. And I'm sure... Most guys listening to the show, especially older ones that have probably been with a number of women by now, I'm sure you've noticed that too, that uh, typically the women want you to be the one in control. So for that reason, you're unlikely in just normal dating to find a woman who's going to be like into the whole dominatrix thing and is going to want to dominate you. In fact, uh, guys who are into that will often scare women away because a lot of women, they, they want a guy who kind of takes charge in that way and is not one who... Yeah, wants to act like uh, all submissive in bed. It's like a turnoff to them. So this is where the dominatrix for pay thing comes in, where there's women who, most of them are not even really dominant in real life. Like when, like, when they are having sex with their boyfriends like, outside of this whole job, they're not even dominant. But they, they're just playing a part. They're, they're playing a role. And they will uh, dominate guys for pay. They'll have like what they call sessions. And one person who got into this and ended up actually, I don't know, marrying or, or being with his dominatrix was one of the uh, Wachowski brothers who, who made the Matrix. I think Larry, I think that was, that was the one who did. But he, the one that eventually became a woman. I think the second one eventually did too. But he was very much into that and being dominated. And he met some uh, dominatrix who then... They don't usually do this, but it ended up being with him in a regular relationship, probably because he had so much money and fame, and she smelled the opportunity to be part of that and decided to give up her business and just be with him full-time. 
But usually what happens is you're just – you don't have a real relationship with these women. It's, it's almost like prostitution, but there's not usually sex involved. Usually they're just like dominating you and just uh, uh, doing things to hurt you or whatever and, or control you and, and you're paying them for it. So that, that's what she did. And I, I can only imagine you know, for the women doing this, while it's I guess good for them they don't have to have sex with these weirdos, I, I think that it's got to be like unpleasant to do this. It's got to be kind of weird to dominate some creepy guy who has these, these fantasies about you doing all these uh, these things to hurt him and degrade him and is getting off on it. And you, you are, you're not into it at all and you're not attracted to him at all, but you've got to force yourself to and you've got to force yourself to pretend you're really into all this. But I, I guess the money's good enough and they don't actually have to have sex, so I guess some of them prefer this over regular prostitution. But that, that's what Rowena was into. So that's 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 who Dave ended up marrying. I guess I guess uh she went from being a dominatrix for pay to being a uh, almost a wife for pay to cheating on him and then who knows what she did next. I d I don't know what she's doing today. It is funny when some of these guys, some of these older guys who have these hot young wives, and then you find out what the wife was doing before she was with the guy, and it turns out she was a prostitute or stripper or uh, uh, the prostitute and stripper or a, uh, a dominatrix for pay. It's interesting to look what the history is of these women sometimes. Because you know, when, when they're with a rich guy, then they they act all high and mighty. They act like they uh, they act like they would have never, never been involved in that sort of thing. And then you find out that was their past life, and it kind of starts to make sense. I think those type of women, you know, who do these things for pay, are more likely to go after a gold digger. For, I mean, they're more likely to be a gold digger for obvious reasons than a woman with a normal background and normal job. I, I would recommend to the male listeners of the show, if you haven't already learned this and realized this, I would recommend that you not ever have a serious relationship with anyone who is likely to be with you because of the money you have. If you don't have a very, very strong sense that they like you for who you are and that they're legitimately attracted to you, then run far, far away. If you want to just have like a one night stand with them, that's fine. But you know, like like do not get in a relationship. They they will never change. It will never end well. So some of these guys just they just get too excited that they're with someone who looks so good. They don't bother to think about what the future will hold and why the girl is into them. I I've always tried to think about it. Every girlfriend I've had, I've tried to think why does she like me. And like, not to put myself down, but like I think, what is it that she likes about me? What is it about me that she likes? And, and I try to answer this for myself so I can feel good about the relationship, that it's uh, legitimate and for the right reasons. And in the cases where I can't come up with a good reason, then I, I would question it. And you know, if, at this point, if a girl who's like you know, twenty-five years old who looked like a model was interested in me, I, I would have to think, okay, what's the reason for this? But 
now you know if there's a girl who I'm very attracted to personally, but uh, but doesn't look like a like a model, that that's a different story. But I'm talking about one that like just about every guy would would be like really really attracted to, and who could be a model? And I I I would have to think at this point in my life, at the age I am now, and the age this girl would be at, like, why why does she want to be with me? And uh, if the answer is something about money, then I would say nope. <laughs> Cannot do that. Oh, I see it. We got, I got an answer from FTP Jesus. He said he started out as a joke on Quad Jacks. I was pretending to be Chris Ferguson and even on Twitter. Okay. So he was kind of trolling Chris Ferguson and then he just kind of he just kind of kept the name. That's funny. See, I got an, I, I always wondered about that. I always wondered about that. See, that I, I kind of like that explanation. I was, I was thinking, does this guy like idolize Chris Ferguson after all he did? And I'm like, oh, okay, he was just kind of trolling him, pretending to be him, mess around with people, and then uh, just kind of kept the name after after it was outed that he wasn't really him. Let's see, is Trader Risky gone? Pretty sure we. Should... Wait, well, he's he's connected here. Trader Risky here. Yeah, I'm just gonna drop him. I dropped him. He can, he can come back on if he wants. But I dropped him. I see TMLK is on. If he wants to call in, he can. I mean, what else do I have to do at this time? Now it's been a while since we had a show. We had a, a last show was on October twenty third, and it was like a Saturday night show. It was a weird show. Before that was October twelfth. So we haven't had many shows recently. Between October twelfth and now, this is only the third show. I think before that, we, we hadn't been on in a while either. We, we really haven't had that many shows recently. Let me see. I'm, I'm going to take a look here. I think I just haven't done much radio recently. I've, I've kind of been missing it. I was like looking forward to tonight to doing the show. I just felt like it's been forever. I felt like we just haven't been on that much. And I, I believe between the various things that have been going on, that's the truth. So we had a show. Yeah. Wow, we've had very few shows. Okay, so we had a show on... September 28th, then October 12th, then October 23rd, then November 3rd. Wow. So this is only the fourth show since uh, September 22nd. Wow. Okay. Only four shows in about a month and a half. So, yeah, that's... We've been pretty much averaging like once every uh, 12 days or something, or 11 days. So, yeah, we're hopefully going to be back on a once a week thing. TMLK is saying, uh, what? He's, he's complaining. He says he's upset. I won't give him a secret forum. Well, here, I'm, I'm just going to do something against my better judgment. I'm going to call him right now. See if he will pick up. I can't believe I'm walking into a TMLK call, but I'm trying to establish one. See, I, I think he can't talk right now. Otherwise, he'd be hammering me. I think he, I think he can't talk. I think he probably... Is in the same room as his uh, Asian girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, he's not answering. Like, he can call in if he wants. I like he wins like like two weeks in a row, and he thinks he should have his own NFL forum. Like like he kept losing, losing, losing. Then then finally he wins a few weeks in a row. He thinks he deserves his own forum here. This is. Team MLK has always overestimated his own importance. 
uh, he says he answered. Just, just call back in yourself. For some reason, it wasn't connecting. He's always thought that he was more important to this show, more important to the site. He doesn't even post much on the site and thinks he's important to the forum. He he always wants too much credit. And he's good for about, I don't know, a five, ten minute segment as comic relief, but that's about it. That, honestly. And, and on the forum, he's pretty useless. The forum, he kind of just lives off his uh, radio glory. If he, if he didn't ever call radio, no one would care about him on the forum. Because his forum posts are crap, but people pay attention to him somewhat just because of his radio appearances. He's become a, a character all these years. Yeah, now he's making his demands about coming on. You know, screw this. Something about $100. I, I, he can call in if he wants. Otherwise, forget it. I'm going to move on to the next topic, and if he wants to call, he can. Okay, the next topic here. DraftKings and FanDuel are struggling. And I'm kind of happy to see that. You may wonder, how, how are they struggling? How, how could these companies that, that have so many players... Daily Fantasy Sports has been so successful on these two sites. There's a number of other uh, fantasy sports sites that have failed that never really got going. But these two, they have so many players. They're both huge, uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. So, so how could they be struggling? Well, you're forgetting that they spent a lot of money on marketing. Remember how many ads you saw, especially during high-profile broadcasts? I can only imagine how much they paid. So the rumor is, and this was posted on Deadspin, so keep that in mind. Deadspin is a, a gossip site, and it's like a sports gossip site. I once appeared on Deadspin when I tweeted about the leaky roof of the World Series of Poker in 2015. But it says, report DraftKings and FanDuel aren't paying vendors and have almost no cash on hand. That's pretty bad that they are uh, so broke that they're not even paying vendors. It says, uh, Dr- Daily Fantasy he- heavyweights, DraftKings and FanDuel are in dire financial straits, months behind on payments to vendors and suffering from extreme cash flow problems, according to the New York Times. Joe Drape reports that DraftKings and FanDuel are close to a settlement with New York State Attorney General Eric T. Schneiderman, in which the two companies have agreed to pay somewhere between eight and twelve million to satisfy complaints of false advertising. We've talked about that on the show. The hundreds of millions of dollars worth of commercials the two companies ran advertised an easy game that anybody could win big money, but the Attorney General's office actually found the vast majority of players, approaching ninety percent in two thousand thirteen uh, to four, through fourteen, uh, lost money. More intriguing than this relatively small settlement, however, is the reporting that the two companies have asked to pay it in installments and are facing massive financial difficulties. DraftKings and FanDuel are so short of cash, according to the two people familiar with the negotiations, that they have asked Mr. Schneiderman's office if they can pay the final settlement in installments and that they have conceded they are having difficulty meeting their day-to-day obligations. Within the past three weeks, 
FanDuel has laid off more than 60 people, and both companies have acknowledged they are months behind in their payments to vendors, especially to the array of public relations and lobbying firms that they have employed across the nation to persuade individual state legislatures to legalize daily fantasy games, the most critical component of rebuilding their business. In June, Bloomberg reported that the two companies were exploring a merger, and Drape writes that they will merge quote as soon as possible. It seems that a merger and a large infusion of cash, together the two companies have already gone through numerous venture capital rounds and raised over a billion dollars, is the only way they will stave off insolvency. Wow. This reminds me of something. Does this remind you of anything? Can you think of a company that we know of very well? that had a lot of customers, had a lot of income, seemed to be doing really well, seemed to be very solid, spent a lot of money, spent a lot of money on advertising specifically, and was broke. Can you think of any company that was like that? Full Tilt Poker. This really reminds me of Full Tilt Poker. Full Tilt, despite taking in a lot of money on Rake, ran such expensive advertising campaigns that they went broke and they dipped into player money to cover that. And then when they started having payment processor issues to where they couldn't process deposits, they started just crediting people's accounts without taking the money out of their bank accounts and figured, I will solve this later. And that compounded the problem. Then right then Black Friday hit and all these factors together also combined with the fact that they were giving massive distributions to their owners that uh, and read pros on there. They were flat broke. All that money that it showed you had in your account was meaningless. They didn't have any of it. So it looks like DraftKings, while I'm not hearing about a and, and FanDuel, I'm not hearing about a problem paying their customers. But I do wonder, like, we're going to talk about this in a second, a guy that I know in poker... Eric Crane just won like $1.3 million on there. Could, could he withdraw this right now, or did they not have enough money for that? I don't know. If they're having trouble paying an $8 million fine, maybe they couldn't pay someone who wants to withdraw $1.3 million. <laughs> I didn't think of this, but maybe Eric Crane better withdraw fast. Anyway, they apparently overspent on these uh, these ads they constantly ran. I remember how much you'd see them. Just constantly, just in your face. You just couldn't, couldn't escape them. So that's a lot of money. It says in this article, hundreds of millions of dollars, and I believe it. And then they spent a lot of money on lobbying that would uh, try to persuade state legislatures to legalize it in those particular states. Which also adds up. And Full Tilt did that too. Remember I told you about the million dollar bribe that they gave to Senator Harry Reid, who sure enough, right around that time of the alleged bribe, he changed his position on legalizing online poker. So I believe, I fully believe that they bribed Reid. One million dollars. Yeah. So, by the way, the reason that was never proven or fully investigated was because the Democrat-run Department of Justice decided that they didn't want that investigation to continue. It's true. Look it up. Eric Holder protected Harry Reid, but it seems very likely he took a million million dollar bribe from Full Tilt. So Full Tilt, they were doing things like this. They were spending money on lobbying. They were spending tons of money on advertising 
big distributions to the ownership, and they were broke. So now we have DraftKings and FanDuel, who right around the same time look like they were both broke. And you may say, well, how this happen? How they both go broke around the same time? I think they were both spending so much money competing with each other and took the same business model as each other that they both met the same fate around the same time. Uh, there's another article here. Let's see if I can bring this up on FlushDraw.net that mentioned that uh, it's imminent that they're going to have a merger. Let's see, this is an article. I don't like the new format of FlushDraw. It was a very good news site, but it's you can't even see who wrote the article very well. And I see Dan Katz wrote this. There's there's two writers really on there: Dan Katz and Haley Hints. This is by Dan Katz, but yeah, but both of them uh, write pretty good articles. So either one of them is a pretty reliable source. So Dan Katz wrote on uh, November first that the merger is imminent. That uh, a report by ESPN's David Purdom and Don Vanatta Jr. said that FanDuel and DraftKings are in the process of finalizing the terms of a merger. And the sources told them the deal has been in the works for quite some time, but is now imminent. So it looks like this is their last shot. I, I guess they, they've decided if you can't beat, it, beat them, join them. And they're joining each other. I guess they've decided that they really can only go forward as one company. They just can't afford to compete with one another. And that if they are only one company, then... I guess they determined they probably have a lot of the same players on both, so why continue with two separate companies with two separate ad campaigns? And They're duplicating a lot of things here, so I guess they figured the only chance is to merge. But who knows? That may not work either. But I'm sure they're, they're, they're learning. They're learning to cut the fat, much like poker sites have learned. They're laying off employees. They're cutting down the advertising. I always thought the advertising was excessive. I mean, yes, these were the two that succeeded because of that, but at some point it becomes redundant. At some point, someone wants to play daily fantasy sports, they, they have enough exposure to where they, they know it exists, and then just continuing to over-advertise is just waste a waste of money, and I believe that's what they did. So, I, also, I guess they, they were both spending money on lobbying, they were both spending money on... Uh, on various legal battles, they're like, you know what, let's just consolidate all this effort. Like, Why should we both be spending money for lobbying? Why should we both be spending money on uh, legal matters? When we're both basically facing the same thing. So it makes sense. It's not clear if they do merge, which is supposedly going to happen, is it going to be a new company name for both? Is it going to be just one company continues, the other one disappears? Are they going to combine them in some way, branding-wise? Or are they going to continue with separate brands and just be the same company behind both? Kind of like what Poker Stars did with owning Full Tilt for a while, where it was two separate sites and just owned by the same people. Of course, Full Tilt is gone now. So they may do that. Bloomberg reported 
recently that uh, DraftKings co-founder and CEO Jason Robbins would become the new chief executive of the merged company, and that uh, the FanDuel co-founder and CEO Nigel Eccles will be the chairman of the board. So they'll each have a major role there. But there's still a possibility that the merged company CEO could come from outside of both of the firms. Combined, these two have over 90% of the market. So they really are pretty much the whole market, those two together. There's also been some concern that with no competition that the, the rake will go up with one super company. Because there will be no competition anymore. If, they, if one company is running 90% of all the action, then they can do what they want. However, it's said that uh, regulators would possibly balk at this. But they're trying to get legalized and regulated. So if they just start jacking up rake on things, like that, it could prevent them from getting legalized and regulated. So they may not do that. So, we will see. Now, a big winner recently, Daily Fantasy Sports. I'm not even sure which of the two he was playing on, but Eric Crane, a.k.a. Jack's Poker. You can see him on Twitter. is at uh, Eric Crane. That's E-R-I-C-C-R-A-I-N. Eric Crane. He was originally a limit hold'em player. I used to play him all the time in Absolute Poker. And I'll tell you, you never knew which Jack's Poker you were going to get. He was Jack's 101 Poker on there. That's J-A-K-Z, 101 Poker. Sometimes you'd get the good Jacks who played a, the pretty good Limit Hold'em game. And then sometimes you'd get the totally crazy Tilt Monkey Jacks who just would raise, 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 raise on every street with absolutely nothing. It was crazy. Like he, You'd play him and he'd go four bets with you on every street and you'd see he'd show down a 10 high and no pair, no draw. I never understood what would cause him sometimes to play that way and sometimes to play totally normally. I, I don't know if it was a drinking problem or a tilt problem. I, I never knew him to really do drugs. I don't think it was a drug problem. But uh, he's he's from the St. Louis area. And uh, he, he's a younger guy. He's not that young anymore. He was young back then. But now I think he's probably like early 30s. I think he's married now. He's, he's more consistent nowadays and he doesn't play as much poker. He... He plays the World Series still, and he's friends with that whole Brett Ritchie, Tom Coral, uh, Brad Lisbon, you know, Brad L., that, that whole crowd. Yeah, Brad Woodward, not Brad, uh, not Brad, uh, uh, Matt Woodward, that, that whole group. Uh, that's He's been friends with that group for a long time. So, uh, he's, he's been... Basically nice when I've seen him in person. Uh, he did go off on me on Twitter recently. I'd say like earlier this year, not really recently, but I, I made some kind of joke about the scandal that the Daily Fantasy Sports sites were having, and he just went off on me. You have no idea what you're talking about. Why don't you stick to poker? You know, Stop being ignorant. He just really went off on me. And I was just joking about things. I was, I was making some kind of joke about uh, collusion on there or something, but, but boy, did he get mad. <laughs> and he doesn't work for these sites. He just is a professional player there. He thought I was like re- insulting his livelihood. So, anyway, he, he won like uh, 
1.3 million. And I think what's amazing is I think not only did he finish in first place in the Sunday million there, I think he also finished second because you, you're allowed to enter multiple times. I believe he finished first and second there. And I think at, at one point someone got ahead of him, but then he got ahead again. And then it became clear that one of his two entries was going to win. Like his two entries were competing with one another, which is, of course it didn't matter which one. So not only did he win the million dollar first prize, but then he won like a the two hundred fifty k second prize, and he won some other prizes. So I think he got like one point three something million, which is pretty impressive. In fact, I was jealous. I thought, hmm, I, I know there's a whole lot of work, and I like I haven't done it yet, so it'd be a, a learning curve, and you know, a lot of variance. And do I really want to get into all this and try to catch up with people like him who are obviously very good at it? Like you know, but I was like, hmm, maybe I should do this because you know I, I wouldn't do it like a fish. I'd have to learn to do it like like guys like him do but wow like imagine you you just enter these things and you just sit and watch football play out and you're like oh my god like all my players are doing so well wow i can't believe this I'm, i might win this and then you see and like with, like with every football play like everything's so huge as you're watching the last game of the day go but he won it so pretty good i know if this was me though I, I know I wouldn't win that. I know if it was me, I'd like get close, and then like something really crappy would happen at the end, and I'd finish like tenth. That, that's that's what I would picture would happen with me. But yeah, got to be a, a great day. Got to be an amazing feeling to win that. I've never won that type of money in one day. Most money I ever won in one day was when I won my bracelet, three hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. And that was a very nice feeling back in 05. But to win $1.3 million, that's like four times that. So I, I, I can't picture the way it would feel like to win over a million in one day. That's just insane. Aside from the main event, I don't even play events that I could win that much in one day. Except the years I play the Millionaire Maker. But other than that, um, most of the tournaments, I, if I win in the World Series, I'd win a few hundred thousand. So, I know what that feels like. Don't know what it feels like to win a million or more in one day. The Pennsylvania House has passed an online poker bill that has brought it much closer to legalizing online poker in Pennsylvania. Actually, I think it's an online gambling bill, maybe... Let me see. Online poker, online gambling. Let's see. Uh, It's actually online gambling, not just online poker. It's online gambling. It would legalize and regulate online gambling, including online poker and daily fantasy sports in Philadelphia, not in Philadelphia, but all of uh, Pennsylvania. And this has passed the House over there, but it has to pass the Senate. Now, I'm wondering. What kind of chance is there for it to pass the Senate there? And for whatever reason, the Senate is is not acting quickly on this, and the House is the, the supporters of this bill are kind of annoyed because the the Senate's kind of just stalling whether whether they want to act on this or not. But so they're they're trying to put pressure on the Senate there to speed things up. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. It may drag on further. There isn't that much opposition to it, so there's a decent chance the Senate will pass it. Uh, they, they tried to uh, 
use this to fix a $100 million shortfall for the 2016-2017 budget. So that that's why they're they're pro doing this. Of like, hey, our our budget is behind, and if we can get like an extra hundred million dollars out of uh, regulating and taxing online gambling here, but why don't we? Why, we should do that. It's a good idea. But uh, it's not clear exactly how they're going to get a hundred million dollars out of it. And as we've seen in New Jersey and in Nevada, they they always have big eyes as far as these things are concerned. They believe it's going to bring all kinds of huge money, and it never does. That these these things end up being fail sites and end up producing like ten percent or less of the revenue that they thought it would, which is a huge overestimation. Like, how do you think something's going to make a certain amount, and you make like less than a tenth of that? That's a pretty bad estimate you made there. But uh. The House, I guess, believes that it will probably go through. However, uh, am I excited about this? Well, it won't affect me personally, at least not directly, because I'm not in Pennsylvania. I'm not close to Pennsylvania. I'm not likely to go to Pennsylvania, unless I'm going to go visit bad guy in the residential neighborhood. So why does this even matter to me? Well, it will be interesting to see how online poker in Pennsylvania will do. And if it does well, then that would be a model that other states would want to emulate and would bring us closer to either a whole lot of states accepting online poker or a cooperation of a lot of states together accepting online poker or maybe even federal online poker at some point that would start to emulate the old days of online poker. But let's be realistic about this. Pennsylvania has a population of about 12.7 million people. New Jersey, which already has online poker and has for a long time, has a population of 9 million people. So it's, it's a difference, but it's not a huge difference. It's you know maybe, what, 30% more or so that they have in Pennsylvania versus New Jersey. Now, New Jersey's online poker is basically a fail. The online casinos, they're, they're doing okay. Again, it's much below what they thought it would have, but the online poker has been a fail. I'm going to go look at Poker Scout right now, which is what tracks the number of players on these sites. I'm going to read it to you right now. Now, yes, it's the middle of the night over there. It's uh, 4.53 a.m. as I read this. But still, Party Borgata, which we'll talk about something embarrassing that happened there. They have uh, oh, they have a massive number of people on r- right now. They have about uh, 25 players playing cash right now. <laughs> There are, uh, it's not even clear how many people are on, but I see, uh, there's, there's 28 people, oh, sorry, there's only 20 people playing cash, not even 25, it's 25 online, but 20 playing cash. There are 28 people playing cash right now on WSOP.com. <laughs> and uh, 33 people playing cash on PokerStars, New Jersey. Uh, this is pathetic so you may say well this is like about as bad as you can get on a Thursday morning at slightly before 5am and then you'd be right what about their averages Party Borgata averages 75 people on at a time Poker Stars 110 WSOP 120 
So combine all three of these, and even as, as, let's pretend these are different people, which they're not. They're probably a lot of these are the same people across three sites. But even if you want to say they're all different people, it's only about 300 people total on average. That, that's pretty pathetic. That's not bringing in a lot of money. It's not. So uh, by, to give you a uh, comparison, Ignition, which is what Bovada became, uh, they, they have much fewer than they used to have when uh, they were Bovada, but they still are averaging about uh, 1,150 people on, which is much better, much, much better than uh, any of these, even all these three combined. The Winning Poker Network, averaging 800 people. The Chico Network, 600 people. So these online poker sites... The illegal ones that are offering to U.S. players are blowing away the New Jersey sites. Now, of course, they're offered to most states, whereas the New Jersey ones are only for people physically located in New Jersey. But still, it's they're legal. There's 9 million people there, and all they're getting is about 300 people online total together on average. So... Yeah, Pennsylvania has a 30% larger population, so what are they going to have? Uh, instead of 300 people total online for the three of them, they're going to have uh, 400 people? I mean, big deal. That That's not a success story. That's not going to bring a lot of money to the state. The state may make money through taxing the online gambling, you know, the casino gambling, the blackjack, the roulette, the slots, the video poker, but they, the, online poker is not going to catch on over there. It's just not. It's going to be similar, maybe a little bit bigger, but similar to New Jersey. What we need is online poker in California. California has almost 39 million people. That's about three times the size of Pennsylvania. It's more than four times the size of New Jersey. That, I think, is enough of a player pool to where there can be sites that are successful. What we ultimately need is a cooperation between a number of states. And I don't mean the stupid cooperation between Nevada and Delaware. That's a joke. I mean, they they have right now 130 people on, on WSOP.com, which is the only site with people on in, in Nevada and Delaware. So they have an average of 140. So that's, that's also a failure. Because Nevada and Delaware are not populous states. So we need several states together, some of which have a large population, you know, something where you're having like a, a hundred million people together. That would be a good site. But these state-by-state sites, except maybe California, are all going to be failures. So don't don't get all excited that Pennsylvania is going to have these great sites. It's not. It's not. It's not that much bigger than New Jersey. A lot of people think Pennsylvania is huge. It's not. It's one of the bigger states in the nation, but it's still not huge. The three biggest states here by population, California, New York, and Texas. Beyond that, uh, the populations just aren't that large. So the Texas population, the, the Texas is kind of anti-gambling, so they're not going to have this anytime soon, but they have 27 million. That's, that's a big population. New York's population, uh, the state, see, New York City's alone is 8.4 million, but the state is uh, 20 million, so that's a third. And uh, 
Yeah, Texas is second. Florida, that'd be a good one, twenty million. So we need those states involved, especially California. Okay, so let me tell you about what happened. This uh, geolocation embarrassment that happened to Party Borgata in New Jersey. This is, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. I think this has been going on for three years. They've had this these legalized online poker sites in New Jersey. I think they went up in November 2013. So th- this is crazy that such a thing could happen at this point. Uh... There is some kind of fault in the geolocation services connected to the New Jersey servers. Uh, This is what someone wrote on 2 Plus 2. I've been there playing every day with zero issue. All of a sudden, yesterday, I'm having geolocation issues. I've tried everything I could think of, been told what to do by support. Uninstall, reinstall, log on with a different browser, try to play in a different browser, update Java, nothing fixes the problem. The most interesting part is that I'm able to log in and sit down at a table on my mobile app, but my desktop it doesn't work. LOL makes sense. Someone please help. So then uh, Asher Conniff wrote, uh, he wrote on Twitter, through a statement that he made uh, on like a notepad on his iPhone. Obviously what happened this Sunday on BorgataPoker.com was unacceptable and frankly lame. Rolling geolo- geolocation issues caused the whole site to shut down. The main issue is that not all disconnections happened at the same time, which is a problem they're still working to solve. I'm writing this to say, A, there's no evil plan here. This isn't related to overlays or prize pools. Uh, that's funny. I'm, I'm trying to look at his... Okay. Uh... Uh, all overlays were paid. B, uh, Borgata didn't pull a doom switch as opposed to Borgata doing this on purpose. This is actually their worst-case scenario. Customers are upset. Rake return and overlay is still paid. So he's saying they they didn't even meet their minimum thanks to this, so they actually had to pay the overlay on the tournament. So this, he's saying they definitely did do this on their own, which I believe. He said, B, being on the ground here, I can promise that good people are working on their, their asses off to make things right. It's obviously unacceptable and intolerable for the future. I've been around the game for a few years. I'd like to think my word means something, and I put my word and name on everything here. I think he might work for them or something. Uh, to my understanding, Borgata Poker is working on a solution above and beyond just paying the prize pool, something that would be to, to bring goodwill and show that, hey, we fucked up and we know it. It's easy to be laxed during the good times. It's the tough times that show good, true character. If anyone has questions, further issues, advice, complaints, or anything, feel free to text or DM or tweet me. You can also call Borgata Customer Service, who are well aware of the situation. Hopefully this is the last time this ever happens. Sorry to everyone who's imp- impacted. So I, he must work for them. But uh, so people are are very unhappy about this, obviously, and there's a very embarrassing thing to occur. Uh, Party Poker New Jersey made this following statement: Last night we experienced a failure on our internal geolocation service, which impacted all active players on our network. The failure resulted in the player locations not being verified. As a regulated provider in New Jersey, we had to adhere to the regulations and not permit wagering while a player's location could not be verified. (laughs) The technical support team worked tirelessly to identify the root cause, and the issue was finally resolved late in the evening. Now, what's so stupid here? There should be some sort of exception in the law that if there's some sort of outage with geolocation that they have a certain number of hours to basically trust the last geolocation info they got. 
that someone who wants to log on new, they, they can shut them out. But if someone's in the middle of playing a tournament and, and is logged in already and we're already verified to be in New Jersey, that you, you trust they're still in New Jersey for you know up to four hours or something like that. There should be some kind of exception like that that is allowed. So there, the, I think the constant geolocation checking is a mistake. Now, it shouldn't just verify once, or otherwise you could verify and then drive out of state and play out of state, but there, there should be some middle ground to where if there's a mass outage of geolocation problems where a certain percentage of people all lose it at the same time, that it assumes it's a technical problem and that for, it'll, just, it'll just use the last data it had prior to this issue for the next X hours that the tournaments can finish. Otherwise, this is going to keep happening whenever there's a, some kind of geolocation outage. Upon confirmation of the failure, they wrote, we immediately began to proactively pause the events in order to prevent further adverse effects to players' stacks. As we worked through isolating the issue at hand, the tournament's pause times were extended to, to, to guarantee the position for resuming the tournament. After a further extended period of time, we had to make the decision to cancel all tournaments, as players had already been in limbo for well over an hour. It was in the best interest of the players to cancel due to the length of time and negative impact on player stacks. So they actually had to cancel the tournaments. At this time, at this time, we will be settling affected tournaments per our cancellation policy. This will award, award the full guaranteed prize money to the remaining players in the events. Players still in the tournament will be refunded that amount that would have been awarded to the next player to be eliminated from the tournament. 50% of the remaining prize pool will be distributed equally between the remaining players, and 50% will be distributed on a percentage basis according to each player's chip count. The remaining players will also be refunded their entry fee. We sincerely apologize for the issues facing during the GSSSV tournament series, and we greatly appreciate the patience and understanding shown by our players. So it looks like they, they tried to make it right, but boy, what an amazing fail this happened here, three years into running. This is a mature site. This shouldn't be happening. So this shows what a long way there is to go in providing legalized online poker that's robust and reliable. That's a joke. I mean, I'm glad that Borgata's doing the right thing here. Unlike when there was the cheating of that tournament with Christian Lusardi with the fake chips where they screwed everybody. At least here they are, are doing the right thing. But it's still embarrassing. And they really should change the law to where this uh, this doesn't happen when there's an outage. Okay, let's, uh, let's see some texts I got here. In the 505, this is re- referring to Griffin Benger. What a Canadian bitch. I can't believe he said, check your privilege with a, with a serious face. Next time I get raised, I'll be like, check your privilege, brah. In all seriousness, Druff, you know this term is a term black people did not ev- invent. Uh, this, this type of shit is why Trump is almost president. Yeah, well, he's right. This is a black guy, by the way, he's texting me. He's a black guy in Vegas. Uh, he's right. This was invented by uh, guilty white social justice warrior liberals. So I, w- I will clarify that black people did not invent that. Uh, by the way, this clown Benger was ranked number one on Pocket Fives under the name Flush Entity, so he should check his privilege. LOL. 
Yeah, so he's saying this this Bender guy is doing very well. He has a lot of money, so he should be the one checking his own privilege. And then he also wrote, just recently, he must still be listening, why doesn't DraftKings and FanDuel ask the Global, Global Poker League, the GPL, for financial backing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe if Alex Dreyfus can borrow more money from uh, pokers of the players of the World Series, he can do that. Uh, from the four eight zero, they're claiming fifty two fifteen dollars total investments. I think he's referring to uh, the total number of investments that have been made to that stupid scam site. I think that's from FTP Jesus. Uh. He says, uh, he's referring to Travell Thomas. He says, uh, he scammed me uh, two druff out of 1500 and we each had pieces of each other in Turning Stone. Travell is okay, but acts funny with money. Well, doesn't sound like he's okay if he scammed you. Okay, let's see. Uh, from the 410 area, Scott from the East Coast said uh, he wants to know if fifth place gets paid. No, I think you bubbled. In fact, if you finished fifth, you did bubble. Uh, 641 says, I see the Jap could be a scammer. There is no Jap in this uh, World Series. There was uh, He was Vietnamese, Kui Win. I still don't think I believe the story. I don't think he's a scammer. Uh, in the 847, Larry Laffer saying he can't get near Wrigley. They're legitimately rioting over there. Yeah. Why do people do this when their team wins? Why You should be happy. Why are you rioting? I never understood that, why people riot. I understand why they're happy and partying, but why go to the point of rioting when your team wins? By the way, uh, Hillary Clinton is pandering. <laughs> I, I didn't see if Trump said anything, but Hillary Clinton is, was already pandering and, and saying, you know, congratulations to the Cubs, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, like Hillary Clinton never cared about the Cubs or baseball at all. Come on. I mean, that's that's even transparent for her. For the 915, I think this is mumbled badly. Uh, hashtag never Trump 2016. If you're a Democrat, you can't really say never Trump. Never Trump is something that Republicans who don't want to elect Trump, say. Just like never Hillary's for Democrats who don't want to elect her. You can't really say never for a candidate you wouldn't vote for anyway because of the party they're in. Okay. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about pizza. 20 years ago, 20-year-old pizza. In Las Vegas from 1996. Now, in 1996, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I was a uh, a gambling fish. I was. I was what uh, the advantage player community would call a ploppy. A ploppy is someone who does exactly what the casino is hoping they do and pretty much is guaranteed to make money against. I would go to Vegas, uh, I don't know, maybe three times a year. I liked Vegas. I'd been going there since the 70s when I was a kid with my parents. I looked forward to the day when I'd be 21 and could play. 
Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of money back in 96. I was only 24 years old. But I had some. I, I worked a job, a full-time job as a computer programmer. And uh, I had a girlfriend then who, who was living with me. We stayed, We were together for three years. This was towards the beginning of our relationship, but not right at the beginning. We'd been together at least for several months. So we went to Vegas, and uh, a place I always stayed around that time was the Las Vegas Hilton, just because it was cheap and you know, it was a good value. And I knew where I knew the property really well. I knew which rooms to ask for. It was a lot cheaper than uh, Center Strip. You know, then I just drive over to wherever we want to go in Center Strip. It wasn't too far. It's now known as the uh, the LVH, or is it Westgate? Now I'm forgetting. Let me see. Is it Westgate or LVH? I don't know. Uh, it is Westgate. So I went from Las Vegas Hilton to LVH to Westgate Las Vegas, but it's the same property. It was once the biggest hotel in the world, but it's no nowhere near that anymore. It's on Paradise Road. It has almost 3,000 rooms. It was a very big deal in the 80s, but now it's kind of a piece of crap. And I was still going there a lot in 96, so I was there, and it's 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 not a bad area, but anything further north is a bad area because as you're there, you're starting to go towards the stratosphere. So once you pass Sahara, then it's no longer a good neighborhood anymore. And between the stratosphere and downtown is like the worst neighborhood. So it was one in the morning, and my girlfriend said she wanted pizza, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds good." But to my dismay, the pizza place that was uh, down in the lobby was closed. The pizza places that I called in the area did not deliver to the hotel. Either they didn't deliver at all or they wouldn't deliver up to the hotel. So My choice was to not have pizza or to go pick it up. So I, I kept calling around. Um, I, I, didn't, I don't believe I had a way to access the internet from where I was at that time. This is in 96. I did, I did have access to the internet in 96, and there was a web at that time, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite so simple as it is these days. You just like search out businesses and call them. Like Places didn't really have that much of a web presence then in 96. So I remember just like looking at the phone book, and I was calling places that were relatively close to the Hilton, and I finally found one, but it was, I noticed, in a bad area. It was to the north on Las Vegas Boulevard. Somewhere kind of by the stratosphere. It, it just wasn't a good neighborhood. I think it was between stratosphere and downtown. It was it was a bad neighborhood I was going into. And it was after 1 a.m. I almost said, screw it. I don't want to do this. But I, I decided to throw caution to the wind. As I often do. I, I probably shouldn't. But for some reason, bad areas don't scare me that much. Maybe because I, I lived in one for a few years in, in Riverside in the 90s. But... Uh, I decided to say, yeah, I'll go in here. I'm not going to be scared. So I told her I'll go pick up the pizza. Ordered a large pizza for 11 bucks. Showed up there to pick it up, and uh, it wasn't ready yet. So I was just standing around. And there were a lot of shady characters in the place, as you'd expect. And there, some of them were kind of looking at me, and I was just keeping to myself. Not, uh, I, I wasn't acting scared, but I, I wasn't going to interact with these people and potentially cause a problem. So I'm waiting, and then I hear, okay, 
Todd, your pizza's ready. I go up, I pay my $11, I check the pizza, it looks fine. Get ready to walk out and make sure nobody's following me to mug me. And a guy approaches me. A guy who kind of looks like he's on drugs. Like a white guy in his early 30s. The kind of druggy. And went up to me and says, Hey man, could I have a slice of pizza? So I said, look, I'm sorry, I, I can't give away any pizza. I'm, I'm taking this pizza back to my room where there's a few people and we're, we're all going to eat it. There's turned out just me and my girlfriend, but I didn't want to just give this guy free pizza. You know, like it's my pizza. <laughs> I'm not just giving some beggar a, a slice of pizza. So I said, no. And the excuse was that we have a few people eating it and we need every piece for everybody. So not to be deterred, he says to me, all right, no, no, look, I'm not gonna. I'm not asking you to give it to me. I want to buy it from you. I want to buy a slice of pizza from you. So I'm thinking, come on, like I'm not, you know, I'm not reselling pizza here. I, I just wanted to buy my eleven dollar pizza, leave, and leave with a whole pizza. Like I, I'm not looking to sell slices. So I told him, like, look, this isn't about the money. It's just. I need the whole pizza for everybody. I, I just want to get away from this guy. I, just, I, I didn't care if I could make a, a little bit of money off of him, like you know, uh, selling the slice for a higher value than the slice is worth. I, I, I just wanted to leave with the pizza with no further incident. So then he tries to make an offer I can't refuse. He says, okay, give me one slice of pizza and I will pay you $10 for it. Huh? Why would he pay $10 for one slice of an $11 pizza? So I thought to myself, well, maybe he's really, really hungry and he doesn't want to wait for a whole pizza to be made. But the guy behind the counter who sold me my pizza heard this and he piped up, wait, 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 wait. Why are you going to pay this guy 10 bucks for a slice? I've got slices right here I can sell you. Just come up here. Just come right up here. I'll sell you a slice right now for like $3, whatever it was. He says, nope, I want his slice. I want the slice from his pizza. I don't want any other slice in this place. I want his slice, and yes, I'm willing to pay $10 for it. I, I couldn't believe this was happening. The whole place is like watching us at this point. The whole place is very fascinated by this. I'm going, what the hell is going on here? So then I'm starting to consider, well, maybe I should do it. Because if I sell him one slice for $10, and I've gotten the whole rest of the pizza minus one slice for $1, because I paid eleven dollars for the whole thing, and I knew we could easily do without it because uh, it's just me and my girlfriend. I, I really would not have done this. I wouldn't have sold it for anything if I needed the pizza for a number of people. But it's just two people. We could do without a slice. So I, I, I tried to point out back to him. I said, "Look, the guy up there said he'll sell it." He said, "No, I don't want that pizza up there. I don't want anybody else's pizza. I want your pizza." I said, okay, you, you're sure? Because they, like, I guess for 10 bucks I can do it. It's hard to turn that down, but it, it's <laughs> you're very much overpaying. I, I really don't feel like selling this slice, but if you if it's for 10 bucks, I can't really say no. So he said, yes, sell it to me for 10 bucks. So he whipped out a $10 bill. He handed me the 10. I made sure he paid me first, of course. Uh, I pulled a slice out. I made sure he wasn't grabbing into my pizza box. I didn't want his hands on my pizza. I, I reached into the pizza box. I, I pulled the slice out. I handed it to him. said, okay. 
walked out and uh, I get back to the hotel room and there's a missing slice of pizza and I go, here, before you ask, uh, let me tell you a weird story. (laughs) I felt a little odd telling this story to my girlfriend, but I, I wasn't that embarrassed by it because we'd been together for at least a few months by that point. So like on a first date, I wouldn't pull something like this. It just seemed weird. But when you've been with someone for a long time, you hope that they should be familiar enough with you and for you don't have to try to constantly impress each other every minute of the day. And if I'm able to save 10 bucks on this pizza out of the 11 I paid for it, basically almost get it for free, then I should do it. So I told her, and she thought it was a weird but funny story and agreed I did the right thing. She said, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did that. That was smart. So at least she approved, and we ate the rest of the pizza minus one slice. And I said, why do you think this guy did this? And we couldn't figure it out. And so I I decided, I don't know what reminded me of this, but uh, I decided to post the story on the forum and get people's theories on this one. And there's some decent theories that were given for why this guy did that. Uh, one guy said that it was just someone who was just kind of uh, trying to screw with me and and seeing what I would do, seeing if he could get me to do this, just, just kind of on a whim, like I'm going to mess with him. Uh, another person says that uh, he decided he didn't like the pizza that was for sale by the Slice because it had been sitting out for a while and he didn't want to wait for a whole new pizza to be made, so he just saw a hot slice of pizza that was just made. That's what he wanted and he was willing to overpay for it because that was the only way he could get it immediately. I think that was probably the best guess here. I think that's probably closest to the truth. So, uh, otherwise, it's, it's, it's hard to pick. I don't think the person was trying to screw with me. I wasn't getting the, like, I'm screwing with you sort of thing. I wasn't get that that vibe out of him. I wasn't getting out of him like he's trying to see how he could test me. He had just some weird obsession for the slice of pizza. And the fact that he was probably on drugs probably uh, contributed to that, to his irrational thinking here. I think he just decided that here is a slice of pizza he can have right now. It's the only way he could have a hot slice of pizza that's new that was just made. And he's willing to pay for it. <laughs> he's willing to pay a lot for it. I I felt bad in a way taking the $10 from him because I, he didn't look like the type who could just afford to just throw around $10, but I mean, he offered it. It's not like I was taking $1,000 from him. It's still $10. I don't care if you're poor. $10 isn't that much money. Someone on the forum told me I should feel humiliated that I took the money and handed him a slice of my own pizza and that uh, I lost this encounter somehow. Someone agreed and said that he picked me and proved I would do whatever he said. Well, look, he wasn't asking me to suck his dick or or do something embarrassing. He was asking me to sell him a slice of pizza for a greatly inflated price that's in my favor. So if he's trying to prove to someone or himself that he can get me to do that, like congratulations. Uh, if someone walked up to me and said, hey, I'll pay you $1,000 to hop on one foot and cackle like a chicken for 30 seconds. Fine. Show me the 1000 hand it to me, 
and I'll hop in one foot and cackle like a chicken. You you may laugh, you may think, oh, I got him to cackle like a chicken, I made a fool of him. No, I made a fool of you because I got like $1,000 for doing something very simple. So you actually got made a fool. You may think you had the control here, but I, I had the control because I got something uh, that was worth way, way more than what I did for it. So it's not really selling out, it's just uh, making a smart financial decision. So this is only $10, but still, I'm getting a, a $11 pizza for $1 by giving up one slice to some guy who just really wants a slice. So if, if he feels he won against me in some way, great, uh, then he can feel that. I don't care. I don't care how he feels. Like It, it doesn't become a battle of egos at that point. It just, uh, he made an offer I couldn't refuse. So... That was a weird story. Really weird story. Someone enjoyed this on uh, a live listener for the 734 said, LOL, this pizza story is hilarious. It's weird. I'll give you that. It's a, it's a weird story. I've. You know what else happened with that girlfriend in Vegas? I didn't post this part. It's not related to the pizza, but it may have been on the same trip, or if it wasn't, it was the same year, or within like six months. Also at the Hilton. This actually occurred at the Hilton. Um, we were eating at the Benihana restaurant, which is one of those uh, restaurants where they cook the food on the table. It's got like a, a grill right on the table that they that they make the food right in front of you and the chef kind of does tricks with with the food as he's making it. So we're eating there. And there was some guy dining by himself there. And he bought us the entire meal. We like talked we barely talked to him. We talked to him a little bit. He was like by himself, he was sitting at our table. And then he left, and at the end, this was the weirdest thing. At the end, he left a message through the waitress that he paid for our meal, which he did. He paid for our entire meal, which was really nice. And then left his room number. So that was really strange. Now, this guy looked about 40 at the time. Maybe late thirties. He was definitely older than we were. I was, uh, yeah, twenty four, twenty five. My girlfriend was two years younger than me. I thought this was like some sort of weird thing, like that he wanted to have a threesome with us or something. I don't know what the hell it was, but definitely we weren't doing that. And we both felt really weird about it because uh, we wanted to thank him, but we definitely weren't going to do anything for this free meal. <laughs> like we weren't going to go to his room and under any circumstances and go in there. So. Uh, I think uh, we left a message, I think, like through the front desk, or maybe I slipped it under his door, something like that. I put like a message like, thank you very much for, for paying for our meal. I really appreciate it. Uh, nice meeting you, whatever. Didn't leave a way to contact me. <laughs> it was really odd. Uh, we, we tried to figure out that one too. We were, we were wondering if, like, maybe he just thought we were poor and couldn't afford it, or uh, you know, maybe something I said, like asking about a price, made him think we couldn't afford. It. Like, why give his room number though? Maybe he's just lonely, wants someone to hang out with. But we were afraid it was like something sexual. Like the guy's alone in Vegas, and then like sees a couple younger than him. Like I, I had to think he was like hoping that 
be some threesome. But like, it's just my luck. Like, why can't this happen with like a woman? Like that, that I would have considered. But uh, some dude, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way like a guy buys something for me and says, you know, come up to my room with your girlfriend. No. No way. Now, he was very nice when we saw him there. He, we didn't talk to him that long, but he seemed nice. But uh, whatever, whatever he wanted us to come to his room for, I wasn't going to come. Let's see. Uh, what else I got here? Uh, let's see. I lost the agenda. That's why I'm slow here. I, I almost got through the whole show without losing the agenda. And I lost the agenda. Okay, let me talk a bit about uh, the presidential race. Believe it or not, by the time I do another show on Poker Fraud Alert, the election will be over. Unless we have some sort of weird tie sort of thing like they had in 2000 where there's recounts, which probably won't happen. We will know who the next president of the United States, and this is very significant. This is the second time we've actually had an election for president while Poker Fraud Alert Radio has been running. We were running in 2012 when Romney was running against... uh, Barack Obama. But this one, you know, this election has been very unique, very crazy. Hillary is still a favorite, but Donald Trump has gotten back in the race. Just like just when it seemed like Donald Trump was out. Just like just when it seemed like he was done. The FBI saved him. In a really weird situation. Uh, some of you may remember uh, Anthony Weiner who just kept getting involved in these sexting scandals. And he's the husband of Huma Abedin, who's the longtime assistant of Hillary Clinton. But Anthony Weiner was always sexting other women, sending pictures of his penis, and he just couldn't stop himself. He'd get caught and do it again, do it again, do it again. It was amazing. Like, the guy could not control himself. Uh, the last time he was caught, he was doing it supposedly with like a 15-year-old girl, which was really uh, unnerving to people. And that finally caused his wife to leave him. I, I don't know how that didn't happen before. I think I think it may have been a marriage of convenience, much like the Hillary-Bill Clinton marriage. I think maybe there was no sex in that marriage. I think maybe Huma is a lesbian, and uh, therefore there was no sex, and that's why she didn't really care if Anthony got it elsewhere, but then when it started to embarrass her, then she had to do something about it. These are just theories of mine, but uh, anyway. Of all things, this situation ended up greatly affecting the presidential race just less than two weeks before the election takes place. There is a computer... Or a device, I think maybe a phone, some device, I'm not even sure if it's a computer or a phone, but some device that had a whole lot of email messages on it that was shared by Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin. Remember, they are married. And this device, that they, they confiscated this as part of a criminal investigation 
into Anthony Weiner some time ago over the thing with the miner. And while searching the device for incriminating messages regarding him sexting with minors, they came up with some emails between Huma and Hillary. But they were not allowed to look at these emails because the warrant that gave them permission to search the computer only said that they can search the computer for messages from him, not messages from Huma, who was not suspected in any of the sexting stuff, which, of course, she wasn't involved in. So just because her messages happened to be on there, they were not allowed to read those messages. But uh, I guess they got permission to read these messages, and they decided to reopen up the email investigation on Hillary Clinton for using her private email server for government business, because apparently there are messages there that were between uh, Hillary and Huma that had not been seen before. So this was happening, and it was just in the the earlier stages now, and they they hadn't gone through the messages, they hadn't seen if there's anything that can be used to newly charge Hillary for uh, her part in this whole thing, and I mean criminally charge her. And by the time they would, the election would be long over. So the FBI director, uh, James Comey, who came into the spotlight in July when he announced that even though Hillary Clinton had done many unethical things and had definitely committed many violations, that it wasn't uh, something they could really make a criminal case out of. They, They wouldn't be able to successfully charge her for anything, so they're not going to, which, which I didn't agree with. I mean, he, he went and listed a lot of serious violations of the law that she committed, things that she should have known, and that seemed like she definitely had intent to do it and to cover it up. And somehow, even though they went and named all these things that she did and that they proved she did, they said, oh, but we, we can't charge her, which is really weird. And if you remember, the day before this was announced, Bill Clinton had a really weird meeting in the back of a plane where no one was present besides him and Attorney General Loretta Lynch. And the FBI is under the Department of Justice, which uh, Loretta Lynch is in charge of, and she's a Democrat appointed by Obama. So Bill Clinton went with her to the back of a plane in Phoenix, which is the two of them in the Phoenix airport, and they had some conversation for half an hour. Now, they claimed afterwards, when this was found out, that they were just talking about their grandkids, that they spent half an hour in a plane where no one else could hear them the day before the charges were going to be announced, or lack thereof, about Hillary, that Bill was talking with her about their grandkids. <laughs> Which we know is not true. And you know, Maybe they mentioned the grandkids in passing, but we know the half-an-hour conversation was Bill trying to talk her into not charging Hillary and to getting a feel of whether they're going to do that or not. So that was really shady. And sure enough, they didn't charge Hillary. So there's a lot of reasonable suspicion that Loretta Lynch pressured the FBI into not charging Hillary, even though they definitely had enough evidence to do so over the misuse of the private email server for 
government business and for classified material. Hillary Clinton's campaign seized upon this at the time, saying, oh, look, we were cleared. We didn't do anything wrong. See, the FBI said so, which is not what the FBI said. The FBI named for about 15 minutes all these things she did wrong. But then they said, oh, but we can't charge her. But that didn't mean that she there was no wrongdoing. It just meant that they were not charging her for some reason. But Hillary's campaign and Hillary's supporters were always saying, look, the FBI cleared her, which isn't true. They didn't clear her. They just said they can't charge her. Huge difference. So people were wondering, why did James Comey do this? Was he under pressure from Loretta Lynch? Uh, Did they have some dirt on him? Uh, Was he just afraid to affect the presidential election too much? Did he not want to charge her and then tilt everything so much in the favor of Donald Trump and pretty much hand the election to him? Why did James Comey, who was once identified as a Republican... Why would he do that? Why was he doing something very pro-Hillary there? So Republicans were very frustrated with him, and Democrats at the time were somewhat frustrated that he named a lot of things that she did and and made her sound very guilty, which, to be honest, she was. But that whole thing kind of died out since then. Everyone kind of got over it, and Hillary was on the path to winning easily, it looked like. But because of these new emails that were found, James Comey then leaked this to certain anti-Hillary members of Congress. And one of them, a guy named Chaffetz from Utah, Jason Chaffetz, a Republican from there uh, who's been a very critic of Hillary, then revealed that Hillary is under investigation, that the investigation into her email was reopened. And that they're not sure yet what they're going to find, but it's very possible that Hillary could be charged with new information that's being found. Now, they're not going to know exactly what's found. It's too long of a process until after the election, which has irritated a lot of people on the Democratic side that it's making it sound like that Hillary's under investigation and that they have some kind of strong evidence against her, when in reality they just know there's some potential evidence, but maybe there's really nothing there. Maybe there's nothing that incriminating. And that this is just making it sound bad, and by the time Hillary's cleared, the election will be over, and maybe she will have lost because of this. So they're furious about this. There is a lot of internal fighting within the FBI about this. There are some forces that are, and and within the Department of Justice, there's some people that are saying that this was very, very wrong for James Comey to have done, to have leaked this to Congress, who then leaked it to the media. That this is very uncommon, that in the middle of investigating somebody to go reveal this to third parties, who then use it to make that person look bad. They say this is very, very unethical of the FBI that they should only be making such announcements once they have uncovered strong evidence and are about to charge someone. Not, hey, we found some additional evidence. We're reopening this investigation, we, we, but this evidence may or may not be relevant. So I understand that point. However, those on the other side, and this is internal fighting within the FBI, not just the other side politically, but uh, there are some within the FBI who feel that this should have happened a long time ago, that the the whole thing of the investigation being closed at all in the first place was very strange. 
that the whole meeting that Bill Clinton had with Loretta Lynch was very strange and that the Department of Justice was always very cold and dismissive, as were certain people at the FBI who were under their influence. They were very cold and dismissive of any case or any investigation that was aimed at Hillary Clinton, about the Clinton Foundation, about the emails, that it just seemed like nobody was open to this. There's complaints that some high people in the FBI and that some people in the Department of Justice are just not interested in seeing these things being investigated and anyone who tries to runs into a wall. And they're tired of that and uh, that this is a good thing. That this is necessary because they're getting no cooperation. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel that Hillary got away with something she shouldn't have. If, if what she did was done by like a private in the army, he would have been court-martialed, he would have been convicted, he would have gone to prison, he would have had his uh, career ruined. Yet Hillary, who there should be a much greater expectation of how she handles classified material, being Secretary of State, much greater expectation on her than someone who's like a private in the army. She knowingly violates the law in the way she uh, both used her server and uh, used it to send and receive classified material. She knowingly did this in a high position of power, where she definitely knew better. Covered it up when she was told to turn over the messages and deleted beyond uh, recovery 33,000 emails. There's no way those were all personal. And if they were, they should have been examined anyway. So she should have been charged for this. She should be facing criminal charges over this. Because anyone else would. Anyone else whose name is not Hillary Clinton would be facing charges over this. But she dodged it because she had Obama's influence over Loretta Lynch in the Department of Justice who ran interference for her. So she should have been charged. So this, what's happening now, I I agree this is not standard. I agree this was done for political reasons. I agree that uh, this was being done to affect the election. I agree. That's that's why it was done. That's why this was released. They wanted to get this out before the election actually happened. So people knew about this before they voted. But, just like O.J. Simpson, who was sentenced to a ridiculously long jail term for a crime that did not justify it. If you remember, O.J. Simpson in Nevada showed up with a gun to try to get back memorabilia that he thought was stolen from him. And that, you know, he tricked some people into a hotel room and then pulled a gun on them to try to get them to return this merchandise to him. Now, I don't know if this merchandise was rightfully his or not, but he was charged for pulling a gun on them and they they basically threw the book at him and he got a 20-year sentence, which is crazy. Because... He wasn't trying to actually rob anyone. He was trying to get back merchandise he believed was his. And while he should face some kind of p- criminal penalty, uh, 20 years for that, and nobody got hurt there. 20 years for that is insane. But you didn't really hear many voices saying O.J. got shafted, okay, O.J. got uh, an unfair sentence, O.J. was uh, treated unfairly. No, nobody said that because they knew that O.J. Simpson got away with murder in California. And that this was the justice system's way, even if it's a different state, this is the justice system's way of giving him some prison time. 
he got a very stiff sentence for something that wasn't that major as payback for him getting out of a murder charge where he was definitely guilty. So even though I agree the sentence he got was unfair, overall I don't think it was unfair because uh, we all knew he was guilty of murder. And obviously so did the judge sentencing him. You can say, oh, that's wrong. You know, they should, they, they, each case should be separate. Yeah, should, 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 should. But look, this is a very high-profile case. It was very obvious to just about everybody that he committed murder. And this is a special case. And they, they, they found a way to put him in prison for a while. So kind of the same thing here. I felt like Hillary gained a very unfair advantage by being able to dodge criminal charges that she should have faced. I know it would have been very inconvenient for her campaign if she was facing criminal charges. It probably would have beaten her in the in the election. But if she broke the law that seriously as she did, she should face criminal charges. If you look at what she did, if anyone else did it, they would have faced criminal charges. I know because I once worked in the defense industry, and they took handling classified materials very, very seriously. You were given a very, very strict set of rules and a very strict set of consequences for breaking those rules. And it was understood by everybody who's handling classified materials there that if they mishandled them intentionally or even unintentionally, that you can and probably will go to jail for it. So you have to be real careful. So here we have the Secretary of State who should know better than anybody. And she purposely mishandles classified materials and then deletes 33,000 messages that could uh, incriminate her before handing over the, the evidence that she is ordered to hand over. Definitely criminal. Definitely criminal. And anyone else would be going to prison for not only what she did with the server, but also for obstruction of justice for the 33,000 emails she deleted. So the fact that certain influential forces within the Department of Justice allowed her to dodge that does not mean it's right. So that was shady. And something shady was done back to bring this in the spotlight. I think, great. She deserves it. After getting out of the criminal charges, which she should not have gotten out of, she deserves it. So, under normal circumstances, I'd say, yeah, she she got a bum rap here. This is unfair. You know, they shouldn't be announcing an investigation. They don't even know what they're going to see yet. They they shouldn't be implying that she's guilty or that they're reopening it because she did something wrong because they, they haven't seen the evidence yet. That all makes sense. But the time's about to run out. The election's in, in uh, five days now, five and a half days from this moment I'm recording this. About ten days from the moment this was announced, or eleven days, something like that. So they they didn't have much time. So they had to get something out. They didn't have to, but if they... It really should be on the mind of the voter that Hillary Clinton did something wrong and might be criminally charged, because she should be criminally charged. So it kind of tilted the scales back towards the center as far as the email thing and and, uh, what was fair. It was answering unfairness with unfairness. On the other side. I think it was appropriate. I want to say also about Donald Trump. You know, I'm, I'm not a supporter of his. I'm not going to vote for him. 
people have said, well, you seem to you seem to criticize Hillary a lot more than Trump. So it's it's obvious you must be a Trump supporter and just pretending you're not. No, I, I would tell you honestly if I was, the reason I bash Hillary more is because I don't feel that uh, Trump needs to be bashed anymore. The media bashes him constantly. I feel Hillary's underbashed for everything she's done. I feel that she's given so many advantages in the media and the entertainment industry and how she's portrayed versus Trump that I, I feel the only fair thing to do is to mainly highlight things about her because there, there's so much in the media bombarding you everywhere about Trump is bad, Trump is bad, Trump is bad. A lot of it's right, but uh, there's not enough about Hillary. They're purposely avoiding covering a lot of things about Hillary that would make you not want to vote for her. So that's why I mainly cover Hillary. But it bothers me, this media bias. There really is a media bias. You know, Trump is often paranoid and he'll sometimes claim things are rigged against him when they really aren't. You've, you've seen the whole thing. And he shouldn't do that. It's stupid. It hurts his chances to win. It makes him look crazy. But the media really is biased against him. The entertainment industry really is biased against him. And that, and that matters a lot. The entertainment industry often gets overlooked. People talk about the media. They're referring to news organizations, which are also producing a lot of negative stories about him and very few about Hillary. Just look at the WikiLeaks stuff that came out. That has not been covered all that much by the media. And yet, yeah, compare that to the, the coverage that the video of Trump talking about grabbing by the pussy, that got covered everywhere. Constantly covered everywhere. But the entertainment industry, they really make a big difference, too, because we are a country that is very much influenced by celebrity, by what we see on TV, what we see in the movies, what our favorite musicians say and what they believe in, Uh, even things like Saturday Night Live make a big difference. If Everything we're seeing produced seems to be indicating that Donald Trump is terrible and Hillary is a much better choice. Then it's very hard to fight that when you have yourself bombarded with that message constantly, especially if you're a middle-of-the-road voter who hasn't decided either way. I talk about these Saturday Night Live parodies of the debates that Trump and Hillary have had. Three debates. Each of those parodies gives it to Trump really, really hard. They're really, really nasty to him. They're really critical of him. Now, again, a lot of these things are justified. A lot of the stuff they're making fun of Trump for, he really did or said. And Saturday Night Live is a comedy program that is supposed to take things about the candidates that you can laugh at. They're supposed to make fun of the candidates. They're supposed to try to make them look foolish. But it's only one-sided. They don't do that to Hillary. Or when they do it to Hillary, they're very, very careful to do it very lightly. And they only attack her on things that are not that bad. They, they portray Hillary as, as a little too stiff and, and trying too hard to relate to people. Too scripted. Uh, too ambitious to want to be president. Too uh, overzealous. But okay, you know, these aren't horrible traits. 
they they portray her as kind of awkward and a little bit phony, but but they don't harp on her being a liar. They don't talk about the email things. They don't talk about the other serious scandals she's been involved in. They talk, don't talk about the Clinton Foundation. They just stick to very lighthearted parody and criticism like that while they just eviscerate Trump. And if there's ever been a presidential race where you can easily make fun of both candidates, where there's a lot of material on both sides to attack or parody both candidates, this is the race. There is so much on both sides that's fodder for comedians, but they only go after Trump. And Hillary gets a free pass. And it's not fair. And it does influence people. You can say, ah, it's Saturday Night Live, people know it's comedy. No! You you watch Saturday Night Live and, and Trump comes off as a buffoon, you know, the, the portrayal of him, and Hillary basically comes off as the reasonable person, then you come away with that. Okay, well, I, I sh- you feel like when you've watched it, wow, I should have noticed these things. I, I should have noticed that, uh, that Hillary is by far the better candidate. Well, I, I would feel stupid voting for Trump after seeing this. Like People really think that, even if not consciously, they think of it subconsciously. It's not fair. I watch the stupid uh, epic rap battle of history thing that you know they do that on YouTube. Those are very popular, where they pick uh, historical or sometimes the current figures and have them do rap battles with, with each other, where someone portrays each one. So they they do it for the presidential elections. They did one for for Romney and uh, Obama. They did uh, one for Hillary and Trump recently. But boy, was that ever biased! I mean, the, the the Romney versus Obama was biased too. But this was amazingly biased, where usually the format of epic rap battles of history is where each rapper takes turns back and forth bashing each other. And it's usually fairly funny, and and they both uh, hit each other with criticism. It's almost like a little roast between the two of them. They were very careful, again, not to bash Hillary very much. And when Trump got up to rap, or the guy playing Trump got up to rap as Trump, instead of bashing Hillary, who's pretty much bashing himself. He's pretty much making himself look foolish, whereas Hillary was bashing Trump. So the net result, Hillary doesn't get bashed. And just for good measure, Abe Lincoln shows up at the end in this uh, epic rap battles of history and uh, blatantly endorses Hillary, saying, you know, go beat this guy. This stuff affects people. You you can say, oh, you know, YouTube videos. Who cares? You know, the person who makes the video, they can decide who they want to endorse, who they want to make look bad. Yes, they can. It's their right. But this is over and over and over and over. The entertainment industry bombards everyone with Trump is horrible. Trump is terrible. Trump's an awful person. He's a mean, racist, uh, hater of woman, women, irresponsible. Is going to get us into a nuclear war. Blah 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 blah. Hillary, she's the good one. Vote for her. You get that message over and over and over and over and over. Yeah, if you're very dedicated to Trump, you're going to vote for him. If you're dedicated to Hillary, you're voting for her anyway. But if you're in the middle, that can affect you. It really can. And if you think it can't, then you don't know how this country works and how easily they are affected by they are affected by the entertainment industry. Plus, you have the media, the news media, that is overwhelmingly covering Trump negatively. And Hillary, not the same. So, while Trump has mostly been his own enemy in this campaign, most of the reason he's behind is his own fault. 
when he whines about the media being unfair to him, he's actually right. They actually are unfair to him. The media actually is trying to help Hillary Clinton win. Amazingly, I, I read like a editorial for, on CNN by a, game, a guy named uh, Dean Obadala, and he's open about being a leftist, so he's he wasn't trying to write this from the center. But the funny thing is, even he admitted that the Saturday Night Live parodies and other things like this are very anti-Trump, and that they're very biased against Trump. But the funny thing is, he was writing this as a good thing, because Trump's such a horrible candidate and so terrible for America that the, the entertainment industry and the media do need to get together and make sure he doesn't get elected. So he's saying this is good that they're all getting together to stop this. And I can't agree. The reason I can't agree is that these entities should not be getting involved. They should be neutral. And you could say, well, what if they notice such a horrible candidate that's trying to prevent something bad from happening? Well, the problem is it's a slippery slope. Because every time they will have a a preferred candidate. And do you really want them choosing a candidate for you and deciding this is the one they want to see win and then give them all kinds of free publicity and all kinds of free negative publicity for the opponent? Do you really want the entertainment industry and the media having that much of an influence on who gets elected president. Should should these few elitists who put this together, should the entertainment and media elite have such a say in who gets elected president? They should not. They're, They're no more important than you or I. They should not have such amazing influence over the country. A lot of which they present as if they're neutral. They, they falsely present it from a phony point of neutrality when there is no neutrality. So I don't like when the media and the Hollywood elite join the side of a particular candidate because that really tilts the race very much in favor of that candidate and unfairly. It's just not the media and entertainment industry's place to get involved in this. Regardless of how they think, no matter how much they hate a candidate, they should not get involved. You know, in the Spider-Man movies, they say, with great power comes great responsibility. That There's no more time it's true than right here. The media, the entertainment industry, they have the power to influence. They should not be using that power in politics. They should not be. They should back off. They should do the right thing, stay neutral, and let the race play out by itself. They should not be picking a candidate they like and push that person to be elected because that's giving them the power. You're giving the media and the entertainment industry the power when you say that they should be choosing candidates. You give them an immense amount of power to pick candidates for us. And that's not who should be picking our candidates. It should be the, the people of the U.S. without unfair outside influences. So I want to talk now about the... Uh, so anyway, I'll just finish off here before I go to the next topic. Hillary still has the advantage right now, but Trump is now back in the race to where it wouldn't be a shock if he won. It'd be a surprise, but not a shock if he, if he won. And also, we have five days. There could be more bombshells that drop in the next five days that could tilt the scales just enough to where Hillary loses. But you know what? If that happens... It's her own fault. 
she's been so shady with so many things. She's done so many bad things. She's done so many illegal things that she's gotten away with. If these things come back to bite her days before the election, well, too bad. That's what you get for living that type of life. For acting in such a fashion. For repeatedly bending the rules and breaking the law thinking that you're a Clinton and you can get away with it. Eventually, the people will see you for what you are. And if that happens days before the election, so be it. If there were lies made up about her, then I would say, okay, that's not right. But if truths are brought out about her days before the election, I don't care if it's the Russians who hack something to figure it out. As long as we are learning the truth, then I have no problem with it. Especially given the amazing media bias that she already has in her favor. So you can't even say that these things being presented, it's not fair, it's not being done to Trump. Well, plenty is being done to Trump by the media and by the entertainment industry. And again, I'm not voting for Trump. I'm not voting for Hillary. I believe I will not be voting for anyone for president. I believe I will be leaving that blank. I do want to give you a list of my endorsements for the propositions in California. So all you outside of California, you can tune out if you want. But I'm going to give you my endorsements. And I I hope you vote this way because some of these are important to me. Propositions really matter a lot in California. They immediately change the law. And often they can really affect things. They will often affect things a lot more than who you elect to certain offices. They affect you a lot more than the president can. They are not as uh, interesting as far as the election process, because these are laws you're voting for rather than people, but they often really affect your life in, uh, in the state. I'll briefly describe each one. Proposition 51, $9 billion in school bonds. I say no. Now, is it because I want public schools to be poor? No. It's just going to throw a lot more debt on the state of California. It doesn't need. Uh, I can tell you that there's a lot of wasted money in the public schools. They need to spend more responsibly, not just keep piling on more money. $9 billion in new bonds is the last thing the state needs. Even Democrat Jerry Brown is against this and calls it a wall of debt. And he's correct. So vote no on 51. 52 is a kind of hard-to-understand proposition of a medical fee that's charged to hospitals, extending a a current program that already exists. But almost everybody on both sides is in support of this, so I say, what the hell, vote yes on 52. 53 to require voter approval for revenue bonds like 51 to be issued or sold. I say yes, it prevents the state government from passing expensive state bonds over $2 billion, that's a threshold, without voters having a say. So I say yes to that. These things should not be passed uh, without the voters' permission. It's just too much money. Proposition 24, sorry, 54. Proposition 54, transparency, where all legislature sessions in California are recorded, except for closed sessions, and all bills must be posted to the internet 72 hours before passing, except for emergency ones. I say yes, it prevents backdoor laws from being passed before the public can find out about them and increases transparency. So why not? 
Really not a downside to this unless you support politicians being shady. Prop 55. Extension of 12 years of higher taxes for people making 250 k or more, supposedly to fund health care. There's already a temporary tax that uh, is going to last through 2018. This would extend it another 12 years to last through 2030, which uh, anything lasting through 2030 is not really temporary, in my opinion. (laughs) That's that's a long time from now. I say no. Uh, California already has the highest top bracket tax rate in the nation. So the rich already pay plenty in California. There's There's no state in the nation that has higher top bracket tax rates than California. So... This is a temporary tax they passed four years ago. They they claimed when they passed it, it's only going to be here for four years or for five years or whatever to uh, get some needed money for the state, but that this is not going to raise the richest taxes permanently. It's just for five years. Then it's going to go back. Well, guess what? Now they're trying the trick of, oh, we're not adding new taxes. It's just... It's just extending existing taxes. We don't want to give the rich a tax cut. Well, it's not a tax cut. You you passed a special temporary tax on them four years ago. And now the temporary tax is about to be over, so take it off. We voted it in as a temporary tax. I didn't vote for it, but it was voted in as a temporary tax. It should be a temporary tax. This extending thing is crap. And it's it's time to lower the taxes back down to more reasonable rates. There's no reason California's rich people should be paying a higher tax rate than all other states. And they are. Proposition 56, increase cigarette tax by $2 a pack. Now, I don't smoke, never have. This is supposedly going to... Uh, Pro, anti-smoking programs and also somewhat to pay for health care for uh, people who get lung cancer from smoking or other smoking issues. You know, the, the thinking behind it is you're paying this extra money per pack you buy because eventually you're going to be a strain on the health care system and th- this helps you pay your fair share. So I see pros and cons to this, but I'm voting no on it. I recommend a no. Because, number one, I think this is just going to punish the poor. I, I, the rich aren't going to care about a $2 a pack increase in cigarette tax. The poor are going to be the ones who have trouble quitting smoking anyway, so they can't stop smoking because it's very addictive. And, and it's going to really keep hitting them to have to pay $2 a, ta- a pack. So I'm surprised a lot of Democrats support this. And I think most of the money that they are going to collect is going to go into supposed prevention programs that are really not shown to work. These are the types of things that sound good but don't really do much there's not much impact from them, these smoking prevention programs. Like these dumb ads you see on TV, anti-smoking. I don't think very many people stop smoking because I see those stupid ads on TV. And, and a lot of this other money is going to go to insurance companies. And I, I think the over- oversight of the usage of these funds is poor and confusing. I, it, I don't think it's necessarily going to go directly to treating people who have uh, smoking-related illnesses. I think they're just going to pocket it. So... I don't like the whole thing. It just looks like it's something to enrich insurance companies off the backs of poor people. No. No on 56. 57. This modifies and loosens parole requirements in the state. Supposedly making parole easier for nonviolent felons. It sounds good, right? right? Like ease the prison overcrowding. If someone's not violent, you know, why not make parole easier for them? It makes sense, right? Well, problem is, this law is full of holes, and a lot of violent felonies or 
sexual felonies are classified as nonviolent. So you could have a lot of sexual predators back on the street and other violent felons who are somehow classified as nonviolent by this proposition. With crime already on the way back up for the last few years, the last thing we need is a proposition to kick serious criminals back on the street sooner. So you want to ease prison overcrowding, that's fine, but release the ones who truly are nonviolent and truly are not a threat in any way to society. Don't don't release felons uh, who uh, are convicted of violent felonies and are convicted of certain sex crimes. That's a big no on that. 58. Supposedly an English proficiency requirement for public schools, but it's not what it appears to be. It's a misleading proposition that repeals a 1998 Proposition 227, which required all classes in public school to be taught in English. This is called immersion, where they take people who don't speak English, they, they let them have English as a second language uh, classes that help them learn, but at the same time they are placed in classes where they're taught in English. Otherwise, it drags on and on and on. If you just have like Spanish-only classes for kids, then in, in areas with a lot of illegal immigrants, these kids just uh, stick to the Spanish classes the whole time, and they never learn English. So it was found since 98, since this thing was passed, 18 years ago, that the kids are really learning English much faster when put in these English-taught classes. So this has been a success, and Proposition 58 wants to roll that back and and, uh, basically return to where we once were. And it's a misleading proposition to make it look like they're increasing English proficiency requirements in public schools. In reality, it's actually a return to what we had before 98, and that would be a step back. So I vote no on that, 58. 59. Control political spending of corporations. This, on the surface, looks like a great idea. But uh, guess what? It's a terribly written proposition, which is all bark and no bite. Now, I'm all for controlling political spending of corporations. I hate how corporations have so much influence on our politics. I would love to see much harder limits placed upon corporations donating to political candidates. Otherwise, they get political candidates on both sides of the aisle in their pockets and end up representing the corporations a lot more than the people. So I'm all for changing that. But this proposition does nothing. It is not binding. It changes no laws. It's a waste. All this proposition does is give an opinion to the federal government of what Californians would like them to do. That's all it does. It gives an opinion. Proposition should not be giving an opinion. Proposition should be changing laws or enacting new laws or repealing laws. They should never just be providing an opinion. This is a waste of space on the ballot. This is a waste of time for the voter. This is a waste of money. This whole thing should be voted no, just on principle, so we don't encourage future propositions like this. I'm not against what it's trying to say. I'm against the whole thing of having a proposition that just uh, says nothing, does nothing, is not binding, changes no law. Terrible. We shouldn't have that on the ballot. We shouldn't encourage this crap. Big no on 59. 60. This affects all of you, even if you're not in California. It requires the use of condoms in porn films. Do you really want to see that? Do you really want to see condoms being used in porn? Because 
a lot of porn is made in Southern California in, what, in an area known as the San Fernando Valley. Do you do you want to watch porn and, and watch a guy like drop a condom on his dick before he goes to work? Before he bangs the girl there, like you know, do you, do you want the the postman coming to the door, and then you know he starts making out with a hot chick who answers the door, and then up, oh, hold on, I got to put the condom on. This is what a mood killer. You don't want to watch that. It, the whole point of porn is having a fantasy. You know, in reality, you, you're having sex with a, a, a girl you don't know very well. They could have diseases, or you don't want to get her pregnant. Yeah, a condom is smart. Okay, I get that. But you're watching porn as an escape. You're watching it to see things that you probably wouldn't want to do in reality, but you like watching. So this is stupid. It's going to ruin porn. And and, and furthermore, the government should not be interfering with the production of pornography unless there's something really hurting someone. And you can say, well, you know, AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases, they really hurt someone. Most porn actors and actresses are not living very healthy lifestyles or safe lifestyles. They're in that industry because their life is messed up. There's a few who aren't like that, but most of them are in the industry because they are living an unhealthy lifestyle, and this is an extension to this. So don't think that them wearing condoms is going to save them and they're going to live a happy and healthy life. They're not. You're watching people with a lot of problems off screen. And you may feel good voting to make them wear a condom so they're safer, but no, they're just safer on camera. But compared to the stuff they do off camera, it's a drop in the bucket. The government doesn't need to have its hands in everything. The government does not need to be controlling everything. The government needs to have its hands out of porn. So I say no. Prop 61. Pricing standards for prescription drugs. Probably know about that uh, Martin Shrikelly controversy where he boosted the price of some pill from like a few dollars to seven hundred fifty dollars per pill. He became like the most hated man in America. The weird thing about this guy is he enjoys being hated, so he's been like embracing the villain role. And I understand the effort to prevent drug companies from jacking up the cost of prescription drugs to absurdly high levels. That makes sense. The problem is this proposition only helps a very small percentage of Californians. It only prevents this uh, increase of drug prices for certain taxpayer-funded programs. But it only picks and chooses a few groups of patients to protect. But it doesn't stop this practice against Medi-Cal, doesn't stop it against private health insurance, or individual health insurance. That can all still happen. Just not to these these small groups, these very small groups, uh, all of which are taxpayer funded. They can't be overcharged. Everybody else can be. So this this is a useless measure. It's picking and choosing who can't be overcharged. And even worse, the author of this measure has written in an exception for himself because he owns an HMO. So he wants to still be able to profit. So he wrote an exception in for his own company. <laughs> so just on that, you should vote no. Very misleading proposition, 61. 62, repeal the death penalty? Absolutely not. Big no on that one. The death penalty, uh, one thing that people overlook with the death penalty is that you get a lot of life convictions where the 
criminal pleads guilty and accepts life in prison, no parole, in order to take the death penalty off the table. So if the death penalty is repealed, then they no longer can do that anymore. You can't get these guilty verdicts where the family isn't forced to relive everything and have to testify and go through the extreme stress of a trial regarding the murder of a loved one. Now that's not going to happen anymore because with the death penalty gone, these guys are going to take their chances or if they do plea bargain, they're going to accept a sentence that does let them out at some point because there's no point. No one would ever say, I'm pleading guilty. I'll take life without parole if there's nothing in it for them. If that's the very worst sentence you can get, they would take their shot in in court and try to beat it. So without this bargaining chip, it's going to be very hard to get criminals to accept life without parole. And the bottom line is some people deserve the death penalty. Now, I would be all for modifying the death penalty because it has some problems. And guess what? There's a proposition to do that, Proposition 66. Prop 66 is the good death penalty proposition. And it speeds up the entire death penalty process if people are not on death row for decades. It assigns the defendant a special appeals lawyer immediately. So he has his rights taken care of. The appeals are limited to five years instead of spanning for decades. Uh, It will take away certain privileges that death row inmates have while they're in prison, which are ridiculous. They shouldn't have any privileges when they're on death row. And this will also empower the state Supreme Court to do a lot more as far as expediting the appeals process while overseeing that it's all done fairly. This is what we've needed for a long time in California. So vote yes on 66, no on 62. Those are the two death penalty propositions that are pretty much opposite of each other. 63, gun, gun ammo sales law reform. This uh, is a proposition that's under the guise of preventing terrorists from getting weapons to commit mass murder. Who could be against that? The problem is, this is not really doing anything of use. It contains silly new laws that are unlikely to be followed by any terrorist or hardened criminal. The only people who will follow these laws are ones that aren't much of a danger in the first place. Be kind of like passing traffic laws for someone who's going to be uh, running away from police. That's not what this does, but it's the same concept. Like if there's someone who's uh, going to speed away from police in a police chase, you could pass all the traffic laws you want to prevent this, but they're going to still flee police because if they're doing that, they don't care about the law. So same thing here. Here are some laws that this is going to put in place if it passes that are supposed to prevent terrorists or uh, hardened criminals from obtaining guns. Uh, It requires people to notify law enforcement if guns are stolen. Sounds like a good idea, right? Well, no, not really. That's what most people will do anyway. If if your gun is stolen, aren't you going to go to the police about it? I know I would. uh, Who's not going to do that? What's, What's the point of that? And in the few cases people don't, is that really going to matter too much? And a lot of them would have an out anyway. I didn't know my gun was stolen. I I don't check my gun. It's just in the closet, hidden away somewhere. I I haven't checked it in years, people will say. Useless. Sounds good, but useless. Uh, I like this one. It requires dangerous criminals to sell their guns and ammunition. Yeah, I'm sure that's the first thing dangerous criminals are going to do is make sure to follow that law and sell all their guns and ammo. They're dangerous criminals, but oh, they're going to 
keep to this law and they're going to sell their guns and ammo. That's going to happen. Uh, People convicted of gun theft are not allowed to own guns. (laughs) But wait a minute. If these people are stealing guns anyway, (laughs) what do you mean they're not allowed to own them? The ones they own are stolen. So all they'll do is just steal more. You'll say, okay, you're not allowed to buy a gun because you've stolen one before. The guy will say, okay. Guess that means I'll have to steal another one. Like, all that's doing is deterring them from buying a gun legally. That's going to make them steal more guns. What the hell is that about? So basically, if you're about to commit a terrorist act, you're not going to give a crap about these stupid, lame statutes that are being proposed here. And this proposition does just about nothing to prevent guns from getting in the hands of terrorists or dangerous criminals. Vote no on 63. 64, legalization of marijuana. I mean, should I say this? I'm going to piss off a lot of our listeners, but I, I, I'm voting no on this one. I think it's going to worsen the drug problem in California. It's going to make it a lot easier. It's going to take away one barrier that some people actually, that, that it really exists that stops people from smoking pot, and that's that it's illegal, and that uh, there is some additional trouble you have to go through to get pot. Now, if you really, really want to get pot, yeah, you can get pot. But, like, if I wanted to get marijuana right now, could I? No. Why? I, I don't know any dealers. I, I, I could call some people and, and probably in the next week uh, after some referrals or whatever, find someone to deal me drugs. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't get it right at this moment. If it was legal and sold in, in places where uh, it's legal to just buy it for recreational use, yeah, I could get it right now. And that's what this proposition would allow. I would be all for the decriminalization of use of marijuana. So if you're caught smoking pot, you don't go to prison. I would like the model that kind of exists for online poker right now. It's it's legal to play, but not illegal to offer. So where they prosecute the drug dealers, but they don't prosecute the people who buy from them for recreational use. I'd be fine with that. I think that just clogs their jails and courts. I, I don't think people should be getting criminal records for smoking marijuana. If all they're doing is smoking it and not selling it, uh, this should be something that is not clogging up the criminal court system or giving people criminal records. So I'd be f- happy to vote yes on something like that that decriminalizes the purchase of marijuana or use of marijuana, but not the uh, overall legalization of it. I think that's a mistake. We're going to get a bigger drug problem than we already have. Prop 65. Uh let me, let me skip that. I'm going to go to 67, and then I'll talk about 65 last. 67 is the plastic bag ban. I'm talking about the supermarket plastic bags. It's supposed to be environmentalism, but it's not. It's what I call phony environmentalism. Uh, you can What this is doing is it's going to require statewide a $0.10 cents per plastic bag charge at this grocery store. And they'll be selling you thicker plastic bags than they're currently selling right now. But they'll be $0.10 cents each. They're mandatory cannot charge less than 10 cents each. And uh, this will supposedly discourage people from just getting bags for free and throwing them away. But, uh, number one, there's still going to be a lot of bags, plastic bags out there, because they'll be 10 cents each and people will pay it And for these thicker plastic bags, which are even worse for the environment. And then... There will be new E. coli concerns with these reusable plastic bags that have been shown to, uh, depending upon the groceries being bought, uh, harbor E. coli. We'll have new problems with that that we don't need. 
And the money collected will just go right into the grocery store's pockets. It's not helping the environment. It's not going to environmental causes. This is going into grocery store's pockets as additional profit. This whole thing was pushed by the grocery stores, as you might guess, so they can legally charge for these bags and claim it was the government's fault. I mean, they could be charging now, but they couldn't get away with it because then certain stores wouldn't charge, and then they'd be the preferred stores. Now they will all charge, and they can say, well, the government made us do it, but they keep all the money. So don't vote yes on this. Vote no on the plastic bag ban. It's false environmentalism. But there's Prop 65 related to it that if this does pass, and or in cities like Los Angeles where the law is already in place at local level, that the grocery store cannot keep the $0.10 cents per bag that they have to then send it to the state for environmental uses. So look, I don't want to see this plastic bag thing past 67, but if it does pass, I want the money to go to the environment, not to enriching the grocery stores. Because that'd be the worst use of the money. If the grocery stores are going to collect this money for the bags, at the very least, it should go to environmental causes if this is really all about the environment and not to enrich the grocery stores. So, I vote a yes on 65. So, very quickly, 51 no, 52, 53, 54 yes, 55 no, 56 no, 57 no, 58 no, 59 no, 60 no, 61 no, 62 no, 63 no, 64 no, 65, 66 both yes, and 67 are no. Or very simply, the only ones I want yes are 52, 53, 54, 65, 66, everything else no. So, if you have no idea how to vote on the California Propositions, those are my recommendations. If this bored you to tears because you don't live in California, tough luck. That's why they did it at the end of the show. <laughs> well, I just want to give a few words here about the Chicago Cubs before I end the show. Uh, I have to tell you, my throat's hurting a bit from all the talking here by myself. Though I appreciate Trader Ruski joining me. Chicago Cubs beat the Dodgers. I'm a big fan of the Dodgers, and I was sad to see that the Dodgers have lost once again in the playoffs. They've won the division six of the last nine years. They've made the NLCS, which is the round before the World Series, four of the last nine years, and they have made so far zero World Series in that time. They haven't been in the World Series since I've been an adult. I turned 18 in 1990. That was two years since the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series. Another 26 years have passed, and the Dodgers did not make the World Series. So it's frustrating. It's very frustrating for me. I would love to see the Dodgers in the World Series. I'd love to attend a Dodgers World Series game. But it didn't happen. Now, some people think I'm bitter at the Cubs. I was a little bit, but I'm not anymore. I recognized the whole way that the Cubs were a great team. And they were the best team in baseball in the regular season. I knew the Dodgers were the underdog in that one, especially only having three out of the seven games at home. Dodgers put up a good fight, but they lost 4-2. to two. The Cubs just crushed them in the final three games. The Cubs were a bit of a flawed team. They had a problem with their bats sometimes going to sleep. They were, they were shut out four times in the NLCS and World Series combined. They were down in each of those series at one point. They were down to the Dodgers 2-1. to one. They were down to the Indians 3-1. to one. But the Cubs, uh, they have a very resilient team. They never give up. They had so many comeback victories during the regular season, and they came back from each of these series both times to win three games straight. 
this is a team that was deserving to win. Uh, I, I didn't like like when the Giants won in 2014 with their crap record of 87 wins. But the Cubs won 103 games. They deserved to win the World Series winning 103 games, which was eight more than the next best team won. The next best team was the Texas Rangers with 95 wins. So the Cubs really dominated during the season. They deserved to win in the postseason. They were a great team. I wish they didn't knock out the Dodgers, but I, I don't begrudge them. That was what they were paid to do. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they were trying to do. I hope the Dodgers will improve in the coming years. The Cubs will probably be a dynasty or close to it because they have a lot of young players who are going to be with the team a long time. The team was built very well by Theo Epstein. And even though they had a few scary moments where they they could have lost, even in the NLDS, they almost went to a Game 5. They were down 3-1 in the World Series and had to play 2 of 3 in Cleveland. But hey, look, they not only sent it back to Cleveland, they won both games there. This was just a really good team. And I was not rooting for either club to win. I'd be okay if the Indians won and broke their drought, which was 68 years. And I was fine if the Cubs won and broke their drought of 108 years. It was a very interesting series. I enjoyed watching it. I probably had more interest in this one than I've had in any World Series in recent memory. So, congratulations to all the Cub fans who I know have been waiting literally their entire lives to see this. The last time they won the World Series was 108 years ago. The last time they were in the World Series was 71 years ago. So, unless you're over 75 years old, you don't remember the Cubs being in the World Series. And unless you're over like 113 years old, you probably don't remember the Cubs ever winning the World Series. So pretty much every single person listening to this show never saw or remembered the Cubs being in the World Series. So if you're a longtime Cubs fan, it means you went your entire life and you never saw them even get to the World Series. So it happened, and they won. So, I got to imagine if you're a long-suffering Cubs fan, they were the longest drought in sports history, that this must feel pretty good, and it must feel good that you know that you've got a pretty damn good chance of doing it again next year. So, they were a great team. They won. The best team ended up winning, and I can't criticize that, even if it's not the team I'd prefer to see win, since the team I like was down to the second-to-last round and couldn't quite do it. Well, that's the last round for this show. Sorry we didn't get the Amanda Stinchcomb interview on here, but that's the way it happens. We will have another show in a week on November 10th. No, sorry, November 9th. Wednesday night, we should be back to our 7.30 time. There will be no baseball interfering with it for quite some time. And we'll try to have a pretty regular schedule here for the remainder of the year. 
If there are times that the show will be changed or canceled as the year winds down, I will let you know on the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash Poker Fraud Alert, or you can check on PokerFraudAlert.com. There's usually a little light blue banner near the top that informs you about radio. Thank you to Trader Ruski for staying up as long as he could before conking out from the herbal tea. And thank you to the guys who donated to the free roll. I appreciate that. Probably was a smaller field tonight because of the late start. But I didn't want to cancel it. We haven't had a show in a while. I just I wanted to have the free roll go off. And whoever made it to play live can make it. This one was tough on me. I'll say that. You know, I, I looked forward to this, but this, this was a little tough on me. Because I had to do so much talking. But it's almost over. The, <laughs> the song's about to end here in about 40 seconds. Uh, I don't have an Ignition account yet. I haven't been playing on Ignition. I'll probably sign up soon. I want to give it a shot. I, I miss it. I, I've played very little poker in the last month. Okay, I haven't played any poker in the last month. That's my confession to you. I didn't play any poker in the month of October. The full month off. Feels weird. Feels weird. No poker for a full month. Going through with poker withdrawals. But I'll be back. I'll be back next week on this show. Good night and shalom. <laughs>